can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy here, and with me I have another new guest, Tom. Hey, good day. How are you doing, Tom? Now, that sounds like an Australian accent, but it's actually actually a, a New Zealand plant. So, Tom, I want you to tell you a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get on to the, the Shire discussion. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm an Australian who's been sent away to a different colony for a few years. So, I've been living in New Zealand for the last four years. I'm currently the uh, coordinator of the New Zealand Hobbit League, and a kind of Maybe a known face in the hobby community. I run a couple of channels, uh, Failed Charge Games, with my uh, colleague Sloan and also Magnet Hands, and uh, have been a kind of active community member for quite a long time and uh, a miniatures gamer for a variety of different systems for many, many years. Yeah, I definitely think we should plug the Failed Charge Games because the the YouTube videos are the kind of ones that I enjoy because they're, they're mostly the battle reports and, and really nice terrain and, and good fun and you guys are having a laugh in a very relaxed uh, atmosphere and, and making fun of each other, which is very similar to, to our gaming style as well. Yeah, that's kind of what we go for. Like, we know that there's a... Uh, like, people like Lachlan and all that kind of stuff and the guys at Top Table Gaming have pretty much got the professional level kind of, like... Uh, nailed down so we like to kind of go in for the more casual gaming and like just having a game with your friends you know yeah absolutely yeah and that, it feels like that it feels very cozy and even look just looking at the amount of views and that sort of stuff it's a very cozy community it's not like you've reached the uh the the level where people are jumping in from all over the place and and putting silly comments down in the, the video and all that sort of stuff it's quite nice yeah, I mean, try as we might, like <laughs> a couple more viewers might be nice, but uh, no, the community we've got is very supportive and like, it's kind of, we get a lot of support from the New Zealand community, especially uh, with like, you turn up to a tournament here and everyone's wearing our shirts and rolling our dice and stuff like that. So it's, it's really nice to have the local community behind you as well. Yeah. So if you haven't checked that out, check out Failed Charge Games. What's going to happen when you migrate? Is it going to continue without you or is it going to be some sort of remote type thing or are you going to take the channel with you? We're still kind of nutting it out. Um, Failed Charge was always set up as a project between myself and Sloan. Um, so the idea would be we would keep that going uh, in some capacity. We're looking at kind of banking up a whole bunch of content before I leave and kind of spacing that out uh, until we can film together again. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'll try and uh, get some of that content out during this episode and get some get some advanced warning of it. We'll see how I go with that. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> yep, so today we're doing our army review of the Shire list, which is a long list. There's a lot of a lot of hobbits in this list, a lot of very sort of weak profiles, but together you get a huge sum of their parts types army. Tom, what's your experience like with the Hobbit army? For those who know me well, like I'm a bit of a, a, a hobby magpie. Like I jump and change from uh, different lists constantly and pick up what's shiny and new. Uh, but the Hobbits have been... Uh, one of my favorite lists for ever. Like I've always loved Hobbits from reading the book. Uh, I always kind of really appreciated their way of life and like what they overcome uh, against all adversity kind of thing. So they were always a list that really stuck with me and they've actually quickly become my uh, primary go-to army now. Uh, I've played them at a few different tournaments and um, I just have a blast with them. They are they are really fun, and you do get attached to them as well. And there's something something very relatable about being a, a sort of a, an okay fighter, but but nothing compared to the rest of the world, and and in this scary situation, and just have to work together as a group. So I think a lot of people do relate to that. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like for everything you do with a hobbit, it feels like such more of like more of an achievement kind of thing, you know, like if you take out an orc, it just feels so much more special if it's coming from a hobbit. (laughs) Even just things like not dying in a turn to a troll or something like that. It's just you you let out a cheer when that happens. It's so amazing when you, you get that result. Oh, these are the little stories that stick with you for a long time. It's just kind of anything you achieve with a hobbit is always fun. Yeah. What's your best throw stones kill? Oh, God. Um, that's a good question. I, mm, let me have a think. I'll get back to you. Okay, well, I'll tell you <laughs> about mine first because because uh, <laughs> these stories do stick. We had a scenario where we were, I think it was one of the old ambush and Ithilian type scenarios. So there's a big Mumik mm-hmm. going across the board and a whole bunch of rangers. And the Mumik was ready to get off the board. So Samwise Gabji picked up a stone from the ground threw it at the Mumek, managed to do the wounds. I don't think he even have to spend any might for it. And then the Mumek failed at Stampede and ended up crashing into a tree and and dying from, from that. Well, that set up the cascade for it dying. So single throw stones, taking down a Mumek, that's by far my best effort. Well, it wasn't actually mine, but it was. I was there at the table when it happened. I mean, that's sensational. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to beat that. Um, <laughs> no. I don't even think I could fabricate anything that would be as good as that. Uh, <laughs> so you kind of set the standard pretty high there. That's why I wanted you to go first. That was the whole point. <laughs> uh, pressure's on now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a think about it through the episode. And if you, if you come up with that, maybe during uh, some of the strategies and that, we'll hear that. But we'll hear some heroic Hobbit stories, I'm sure, throughout. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our first segment. Know thine enemy. The hobbits that reside within the Shire are a peaceful race, quite content to ignore and to be ignored by the world of the big folk. In fact, to many that live in Middle-earth, hobbits seem of little or no relevance at all, and are not considered as warriors or counted among the wise. Hobbits will seldom leave the boundaries of the four farthings of the Shire, preferring to stay within the comfort of what and where they know. On the whole, the hobbits of the Shire live peaceful lives and enjoy the simple things such as good food, the brewing of ales and the smoking of pipeweed, for all hobbits share a love of things that grow. However, where a hobbit's heart truly lies is in peace and quiet and good tilled earth, and it's for those reasons that a hobbit makes an excellent gardener. Even the Shire has been thrust into turmoil and war at times. Following his defeat at Isengard, the wizard Saruman, going by the guise of Sharky, invaded the Shire and enslaved its people. It was in these dark times that the peaceful hobbits of the Shire had to band together to fight against Sharky's oppressive regime, and the ruffians that the fallen wizard had enlisted to enforce his will across the Shire. On many occasions, hobbits who had never before seen conflict would resist the rule of the chief, for which they would often be beaten or arrested and imprisoned in the lock holes. Upon their return home from the Grand Journey, Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin rallied as many Shire folk as they could with the courage to stand with them in rebellion against the invaders in order to fight to reclaim their home. So we have a lot of heroes in our Shire list to go through in this No Line Enemy segment. We're going to start with, of course, the hero of the Shire, the one that everyone knows, Frodo. But this one is Frodo of the Nine Fingers because, of course, his ring finger has, has oh, it's, it's taken an injury and it's not the same that it used to be. 
it almost looks like that on the model, but it's hard to tell with these old sculpts. So we have, for 60 points, we've got Hobbit Infantry, but he's usually going to have a pony. Hero with Hero of Fortitude. Only Fortitude for the Frodo, but that's that's okay. He's got a movement of four, as all Hobbits do. He's got Fight 3, which is useful in a Hobbit list. A 3+, plus, which is pretty common for Hobbits. He's got Strength of 2, also common for Hobbits. Defense of 6, which is amazing, because he's got the Mithril Coat. Attacks 1, eh. Wounds 2, very survivable for a Hobbit. Courage 6, amazing. Might 1, Will 3, and Fate 1. So he's he's not particularly combat there, especially because he's considered to be unarmed. So you're not really using his combat stats. His defense is pretty good. His wounds is pretty good. His courage is amazing. His will is useful. And he's got some abilities that make him pretty handy. First of all, his actions, Heroic Resolve. That's, that's actually a really good heroic action to have on a Hobbit model. Heroic Defense, also a really good one to have. Only one point of might, but but those are good options. He's got Elven Cloak, which pretty much you'll take if he's on foot, and then a Pony, which you probably take. You might take both because they're, they're pretty cheap at five points each, but the Pony for the extra movement is really useful. Uh, Mithril Coat, three plus defense, but that's already in the profile because otherwise he'll be defense three because he's just a Hobbit. Resistance to Magic, as always with Hobbits, that's really useful. And then he's got a couple special rules. So it will never heal, firstly, is a passive rule where he may never charge enemy models, and with being unarmed, you probably wouldn't want to. In a fight, he'll make no strikes if the side wins the fight. So he's not a fighter at all. He basically avoids combat. But he does some useful things here because home is the hero. All Hobbit models within six inches of Frodo count as being range of a banner. This is massive. This is the reason to take him. Six-inch banner is a big range, six-inch banner effect. And unlike a lot of the Hobbit models that, that have the banner rules, he does not have to spend his will to do that. So you've got this model that's that's incredibly resistant to magic. He's actually a pretty decent leader if you don't have to fight. Now, you probably don't want him to be a leader if there's any sort of scenarios that involve fighting. But he's thematic. If you take your Bywater Force, definitely Frodo is a good option. He's the hero of the, the whole journey, and it, it's nice that he gets a nice, interesting profile at the end. It's nice and thematic that he can't fight. Obviously, he's kind of a bit war-weary and not really interested in doing that. So, But he makes it into basically every one of my uh, Hobbit lists. He's just such an amazing force multiplier. That six-inch banner, uh, especially when he's on the pony, is he on the 40 mil base? That can really extend out over your army. I just wouldn't leave home without him. I don't actually really care if it's uh, on the 40 or the, the 25 mil. I find it almost negligible, the extra extra range. Yeah, you get a little bit more, but not a huge amount more. Uh, this one, I guess you do because he's not in the fight. He's usually the back rank, so it can spread you out a bit more. But I think it's more just that, that movement, just be able to move that banner effect where you need it to be to make sure that your key points have risen to magic. So, uh, uh, sorry, heroic resolve if you need it. You can use him as a tank if you, if you want to with the heroic defense and the two wounds. But but also, if you break, he is gold because pretty much no one's running away with courage of, of six and three will. He's keeping the whole force together. Yeah, and it, he's an interesting one for heroic resolve because he's actually a really good uh, resolve caddy because he's not going into combat anyway. So he's basically just going to be standing around. So he's he's not actually a bad person to kind of call that resolve and keep him stationary and actually use that ability and really ramp up the magic resistance in the army. Especially because it's the kind of army that people like to drag one or two models out of your your lines to start the combat up. So you're often set up in a defensive formation and against like the, the compelling wraiths or anything like that, and then coupled with the resistance to magic, it really makes them think twice about using the magic to, to approach. Yeah, absolutely. And it, 
the banners are vital because obviously you can't take banners in any other uh, model. So it, it, he makes up for the lack of spears and all that kind of thing, just getting that extra dice in each jewel. So it, he's more expensive than pretty much all of the rest of the Hobbit heroes, but uh, definitely one that you should have in your list if you're running a kind of scouring of the Shire force. Yeah, I think if you don't take him, it's often a theme choice rather than, than an effectiveness choice because he is a really good, good yeah, force multiplier, linchpin, focal point, whatever you want to call it. He he does his job, and he's very focused on what his job is. It's just to hang around until endgame. He can capture objectives with the best of them. He can support your lines with the best of them. He can throw stones. and he... No, I lie. He doesn't have the throw stones rule. He, no, he doesn't. Well, <laughs> well observed. I'm glad I haven't done it then or else that would be a bit dodgy. Yeah, he used to he used to be all hobbits at it, I think. So yeah, he's he's true pacifist now. They got around that one. Clever. He's got a sore hand anyway, so he can't throw it. Yeah, fair enough. And he's he's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I don't mind that either. That's actually probably more in theme. Okay, next one, Sam. Yeah, so we have uh the kind of main hero of the story in Frodo, and now we have everyone's favorite hero. We've got Samwise the Brave at forty five points. He's a Hobbit infantry hero and hero of fortitude. So he's got the standard Hobbit move of four, fight three, uh, three plus uh, shoot, strength two, defense three, one attack, two wounds, six courage. And this is where he is very powerful. He's got two might, two will, and three fate. Uh, under his war gear, he's got sting. So sting is an elven made dagger. And additionally, while carrying sting, he adds plus one to his strength when making strikes. He has uh, heroic resolve and heroic strike and could take a elven cloak and a pony, and has the standard resistant to magic and throw stones. I don't think he's as much of a resolver as Frodo, because he has a two might, but heroic strike is vital. He's he's, he's actually one of your better hobbit uh, combat models. Two might, strike, strength three with elven made dagger, which is very helpful, especially if you're striking uh, the, the pony as well, which is... Uh, the pony doesn't give you any charge bonuses, but it keeps you moving up as... as in a pretty good way. He doesn't really care if he's fighting on foot or on the pony, but once again, courage six, really good. Wounds two means he's probably not going to die straight away, and there is actually ways of making him even better. Yeah, and the, the strength three as well is very useful, and the elven-made uh, weapon in particular. Uh, at the fight three, he can kind of duel against your standard orcs and stuff like that, and in a roll-off kind of scenario, mm. everything's kind of going in his favor, so... He's just a he's a decent hobbit who can kind of tilt things in your balance. But as you mentioned, he has some abilities that come from other places that actually make him quite a decent force. And I I used to kind of look down a bit at Samwise the Brave as a model. I thought he was a bit expensive for what he did. But now with uh, the inclusion of uh, another model that can come along with him, he's he's basically taken up a permanent position in my rosters now. Yeah, I can see that. He was a little bit overshadowed previously, I think. But now he's he's not too bad at all. I think we should probably talk about the ponies at this point in time as well, just to to make it clear how they work as well, because they're they're the standard mount for all these heroes. Yeah, so the ponies are unique for the hobbits. Um, I don't believe there's any other faction that can take them. So there are five. Uh, yeah, mount. there is the um, the dwarves. The um. Oh, of course, Thorns yes, Thorns Company. Well, I've never seen them on the table, but I'd love to. Um, but they're they're an interesting mount. They're only five points. And um, they have to make courage tests if you want to charge with them. And they don't uh, gain any cavalry bonus or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, a mount is always useful to have. So I always take them whenever I can. 
Yeah. If you're up against a, like a heavy terror army or something that's draining your courage a little bit with these heroes that can take the ponies, you may dismount when it's time for combat because you really don't need them. But they're really nice and that they're an extra in the way if people are shooting at you. They mean you can move to the, the places you want to go. If you're doing things like heroic combats, they're great because you can really extend the range of that by charging something and then moving the model to a totally different spot to charge something else. Yes, you have to take the courage tests, but... Courage is not a problem for these hobbits because not only do the the ones that that ride the ponies have incredibly high courage, there's also horns around. So we'll get to that with our next model, which is Mary Attic, uh, the captain of the Shire. So he's been drinking the the ant water and and he's grown up. So for 45 points, fight three, strength two, defense four, which is good. He's got a bit of armor on, I believe. Uh, Two attacks, two wounds, two attacks. So good. Courage five, really good. Uh, Two, two, two for might, will, fate. He's got Armour Sword and an incredibly well-priced Horn of the Ridden Mark. So while carrying the Horn of the Ridden Mark, all courage, all Hobbits get 1 plus their Courage value. If Mary is slain, the Horn is lost. And I think that does stack with other Horns as well, because it's not the same kind of Horn, maybe. Uh, but... Yeah, see, I, I kind of believe that as well, because it's not a War Horn yeah. uh, as written. So, I mean, it might be rules as intended. But uh, in my mind, I think you could stack that with a regular horn as well. Which feels really dirty, and it's just, like, it's an incredible price because you're really not paying for it at all. It's essentially free with him. So you're looking at, at him being fight six then, and, and Frodo and Sam being fight seven. Which, uh, sorry, not fight, courage. It would be nice, though. If they fight wanted to be seven, fight seven, I'd be totally fine with that. Although a fight seven unarmed, non-striking model seems <laughs> a bit pointless. <laughs> oh, good for baiting, but yeah, that, that's... Yeah. <laughs> but the Horn of the Ridden Mark is fantastic. But you've also got your Heroic Marches, which is really useful. Really, really, really useful Heroic March. Heroic Strike, once again, great. Heroic Challenge, I don't think you ever use it with this guy. He is a Hero Valor, so if he's with Frodo and Sam... He has to take the leadership role over them. Uh, there's one other hero, Valor, as well, coming up very shortly. But So that means you can lead a lot of them. But also, you can upgrade some militia in your army to battling Brandy Bucks for the cost of one point per model. So any number of them, but as long as they're in his warband. So you can take, what's that, 15 of them then upgraded. They have strength of three, which is incredibly good very 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 good especially because those battling brandy bucks often end up with piercing weapons axes and things and they they hitters they they become really powerful options are alvin cloak pony and shield and you're probably going to take two out of the three of those probably pony and shield or alvin cloak and shield or all three yeah mary he is the absolute linchpin of this army uh i adore using him on the battlefield he's he's tiny but mighty and that the battling brandy bucks. So, I, I believe in the old rules, you be, were able to take all militia in the army as long as you had Mary. Yes, yes, and, and people did. Yeah, and exactly right. There's no reason you wouldn't. They, the strength three with piercing strike is amazing. Um, <laughs> the old strength six hobbits, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the good old days I used to call them. Yeah. Um, and he's a hero of Valor now as well. So bumping that up to a uh, fifteen model warband is. I I never leave home without fifteen battle and brandy bucks now. They're they're the first thing that go down, and uh, I try and protect them as much as possible on the battlefield and make sure that they make it into combat. Yeah, really good option, because what one issue you're going to have with Hobbits is when you win combats, 
um, which doesn't always happen. But when you do, do you kill the model? And the higher defense models are tough to kill. That really does help to have that base strength of three and then the ability to, to pierce as well if you've got the weapon options in the right way around. Really good. Resistant throw stones, as always, really good option. Probably the first choice you take when you're taking a, a take-anything Hobbit army. I think he's he's just that good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so is the next model on here as well. Uh, we've got um, Peregrine, Captain of the Shire, who is uh, 45 points, Hobbit Infantry Hero, and a Hero of Valor. So same level as Merry. Fight 3, Shoot 3, uh, Strength 2, Defense 4, 2 Attacks, 2 Wounds, Courage 5. And he's got Might, Will, and Fate of 2, 2, 2. In his war gear, he's got Armor and Sword. And he has got Heroic March. Interestingly, he has Heroic Accuracy and also Heroic Strike. He can purchase the Elven Cloak Pony Shield combination, same as Merry. And similar to Merry, he has the ability to upgrade uh, archers, so Hobbit archers, to Tookish Hunters at the cost of one point per model. And they have a fight value of three and three plus to shoot. He has a special rule as well. So he has the standard resistance to magic and throw stones, as well as against all odds, uh, which is an active rule. And he gets to reroll any failed wounds against monsters or heroes, which has actually come into play quite a lot for me. That's actually really good. And I think they're trying to, to balance between the two because in the past, Mary was just better because of the horn. But then you've got that rule is good because the, the, the job of these two is to take down the heroes when combat happens because they're the only ones with, with your strike. They're the only ones who, who can hit hard enough and do enough wounds that potentially you can take it down. So that's a really good option. Heroic accuracy in a Hobbit army is is quite useful. There's a few other characters that have it around, but that that one turn you often get one turn with your throw stones. It's just really vital. So if the enemy's all stuck behind a wall when you're doing that, it's it's well worth it when they've got something in the way, some whatever it is, something something to to prevent it. The heroic accuracy is is a good option. You probably don't want to use it from this guy if you don't have to. March once again a good option. So he's he's fantastic, and they, they come at a bargain price. So de- definitely a good choice. Once again, the courage is just insanely good, and the Turkish Hunters are, are a good option. Fight 3 for Hobbits is is really good as well. You've got to make the choice for these ones. I don't think it's as auto-take as the Brandy Bucks because you can get Fight 3 in other ways, but it's it's a good option. My, my only criticism of these two profiles, um, and I take them in every list, is I, I do wish they were Strength 3. It does seem quite strange that Mary can take Battle and Brandy Bucks, who are strength three, but he is only strength two. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, like they've, they've fought a lot more than any other hobbits kind of thing. Like They've been in battles, like numerous battles, and they're, they're still weaker than a farmer, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I almost wish that the Battle and Brandy Bucks was something different, whereas it probably wouldn't be worth the one point at that, but where they, they get a reroll of their near Mary or something like that, because the strength three is just kind of weird, and especially because the axes give you strength three, I still think the hobbits are probably a little bit high on the strength levels. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it hard to... I, I love the Battle and Brandy Bucks, so I'm obviously significantly biased uh, towards them, but it just it just hurts when his troops around him are better at wounding than he is. <laughs> Yeah, yes, and yeah. Well, I think overall the, the Hobbits are incredibly good at fighting for, for what they are, and I think this this list, you can tell that, that one of the writers really enjoys playing with them because they've got lots of options and lots of lots of combinations and ways to turn a, a rubbish model into an amazing model. So speaking of that, we'll move on to, to Paladin. So Paladin, the old grandfather of the Tooks, uh, for, for 25 points you've got 
the old old school infantry hero. This is the one you used to always take. It's almost a profile, which was just a, a Hobbit generic leader that you could take in different ways because I would like this profile to appear in other places because I think it's it's the standard Hobbit hero profile. So you've got move four, fight two, rubbish, strength two, rubbish, defense three, rubbish, attacks one, wounds two, amazing, courage five, amazing, and then one might, one will, and two fate, very survivable. He's got a club, a walking cane, so he can fight. He's got heroic accuracy, which is good. Not Captain March, but heroic accuracy, once again, is useful in the Hobbit army because everyone has a shooting weapon except Frodo. And then if you include Paladin, you can upgrade Archers in Paladin's Warband, like like with Peregrine, to Turkish Hunters as well, which is, once again, a good option, especially at very low points. If you're playing a tiny game, he's a good option as well, but you're probably taking Peregrine and, and Mary Adok anyway. But his last rule other than resistance to magic and throw stones, is to me Shire Folk. Paladin Standfast only affects Hobbit models, which is fine, and quite frankly, I think all of them should have that. But his Standfast is 12 inches rather than 6 inches with his Courage of 5. It's probably been boosted by a horn. He's just an amazing model for 25 points. He is a good model. Um, when I started playing Hobbits originally, he basically made his way into every one of my lists. I've started moving away from him recently, but that heroic accuracy, as you mentioned, is it can really make the difference sometimes. And just calling that at a clutch moment and making sure that you're making all of your in the ways and stuff like that. He's, he's a, he's an interesting model to have. And it's a lovely model as well. It's one of my favorite ones. It's very characterful and it's exactly how I imagined um, Paladin in the book as well. So it's nice to see him on the table and who doesn't want to kind of push a doddering old man around a battlefield in a, in a game with dragons and giant monsters and stuff (laughs) like that. You know, it's, it's it's the ultimate, uh, kind of come and get him you know yeah he's also hero fortitude which is really good because you can get lots of hobbits with him uh now that we've got the scouring of the shire book there's so many other options as well so you might not find a spot for him because the stuff he does is not like groundbreaking but it's just good value he i wish he had his profile for things like the band of breast took army because that i think would be perfect to just have generic civic leaders essentially because the profile is good. It doesn't seem particularly focused on him. I'm happy if it was it didn't have the stand fast of 12 inches, but but he's he's useful. 25 points just for another point of might and another hero and another 12 hobbits that you can be led by. That's good. Uh, Tom, do you want to take on take Farmer Maggot and his dogs? Yeah, so Farmer Maggot at 45 points. We've got a Hobbit infantry hero. He's got uh, standard movement four, fight three, uh, three plus to shoot, strength three. So that's a big change. Uh, defense three, two attacks, two wounds, five courage, one might, two will, and two fate. He has a two-handed scythe, uh, which operates as a pick, and grip, fang, and wolf. And this is the kind of the big deal with Farmer Maggot. He uh, he is automatically accompanied by grip, fang, and wolf, uh, who are dogs and uh, have the infantry and warrior keywords. And they are movement eight, uh, fight three, four plus to shoot. Interestingly, I don't know where that's going to come up strength three defense three one attack one wound and three courage uh they can actually use his uh courage as well while he's on the battlefield and let's just be honest like farmer maggot's a good fighter but the reason you take him is because of grip fang and wolf yeah these are the fast models you have in your army yes you have some ponies but these guys go and do all the movement stuff that you really need to do those last minute objective grabs which they're amazing at because farmer maggot's courage is really good as well so they're good for that they're actually good fighters as well because they fight three and strength three so if you need to kill something adding these guys to the fight is really useful 
and they can get in there. Uh, Farmer Maggot's a pretty good fighter. He does have a two-handed weapon, so he's not always winning fights on his own, but he's got two attacks. So as someone to walk in to assist with Peregrine or Mary's attack on heroes, he's a great option. The price has gone down, I think, from previous times, and he's also now a hero of Fortitude. So you've got a nice big warband with him as well. So he's he's a good option. Uh, I think you're right, though. If you, you take him because those dogs are just... They do something that the nothing else in the list does, and they, they're worth it for that. Yeah, the do- the dogs are always clutch in my games. They're, as you mentioned, like the objective grabbers, like... In any of the seas, the prize or anything like that, they're ordinarily the ones who I send out to go dig it up, and that they're, they're just very useful models. And when you think about it, it's forty-five points for what is four models on the battlefield, and that's a remarkable uh, deal for a hero that's got good strength, well, comparatively, and like uh, quite good rules as well. So it is an absolute bargain. Like I, I honestly would pay more for him if I had to, uh, but he frequently makes it into my lists. Yeah, the only disadvantage is he doesn't have any way to up his fight value, but it, it's uh, he's he's a good choice. He's he's really reliable wounder with his two handed scythe that you have to always use two handed, and then you can you can use the pick special strike to to even out your your strength value if you need to. Grip Fang and Wolf are good fighters. They're in any other army list you'd probably laugh at them, but in this army list they're so good because they're double the movement of your standard infantry. So that's that's just fantastic. Eight inch movement kit compared to four for the rest of the hobbits is is really good. They don't do any silly terror test to charge like the ponies. They're on small bases, so they're very maneuverable. They're tiny models, so they're easy to hide behind yes. a tree or a, a stump or whatever. So good option, and and they really are lovely models. I like all these three or four. Yeah, they're very characterful. Um, the farmer man gets lovely, and like as you mentioned, the low profile on those dogs has saved me a number of times. Just hiding them behind like a small shrub, and your opponent tends to forget they're even there most of the time. And then you do this sneaky dog missile at the kind of last few <laughs> turns and fire them off. And in any kind of mission like reconnoiter or anything like that, they're they're hugely important. Yep. Now we move on to this one is absolutely my favorite in the whole list. Even though she's wearing shoes, I believe. I can't remember if she has barefoot. Lobelia Sackville Baggins for 15 points now. Uh, she's a minor hero, so she can lead up to six. So that's an upgrade. Uh, she's not a fighter, so strength one. She's got an umbrella, which you can actually attack with the umbrella. No, she will not make strikes with the umbrella at all. That's a special rule. So that's pretty well irrelevant, except if uh, you're doing any of those strike-off type things, strength-off things. Defense two is rubbish. Attacks one, wounds one. Courage six is surprisingly good. Uh, Will 3, also amazing. No Might, 1 Fate, resistant to Magic, so spells don't really get to her very well at all. Throw Stones is handy. She can actually throw the stones, unlike Frodo. But the best rule that she has, the Furious Tirade, which is not only a fantastic name, but no warrior model from either player's force may benefit from a heroic model Standfast whilst within 6 inches of Lobelia. She just cancels Standfast. So even if you just keep her hidden for the game and then bring her out in the end game if you need her or back her off away from your force if you don't need her, she is incredibly reliable. She can sit there on that back objective, you know, when you're playing one of those objective games and you know she's going to stay around for the whole game because her courage is just phenomenal and then she's got the the will as well to back it up for 15 points and that ability to just walk through it and be what is it, the, the Tainted or something like that, the Ringwraith that does that, she basically yes. has that <laughs> has the same power as that one, but probably worse because she's, if she's playing an evil army, they need that stand fast and you can just get rid of it. It's, oh, it's, she's so good, so good. And, and if she dies, who cares? We, she's cost nothing. 
And which one is more evil, the tainted or Lobelia Sackville Baggins? That's oh, that's the real question. Oh, that's a really tough one. I think uh, <laughs> we don't know a whole bunch about the tainted, so I'm going to have to go with Lobelia there. I think that's a fair choice. And Lobelia is exactly the reason that I mentioned that uh, Paladin has started kind of falling out of favor in my lists, because it's all well and good having a model with the 12-inch standfast, but if you're taking a model that cancels standfast on both sides, it's kind of not worth it anymore. Um and in any good versus evil tournament or anything like that, uh, Lobelia is an almost an auto-include. It For 15 points, just to throw that spanner in the works and really mess up your opponent is uh, is a lot of fun. Basically, when I play her, if I'm breaking the opponent and I'm not broken, she is that good heroic Lobelia at the very end of Scouring the Shire where all the hobbits cheer her and she fights her way out. And if I'm going to break, she's that terrible Lobelia that no one likes and is sitting away from the rest of my army doing her own thing. So... She's like a social pariah. She's yeah, yeah, just, away. just go away. We, we don't want you here. Go capture that objective that no one else wants. And then uh, oftentimes at the end game, people will avoid it because of that stand fast rule. So she can, she can, I find that she can be a cheeky objective grabber on her own as well. If you're just playing that role where you want her to run away. So I think she's, she's just incredibly useful and just a bargain. I know they sneaked her points up a little bit, but it's it's such a value for such a powerful rule. It can potentially knock out a whole enemy's force really quickly. And just for just for being a, an aggressive old hobbit. Yeah, and I, the upgrade to being a minor hero as well, like one of the things you really struggle with in a hobbit army is finding places for all of the models that you need to take. So being able to take a little warband with her is really useful. And um, I, I'm glad that she men- uh, is mentioned in the kind of key models uh, in the Scouring of the Shire book as well. They kind of draw attention to her. And I think she's a, a, a hidden gem in the list. I think a lot of people avoid her um just on principle maybe i'm not 100 percent sure but um i think in a purely competitive point uh, she's a great model to have around and it, it's a lovely model as well like it's big umbrella gotta love her just from an interest point of view as well like, it's a really powerful rule but it's also a really interesting rule and it can potentially backfire on you and i really love those rules that you have to also play well so if you play it badly it can it can ruin your game but it's got so much potential that it's worth taking, even even with the potential to to get you in trouble. Yeah, and like in, in, with hobbits, you tend to be stacking those horns anyway. So even your basic troops are quite high courage. Mm. So it, it's not really affecting you as as much as it is affecting other people. So it's a gamble that you're generally willing to take. Yep. Now you can move on to to everyone's favorite hobbit. Uh, are, you, are you sure you're comfortable with me doing this one? I don't want to take this away from you. I think I did like a 20-minute episode on him at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> I remember well. All right, we're going to go into Fredegar Bolger, old fatty Bolger himself at 10 points, uh, which is an outrageous price. Uh, it, it's such a bargain for such an iconic, iconic hobbit. Uh, <laughs> fight 2, 3 plus to shoot, strength 2, defense 3, attack 1, wounds 1, courage 3, by far the most cowardly hobbit, I think, in this book. Zero might, zero will, one fate. He's unarmed and has resistance to magic and throw stones. And he's a minor hero. He's had an upgrade. Yeah, he, yeah that's, that's, that's worth the, the points upgrade as well, I think. I think he's gone up from almost doubled in points, probably just because of that. Because, he, yeah, an extra six hobbits is, is actually quite useful. He's All he does is hang around and get you an extra warband drop and take an objective and... Be maybe one of those heroes you have to protect if you want to keep him totally out of the action, hidden away in a hobbit hole somewhere on the board. But he's he's the cost of two hobbits essentially, for the ability to lead four hobbits and pretty well do nothing else except throw stones. So 
I, he's he's not a bad option if you have the points for him. He's not going to ruin your game if you don't take him. He's just one you can take in. If you like him, take him. If you don't like him, don't take him. Now you've got plenty of options for the, the minor heroes and the, the small heroes around. So he's not not as like a must-take as he used to be, but he's he's definitely a, he's got a role in the army. He's not going to wow anyone. But if he does ever kill a model, it is you've got to like talk about it for the rest of the event. You do a victory lap, I think, like yeah. is the standard kind of thing. And like, it's rule of cool. I mean, everyone wants to take Fatty Bulger and he's just, ugh. it's an iconic model. And I, I don't know if that's down to kind of what you guys have uh, kind of contributed to it in the past, or if it's just because killing something with, with what is objectively one of the worst models in the game is just such a satisfying treat for a model that has effectively doubled in price as well and <laughs> doesn't really do anything. <laughs> he's He's good fun to have around. I think there's been multiple scenes around the world that have got interested in him because he's in the old rules when they're a bit looser on alliances, having an extra drop for five points was a pretty good option with it when the old alternating warband type type drops. So I think he got a bit of fame around the world for for different reasons and maybe we've contributed to that, but I'm sure other people have as well. I think there was one tournament where everyone made a pact to everyone to, to all take him and there's some other other things going on. So he's he's a fun model. Uh the model itself is not my favorite model. The poses is just a bit hopeless, which is kind of cool for the the character. But but yeah, you, you're taking me somewhere to talk about. And if he does kill a model, you it's just demoralizing for your opponent because he should not. Under no circumstances should he kill anything. But uh, <laughs> occasionally, he's a fun one to have around. Occasionally, gets a ruffian here or there. So we've, the next one is one of the new ones. So this is our, our first one from the Scaring the Shire book, Farmer Tolman Cotton. So of the Cotton family, thirty-five points. You've got a hero fortitude leading twelve. So that that's a good option already. You've got a fight of two, three plus strength two, defense three, two wounds, courage five. So you're getting that standard hero profile where they're not really any better at fighting, but they can stay around a bit longer for both courage and wounds. Two might though. One will, one fate. It's great. Pitchfork is a weapon. It's a hand and a half weapon, which is great. And then it can use the stab special rule and support as if it was a spear, a hobbit with a spear. Oh, that's good. That's really good. A, uh, just a brave new world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it just, just blows my mind. An extra attack in the combat. Uh, heroic Resolve. Again, not a bad choice, especially you've got the two mites. Uh, if if you're worried about magic, you've got enough heroic resolves in this army to, to really stop that, shut that down. Heroic challenge, once again, let us know if you find any use for that one with this guy. Resistant to magic, throw stones. He's got his passive special rule. This is our country. So Farmer Cotton and the friendly Hobbit models within three inches of him may re-roll ones when rolling a dual, when rolling to win a dual roll. So he's got like this mini banner effect uh, rolling to win a dual roll, which is it's useful. It's not nothing, nothing fantastic, but you don't have to spend any resources to do it. It means if you're outside of Frodo's range, you've got an extra potential to to re-roll. That it it does happen a lot. You roll a lot of ones because you're rolling a lot of dice in dual rolls, so that that's handy. But basically, he's there for a couple points of might on the cheap and an ability to lead twelve hobbits. Yeah, he's an interesting one. I haven't used him uh, a huge amount yet. Uh, I feel like he'd be a good contender for. Uh, part of the legendary legion when you can kind of like ambush in a hero having that kind of innate uh banner ability not as powerful as a banner but having that kind of combat ability and like the little banner ability really does uh, make him a little bit more useful but it, i just think there was a missed opportunity that there's a lot of other banners in this list that are attached mm. to heroes it would have been nice if it had been uh, re-roll ones to wound or something like that or 
maybe passing on, I, I don't know if he had hatred of something or it's nice that he's got a flavorful uh, rule, but I just don't know how useful that is in a, in an army that has kind of already quite a few banner abilities in there already. He tends to get overshadowed quite a bit. I think he may be a bit more of a scenario piece. I do like him if you're going the the non-Battle of Bywater one, so you don't have the the four hobbits with the, the big named ones. So if you're going brave in a small army, he he's a good option. But when you can pay 10 more points and get a, a Peregrine Took or a, a Mary, he, he's nowhere near that level. So he's he's a hobbit leader. I, I Once again, if this was the profile for a, a hobbit captain or such that could go with Bandabrest, it would be amazing. But it's he does tend to get overshadowed. He doesn't do anything a whole lot different that, no, that someone else doesn't do in the army except the spear. But even then, it's, it's it's not an army that you you're playing around that spear tactic anyway. No, and it, it's interesting you mentioned before that um, having kind of like a generic Hobbit hero. I feel like this one actually quite it fits that kind of category quite well. Like he's not particularly combat savvy. He's not like tough, but he has got the standard kind of captain level of two one one in might, will, and fate, and maybe making up for that lack of attack with the um, re-roll ones to wound. I feel like he'd be a fair kind of generic uh, Hobbit hero, like a civil character, as you mentioned before. Yeah. I think if you're really worried about like magic users on your scene, he might get, might be worthwhile because of the, the two might and the resolve. But even then he's, he's heroics. If he had a March, he would be almost an auto take because yeah. that would be so useful, but he's just, he's lacking a little bit. So he's, he's not going to be terrible, but for 35 points, you get a lot of hobbits for that price, so I don't know if you're going to get value out of him all the time. Perfect timing. We've got an errata about Farmer Cotton. So it's in the latest FAQ, which is the August 2020 FAQ, for those who are listening to this well in the future or in the past or some other timeline perhaps. Can Farmer Tomlin Cotton use his pitchfork as a two-handed weapon when he is supporting a fight, specifically on page 48? And the answer is No. It's an interesting change. Apparently, Farmer Tom and Cotton was too overpowered that they had to limit him. Yeah, it's just been amazed the outrage about it. Like I've heard, I've been on some of the forums, and you almost have to take a step back because just the rage about how hobbits are unplayable at the moment now, and the nerf that Farmer Tolman got, and that he's so overpriced now at thirty-five points, he should be thirty-four points, and all this sort of stuff is just, it's just calm down, people. Well, I'm selling my army. I. I don't know if you heard, but uh, after this, I just I don't know if I can even put them on the table anymore. It's just too much for me to deal with. Yeah, I, I know. Look, look. I think we're just going to have to redo our tactics a little bit and use the spear as a spear. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I've actually never even considered using it as a two handed weapon when I'm supporting because just the idea of having a hobbit with a spear is so exciting that I'm just going to use it as a normal spear. Yeah, I think you could take advantage of it while you can uh, until they take away the spear itself, and then they're like, "No, this is clearly an oversight. <laughs> no one can support in this army." Yeah, it could well be anything because, as you said before, the Hobbit weapons uh, look look at strange. They're not very consistent about whether they're uh, whether they're um, two handed weapons or single handed weapons or what they are. So, yeah, good they've clarified, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's an interesting change, but I would love to know where that came up. But uh, you know, now I'm kind of sad I never had the opportunity to use it as a two handed weapon. But uh, spears okay. going forward. I'm sure it's just somewhere in the UK scene, someone has just been dominating with Farmer Tolman Cotton and, and there was just an outcry and people had to change it. Well, I want to shake that person's hand <laughs> because they deserve it. <laughs> just a spoiler, maybe we'll put Tolman Cotton in all our lists now, who knows? Or maybe take him out, one or the other. Yeah, 2 OP, we don't want to go cheesy. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, again, like I haven't used him a huge amount. Uh, I am keen to get him on the table a bit more though, because I do like the model. Yeah, I just think that it, it is a shame that he didn't have a more interesting special rule, but um, I'm never going to turn my nose up at models having interesting rules to begin with. Now, speaking of interesting rules, go for the next cotton for me. Yeah, so we've got Rosie Cotton, and uh, she has made her way into pretty much every list that I've written now. Uh, she's 15 points. She's a Hobbit infantry hero and an independent hero, which means she can be assigned to another warband. She has Fight 1, uh, 3+. plus. She has... Uh, Strength 2, Defense 3, 1 Attack, 1 Wound, Courage 3, so not the most courageous. Mm. She has 0 Might, uh, 1 Will, and 2 Fate. The standard resistant to magic and throw stones, and the special rule that you take her for. If I were to marry anyone, it would have been her, which is her passive ability. So basically how it works is, whenever Rosie Cotton is within 6 inches of Samwise the Brave, Sam increases his attacks to 2, and if Rosie Cotton is within 4 of Samwise the Brave, Sam may declare a heroic combat without spending any might. Uh, if Rosie is engaged in a fight, then Sam must declare a heroic combat, and if successful, he must use the following move to join Rosie's combat. Uh, if it's not possible, then he must get as close as possible. This is becoming an increasing uh, kind of like an uh, archetype that we're seeing in Middle Earth now, these kind of little companion heroes. Mm. It kind of started with Bard. Now we're seeing it with, what's he called? The Rohan child. Uh, Haleth, is that his name? I think so. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. So like these companion heroes that kind of follow someone else around and basically yeah. buff them. <laughs> Make them way better than they already are, even yeah. though they're already good. Yeah, like Sam now has become kind of like bard light almost. The free heroic combats, the extra attacks, all that kind of stuff. It, it makes Sam much better for his points value. And uh, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic of having to keep Rosie around him. But it's so generous, that range. Like, six inches and four inches is a lot. So it's not like it's a three-inch or, or less. It's You can keep her still protected quite a bit, have her hiding in the back and still be in range of Sam. Because, once again, this is not an army that you tend to, to just go at run full speed and fight. You can with, with the Hobbit heroes, I guess, if you really need to. If you need to, like, dig up an objective, you need to send the those Hobbits on ponies and some dogs. But... Most of the time, they're an army that's gonna gonna bait the opponent towards them. It's gonna shoot. Gonna manipulate where the combats are. So that's that's quite generous. Rosie herself is unarmed and rubbish in combat, but she's a little bit survivable. She's once again a, a decent one of those look after and protect heroes because you don't have to get her in combat for for any reason whatsoever. But she's so cheap, and what she what she turns Sam into just the the free heroic combat. The two attacks is amazing, but the ability to have heroic combat machine is huge because suddenly you can go on the offensive and the attacks. You can pick on weak guys with Sam and then go and help out the big combats that are really important. So I think this is, yeah, as you say, it's, it's if you're going to take Sam and you're going to take competitive, she's almost an auto take with him. She's, she's just that good. Yeah. And obviously with the heroic combats as well, it, it really does make up for one of the weaknesses of the Hobbit list in the fact that it gives you mobility as well. So being able to kind of get that extra move for free and not pay anything for it really does make a difference. And, it, it it just it makes Sam much more of a uh, attractive option to take in your list. Yeah, and it's it's a hard one for me from a theme point of view because I can't imagine her hanging around a lot of fights. But if you're taking that list that you want to do well competitively, you definitely find a way. And she's got a really nice model as well. She's one of the ones that came out quite a bit later than the others, but I, I painted her up and I was really happy with her. So 
it's, it's a good model and it's probably worth taking for Sam. The next one is also another model, a new one that's worth taking. Hopeful Brace Girdle, the Sheriff Leader for 30 points. This guy is good. Hero of Fortitude. Sheriff, if anything in the list says Sheriff, you take it. It's really good. He's got Fight 3. Uh, move 4 is always a Hobbit. Shoot 3 plus, always a Hobbit. We'll tell you that there's something different to that. Uh, strength 3, fantastic. Defense 3, attacks 1, wounds 2, courage 4. All that sort of good hero stuff. Nothing to write home about, but he's got one might, one will, one fate, which is okay value for 30 points. He's got a hand and a half club, heroic march, heroic march, heroic march, heroic march, and resistance to magic, throw stones, and his special rule, which is phenomenal. Head sheriff, hobbit brace girdle, and the hobbit sheriffs, including Robin Smallborough, within three inches of him, do not suffer the penalty for using their hand and a half club as a two-handed weapon. So these guys become hitters, that two-handed club is is really nice but also having a march he's just really really useful and he's fabulous i just love the the sheriff aesthetics and for some reason they're they're as good fighters as the trained warriors of minas Tirith. i don't know why that is but they are they are good value do you take this guy a lot tom he is basically along with mary first on the page he is possibly the most important model that has come out for the shire forces he is remarkable that plus one to wound effectively uh, with the two-handed weapons, is just one of the most important things that you can have in your army, and he's he's amazing. He, like basically, he is target number one for my opponents to get rid of him. I would have liked to have seen him maybe with an extra might, like kind of like Farmer Cotton, but he he's a he's a great model to have. I I really enjoy using him, and um, he very rarely gets into combat himself. I kind of yeah, am maybe yeah. a little bit too precious with him, but. He's just another one of those force modifiers that has his place behind the main lines and his main contribution to the army is to just stand around and make everybody better. Yeah, pretty much. Because you don't need that fight three because you've got sheriffs around who give you the fight three. Strength three is is nice, but he's only got the one attack. You want it, I tend to use that might for the march because I, I just, yes, a march in an army is really important. When, you, when your base movement is four, it's really important. To get almost another turn of movement is fantastic. So I'm happy to throw away that point of might for for a march. And then you just want to keep him alive to, to buff the sheriff. So he's, I try to make him the last sheriff that dies. So he just stays around nearby, does that, that one where he adds an extra attack to the one model that's pushed through the lines and, and uh, is going to be outnumbered. But yeah, keep him safe. He d- you don't need him to be your frontline fighter. He can't really do that against anything that, that's powerful. So just using him for support, that special passive rule and the march is is really good. And 30 points, very affordable for, for a model that's leading 12. You wouldn't want to pay that for all your heroes, but you definitely pay it for this guy. Yeah, absolutely. He He's vital to the list. And again, not to keep going on about it, but he's strength three and Mary isn't. I can't understand it. It's going to bug me till the end of time. That's going to be this episode. Did you complain about Mary's strength? Oh, it's it's oh, 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 fist. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Robin Smallborough, uh, who's the Hobbit Sheriff, uh, kind of his uh, kind of companion deputy, almost a Hobbit infantry hero. Fight three, strength uh, shoot three, uh, strength two, defense three, one attack, one wound, courage four, one 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 in might, will, and fate, and he also has a heroic march. And he has the special ability and knows for shortcuts. Uh, so in a scenario where you roll for additional forces to arrive, you may modify the reinforcements roll for Robin Smallborough's warband by plus one or negative one. And uh, it's the same for in um, scenarios where you see which kind of deployment zone he will deploy in. You can modify that one as well. So he's a kind of cheaper version, 
of um, whole foot brace girdle, his special ability is probably negligible in the grand scheme of things. It's it's not as powerful as someone like Madrils, who can affect your entire army. But uh, that twenty points for a, another heroic march, I would happily pay that generally just to keep up that mobility. And uh, I'd rather use his march than Wholefoot's. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because he's pretty well identical to Wholefoot in terms of damage output. He's the main difference is he doesn't have that buff. Yes, the the reinforcement rule is is handy when you get the mouse from battle, but it's only him and his twelve hobbits. So I tend to pack his warband up. So if you, if you take him, I will try to put the twelve hobbits in there because that rule can be useful. But it's it's a nice bonus rather than a than a go to rule. I I think he's a good option. Twenty points is is once again very affordable for a march. Yeah, absolutely. And again, he gets that plus one to wound from Holfoot as well. So he's not a bad companion to keep around him. And, yeah, uh, it, it, they're, they're both lovely models, so they look really good together. And when they're leading a kind of huge force of sheriffs as well, they're quite an intimidating-looking yeah. <laughs> little, uh, intimidating little force. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're really cool. So the next one I'm going to go for is Baldo Tulpany, who I think is a, a made-up character, I believe. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. At least one of them was made up for, by Adam Troke, I think Jay was saying. But this guy is the stone skipper. He's the one that throws stones. So at 40 points, you've got a pretty costly hobbit hero. And he's a hero for Fortitude, so at least he can lead lots of models there. He's got the standard hero profile, the, the hobbit profile with the wounds of two, a courage of four, might one, will one, fate two, a dagger, so the... The stab rule, I think, usually, or stab or feint. Heroic action is heroic accuracy, which is probably the one you want, quite frankly, for him. He's got resistant to magic. He's got throw stones. I'm glad he has throw stones because he's also a champion stone skipper. So he may re-roll failed to hit rolls when throwing stones. And additionally, if he rolls a natural six when rolling to hit, do not take any in the way test and do not roll to wound. He hits his target. His target is automatically suffers a single wound, which is so good, so good to have that that potential to take wounds off of anything really it doesn't even mean you have to be able to technically be able to wound it so sometimes strength one isn't able to wound a high defense well he can they automatically suffer a wound so that's that's pretty scary especially at a high points level this guy tends to to jump into my armies he's not always the one i take he's also a master of traps though which is another useful skill he's got at the start of the game you can place eight 25 mil trap marks on the board and these things do all kinds of things basically slow the enemy down mostly Two each of snare trap tripwire trap pitfall trap and dummy trap markers dummy being nothing these should be placed face down so your opponent cannot tell which trap is which so you make your trap markers and they work exactly as the trap so we'll talk about the traps a bit more later on when we do the army tactics but these are good to be able to to place into little bottleneck situations and make the opponent think twice about going through them so they are quite useful if you have a lot of them you can you can occasionally do some damage with them or, or knock over a model, but in general they just they just slow things down very slightly. So that that's good. Forty points though is it's, it's a little bit costly as well. What do you think, Tom? Baldo's an interesting one. He he makes it into a lot of my lists, and I'll talk about that probably more in the trap section. Um, he's another one of those models that doesn't really contribute a lot on the table. Like the wounding on a natural six is amazing, and it's important to note it is a natural six, so you can't mite it up to that. Mm. He has wounded kind of some hilarious things in my games. Like he has wounded like troll chieftains and mortal trolls and all kinds of fun things. And he's a great ring wraith killer as well. 
uh, especially if they're on a fell beast or anything like that. But if you're close <laughs> enough to hit it with a stone, you're probably in trouble. There's but your the stone story. Taken... If you killed a fell beast with with this guy, a ring wraith, that's that's yeah. that's your stone story. That's fantastic. Yeah, you can you can do some nasty things with him. But the main reason you take him is to get those extra traps, especially in my experience, because that if you're taking the legendary legion, that bumps you from eight to sixteen. Yes, yes, and sixteen traps is absurd. Like it, it, the board control you can get with that, um, that is worth the 40 points alone, in my view. It's quite nice that he has heroic accuracy. It's another one of those to throw out. And um, I personally, I take him because I'm really proud of the paint job I did on him. He's very, very colorful and very, very flamboyant as uh, quite befitting a character who I feel would uh, be a bit ostentatious with his champion status, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, if he's one of, yeah. I think he's he's a, a solid purchase. You're right. It depends on how much you value the traps, I guess. My main concern with the traps is that hobbits are often an ar- army that takes long to play. Usually the game slows down quite a bit with them. So sometimes I'll go against those just because they do slow the game down a little bit more and potentially make you not finish it. But they are really good. And they're, they're very useful. And he's a way of getting more of them. The ch- champion stone skipper is great when it works. But it scares the opponent. Because you talk it up. Like at the start of the game. You tell them about this natural six. And it means that even those defense seven, eight models that are coming in. Are scared of one of the hobbits at the very least. When you're going to throw stones at them. So that that's it's good for a scare tactic. You've got points in the hobbit army. So you can definitely take him. But you've got to make some choices somewhere along the line. So he 40 points is a fair fair whack of points. So if you're not getting value out of the traps, then probably leave him at home. But if you can get some good value out of them, which you definitely can, then then he's good. Yeah, a lot a lot of my tactics tend to be towards traps. I've had most of my success by kind of manipulating those and using those. So he, he tends to appear in my armies quite a lot. And it's similar to Ori in... Um, the thorns company it, it does tend to scare people a lot more than it actually should because it's one dice on a six or one in six chance yeah you know it, it does tend to put the uh the fear of the hobbit into some people <laughs> it can be really good especially if you start aiming at people's um mounts as well it can be can can scare them that way but i guess you take those out anyway with throw stones so yeah it, it's it's good and it's a good talking point do you want to uh, move back a page and go through the mayor with this tom yeah, so we've got the most fashionable Hobbit of all. We've got Will Whitfoot, the Mirror of Hobbit. And, oh, that model is fantastic. Uh, so at 30 points, uh, Hobbit Infantry Hero, Hero of Fortitude. He's got uh, Fight 2, Shoot 3, Strength 2, Defense 3, 1 Attack, 1 Wound, 4 Courage, 1 Might, 3 Will, 1 Fate, and has a Walking Cane, which is a Staff. So interesting, different weapon choice than what you usually see. You can get some interesting special strikes with those. Another model with Heroic Resolve. Uh, he has the standard resistance to magic and throw stones, and he has the active special rule, Mayor of Hobbiton. So at the start of the fight phase, he can elect to spend a point of will, and if he does so, friendly Hobbit models within six inches of him count as being in range of a banner. So that's why you take him. He's basically a walking banner, uh, and you get three chances of using it. Yeah, he's one that I tend to to save for the big games because, or, or actually really small games if I'm going for some theme and I don't want to take Frodo. So if I take Frodo, he doesn't often get a run. Uh, I really like him. I think the model's fantastic. And I do like banner effects, but because Frodo's banner is so good, it's it, if you've got a big enough battle line, it's definitely worth it because six inches is really good. 
Um, I don't think you can go too far wrong with him, 30 points. But he's one of those ones that, that he's competing with all those other 30-point Hobbit heroes you've got around. So you, you've got to make a choice. Like all the others, he's a hero of fortitude. So he's okay. Resolve can be handy. But he's, yeah, he's he's a, another banner effect like Frodo. But 30 points, if you've got the points, do it. If you don't, don't. Either way, you're probably happy because he's he's a nice model, but he's not going to lose you the game if you don't take him. If you don't take any banner, you're silly. But... I think if you take him, take him. If you're taking Frodo, you don't need him. He he's he has a place in uh, thematic lists. I find if you're not taking the kind of big four, mm, yes, uh, he he definitely has a place uh, with Gandalf. Is my kind of usual go-to for will for as you can obviously strengthen his will and keep that banner uh, up during the game. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yes, yeah. So that's that tends to be where I use him most. I agree, actually. He'll probably be my first choice or one of the first choices I take if I'm not taking Frodo because six-inch banner effects, you usually don't turn them down. But because you've already got Frodo, you may consider doing that. But yeah, he's he's a lot cheaper than Frodo. So you, if you're tight on points or you're going for a different theme, like you said, with the Gandalf, then then absolutely take him. And and he's such a nice model that, that if you like him, you take him just because you like him. He's not going to hurt your army that much if you take some of these guys just because you like the models. No, absolutely, and like I've implemented the uh, Will Whitfoot Best Dressed Award at one of the tournaments I've um, run recently. So, for <laughs> just encouraging people who come up in costumes. So, I think it's a he's a great model to have, and everyone loves him. And he's just he's a really characterful model to have around. He was the one uh, when the new Hobbit range came in from the the Scaring Australia that I was most excited about, just because of his dress. He's just he just looks so fantastic. He looks exactly like you imagine the mayor of Hobbiton looking like. He's still got exactly the Hobbit clothes, but he's got a fantastic jacket and and hat and and he's big uh, chains, big chains, yeah, lots of big chains. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, another one that I quite like, which was our late release ones, is uh, Gaffer Gamgee. So for thirty points, you've got thirty points. They all love to be around that thirty points mark. Fortitude again. Again, standard fighter, but he's got Courage 5 and 2 wounds. 1-1-1 one, one, one for the heroic stats. A spade, which is a staff again, which is interesting, interesting choice. Resistance to magic, throw stones, but leave my flowers alone as a passive rule. <laughs> so this is fantastic, just because you get three bases of flowers. At the start of the game, after both sides have been deployed, uh, Hamfast is controlling player, places the three flower markers anywhere on the board. Anywhere on the board's handy. These, plants has, these are plants that Hamfast has tended to, uh, they're open ground, so you can walk over them and stand on them. Interesting. However, the model may not finish their move on a flower marker. Okay, fair enough. Hamfast and friendly Hobbit warrior models within three inches of Hamfast re-roll wound rolls of one when throwing a stone or making strikes against an enemy model that is within four inches of a flower marker. So if a model's near a flower marker, you can throw stones better at them or you can wound them better. During the end phase, an enemy model may remove a flower marker from the board if they're in base contact with it, providing they did not fight in the preceding fight phase. Hamfast may reroll all failed wound rolls against any model that removes a flower marker in this way for the remainder of the game. So it gets a bit of a target on their head. It's a nice, fun rule, but I, I actually don't find a huge amount of, don't get a huge amount of use for them. He's in one of the scenarios, which I really enjoy. But this guy, once again, 30 points. You've got to choose the ones... I tend to avoid him just because it's just extra stuff going on. My opponents tend to trample the flowers pretty quickly and then I have to keep track of which models they are and they end up somewhere else because they move so fast. But it's 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 kind of a cool special rule. And and once again, if you like him, like we said with Will Whitfoot, go for it. Do you take him, Tom? I personally haven't yet, no. I'm looking for a reason to because I adore the little flower pots that came with him and I love the idea of a hobbit who's 
regardless of where you're playing around Middle Earth, he's just got like cultivated some flowers somewhere. You know, you might be in the uh, <laughs> yes. Gorgoroth plains, and he's just put a few potted plants out, and I think that's really charming. He he's he's a fun little rule, and you can tell that the rules writers had a lot of fun coming up with his stuff. But as you said, it's a lot more bookkeeping for an already bookkeeping heavy army. Yes, um, yeah. the, the game is slow, like really sometimes painfully slow when you play Hobbit. So adding in more layers of kind of complex synergies and stuff like that, it, it, it can really just exacerbate a problem that's already bad enough sometimes. Yeah, that that's definitely my concern there. Um, so you've got the next one, Falco. Falco, yes, absolutely. Now, he is, again, another model I haven't used yet, and I can't really find a point for him, but uh, maybe you can uh, shed some light on him for me and try and encourage me. He is a 20-point Hobbit infantry hero. He's a minor hero, which is the first one that kind of annoys me about him. But he's got the standard kind of Hobbit profile, Courage 3, no might, uh, 3 will, 1 fate. He is unarmed, he's resistant to magic, throw stones, and he has the passive rule, a helpful sort. So if he's within 3 inches of Frodo at the start of a turn, he may spend one of Falco's uh, will points to declare a heroic move instead of spending one of his own might points. Yeah, he's um, he's twenty points for three heroic moves. Yeah, if he had have been an independent hero, I think I would have preferred it because then you could mm. stick him in Frodo's warband. That's the kind of first thing that stands out to me. Three heroic moves for Frodo is quite useful, but Frodo doesn't tend to be the one calling heroic moves anyway. He's kind of quite deep in your lines, so if you're calling the heroic move with him, Frodo doesn't tend to move that much anyway. Oftentimes, it's Frodo who calls the heroic runaway. Yes, so, yeah, uh, the, exp- the expedition's retreat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so I don't mind it from that point of view. I think he's one of those ones that, that in a big game, he's probably hanging around there. Frodo in a small game, he's probably probably dropped off. The scenario he's in doesn't have Frodo in it, so he's pretty well useless. He's just, I think they designed him to be rubbish because he's unarmed. He's supposed to be a, a hopeless one. He's in the books, I think, so he's Frodo's friend. But I don't mind him being in there. He's sort of something to talk about, but... Once again, he's he's one of those luxuries you take when when you've got so many points. Like if you're playing that 600 point or more sort of Hobbit list, he's one you can start taking, and you just just throw guys in there if you want to keep it pure Hobbits. Yeah, and it, he just kind of takes up more space for me. To be honest, he at 20 points, I would rather take Robin Smallborough. I think he just adds more to the army with the march. Uh, but I mean, if you've got the points and you like him, go for it. Like he does offer something. Uh, I just think that he is generally a pretty easy target. And once he's gone, and if you haven't used those resources, he's kind of a bit of a waste, you know? Yeah, I think it's those those long game type type games you can probably find use for him because three heroic moves is pretty handy. And it's like heroic moves are good, but the Hobbit army is not one you really need to, to maximize points like that. You don't have to try and find the, the, the best and most efficient uses of your points. You can just throw in some more heroes and they have a point of might, so they can use a heroic move if they need to. So this guy, that's all he does. He only helps Frodo. So if Frodo goes down, he's not doing anything anymore. You've uh, really forces you your hand in that Frodo needs to be calling heroic moves to get any value out of him. But then again, his value is tiny. Like When, when a base hobbit is four to five points and he's 20 points, you're not wasting points, really. Like that's For most army, that's one elite troop that you're spending extra ones for potential three heroic moves. So I don't mind him, but I, f- I think he wouldn't be my first choice. He'll probably show up occasionally. He'll probably show up when I'm trying to confuse my opponent and throw different hobbits in each time. But other than that, I don't think he's the optimal choice. I don't think he's going to show up in, in absolutely honed lists. But big lists, he definitely will show up. Small lists, maybe not. 
Yeah, and he's another one of those named characters that's nice to see on the table, and it's always nice to see new models. Like, not many people kind of would be using him, to be honest, so it's always nice to kind of get something out there that's a bit unusual, and he um, he's definitely a kind of unknown quantity, so if you put him on the table, you can try and bluff and say he's a absolute stone-cold killer, but, you know... Just hope that they haven't read Scaring the Shire. <laughs> he's one of the, the the sort of least interesting Hobbit models, I think, with the, the heroes. He's just sort of sitting there he's waving. He's kind of waving, head. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So he's I, he's not my favourite one in that case either. I, I much prefer ones like the sheriffs and and the um, Will Whitford. He's not he's he's well dressed, but he's not fantastically dressed. So he he tends to to lose out just because I run out of spots because you do have to take some hobbits as well and the hobbits they, they add up eventually when you start taking them so we've got one more hobbit basic hero and then we've got some other special heroes and then another one hobbit one a little bit later as well is it my turn I think it might be let's do it is, yes. Lotho Sackville Baggins who I do like because he's he's good and evil he can be in the ruffian list as well I tend to take him more in the ruffian list and you'll see why soon so 30 points hero of fortitude he's got basically a rubbish profile so he's standard hobbit fight two strength two defense three and courage three tax wins one uh one might four will good one fate he's got a dagger so he can fight uh, he's got this resistance to magic and throw stones okay all good now his two special rules are, are the ones we take it for so family rivalry first of all maybe not the greatest special rule here Lothar Sackville Baggins may not take part in any heroic action that is declared by either Bilbo or Frodo Baggins Neither here nor there. Sometimes you can use that in a sneaky way. So if he's in range of it, you've got one model to move afterwards. So that can be handy at very times. Most of the time, it's just a nothing rule. It's just a cool thematic rule. This is the next rule. is a good one, though. Considerable wealth. Lotho can spend his will points to pay off models around him, which is always fun. He can, When an enemy model declares a charge against him, he can spend a will point to pay them off. On a roll D6, on a 1 or 2, the model charges him in normal, as normal and probably kills him. And then on a 3+, plus, the model stops an inch away from Lotho and may not charge. So basically blocks up space, which is really, really good. On a 3+, plus, especially on cavalry models, because there's no range on this one. So he's the one guy that can stop that cavalry charge, which the hobbits hate. Then he can spend a will point to pay off all friendly ruffian models. So this only takes place in the ruffian list, so this is pretty much irrelevant for this, this one. Within three inches, they automatically pass the next courage test. They have to ta- next courage test. They have to make that's interesting wording, but I think that's because there's lots of ruffians, so they're all taking a courage test. That is phenomenal uh, in the ruffian list. Not so good in this one, but he can do the same thing for the Hobbit list. But instead, they add one plus to their fight value until the end of the turn. That is huge because you can pay off all friendly Hobbit models within three inches. One plus the fight value, so you can get your basic sheriffs up to fight. Four. Yes, and this is exactly why I take him in uh, a particular thematic list that I have. It, it, it interests me that you take him in your ruffian list. Obviously, you fill up your ruffian list with as many heroes as you can, but yep. I think he is significantly more powerful in a Hobbit list because if you get fight four sheriffs with the effectively burly, <laughs> yes, you have now got a model that is way more powerful than most basic troops, and I think it is when you're telling people across the table from you that you've got fight four hobbits and you just see their mouths kind of just yeah. aghast oh, yeah, yeah. at you, it, it's so satisfying and I live for that kind of moment. 
you can make a little sheriff army. Like if you're running like a really, really small points level, having those two sheriff heroes and Lotho is, is actually a pretty effective force. So he, you're right. He is good. The thing I have a problem with is more that I always consider him as an evil model just because I don't like the Sackville Baggins is in the back of my mind are evil. Although I take Labelia all the time. So I probably will take Lotho. It's, Probably because in the new edition, I've played a lot more ruffians than I have uh, hobbits, and he's an auto-take in the ruffian list. Like he's he's basically all the heroes are auto-take. You take every single one of them, so he he gets a lot more game time in that one. But I could see him thirty points. He's one of those choices. I could see him being a really really good choice. Like that that fight four is just so good. Even just fight three for normal basic the the um, archers and things. But it's all hobbit models as well so the heroes can be bumped up as well so that's the big one yeah 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 he's just you're suddenly looking at sam at fight four with his heroic combats and well and like he he can start contending with his elven dagger and all that kind of stuff like he he's an interesting model to have i would say if you're playing against him if you ever get uh, the ability to shoot a hobbit model shoot this guy Yes, yeah, go for him immediately. And you'll notice, like, when I saw that rule when it first came out, the plus one to fight value, my brain, like, the gears just started turning in there, and he basically became the basis for the kind of engine of my Gandalf list. Uh, he, again, yeah. with the, using the will and strengthening the will and just keeping up that fight for, it is hilarious just kind of mowing through people with fight for hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I really like it. I think that's really cool. I almost have a problem with the Sheriff's fight value being three all there. I, I just, I, I maybe have talked about this before. I feel like a fight needs to be a little bit more granular because I feel like they, they shouldn't be the same as a, a trained minister of warrior, but I could definitely see them being the same with, with him paying them off. But yeah, to go up to fight four, you basically, fight four is the level that, that you're competing with pretty much everything in the game except for absolute elites. So to have hobbits at fight four means that suddenly you're winning a lot more fights than you're losing. If you're against another horde army, you're probably going to be having a higher fight value than them. Oh, it's so, so handy. He's got a limited will, so that's that's one of the disadvantages. But if you're taking Gandalf, you can definitely give him more and more. Um, I tend to... I do use the pay off the charge quite a bit. And when that goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong because he ends up dying. So, <laughs> yes, so almost immediate. Because I do have a problem with, with like the really quick cavalry charge, especially the ones with throwing spears or um, throwing weapons. They tend to make a real mess of the hobbits. So this guy's uh, in that kind of army. I might set him up to, to be a defense. But then again, getting fight four might be enough if they're not fight four to to receive the charge and then, then bump up the guys around him. So... Yeah, you're never going to go too far wrong if you take him. Keep in mind, though, if your opponent knows anything about him, they'll do everything they can to remove him early on. Yeah, he, he tends to be targeted pretty quickly. And if you're playing Fog of War or anything like that, he's generally always going to be the one that's going to go down first. Yeah, and I like if he's one of those guys where you have to pick a hero, yeah, like in Fog of War, I think you just, just pick him to kill him. Yeah, just get rid of him. Get, make sure he's not on the table. He's just too important to keep around. And so easy. And if he's if he's miles off, you've already won because he's not doing anything at that point. And his his rules are all based on being near near guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he kind of it's risk reward. You keep him close, and he can do some amazing things. But you know, you might not get him forever. I really do like his profile in terms of like thirty points is reasonably costly for a hobbit, but he's also easy to take out. But those special rules are are very very powerful. And, and I say the the ruffian one. The ruffians, their biggest problem is terror. So mm. he basically becomes a shaman for them. So that that's that's incredible. So that just that reliability, just to say that these guys are not going to be scared this turn, especially if someone's gone and channel terror or something nasty like that. 
it just just really really good. So he's he's good for both armies. It's cool that he can fit into both army lists. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a good one. I really like the model as well. The model's beautiful, uh, and I think he is kind of the absolute pinnacle of these new uh, Hobbit heroes that have been created, where they've come up with really interesting rules that aren't really seen in any other models. And I think they've kind of gone through and really thought about what makes this character different and actually given them rules that reflect who they are and stuff like that. So it's nice that they've actually put a lot of thought into it. And it's not just like a standard rule that you see on X amount of models, you know, like they've actually given him something that's quite applicable to him. I'm glad you get lots of use out of him as well. I imagine that would be a good one. Okay, so I'll move on to to Gandalf, and I'm going to go reasonably quickly through Gandalf because he's got so many rules, and we might just focus on the ones that are are very good for the Hobbits as much as anything. So you've got Wizard Profile, Fight 5, Strength 4, 4 plus to shoot, doesn't come up much, Defense 5, Attacks 1, Attacks 1 only, uh, Wounds 3, Courage 7, so he's never failing any Courage, just essentially he's so good at Courage. He's got 3 Might, but what you're taking for is his 6 Will and his free Will with his Staff of Power, so he can cast Magic pretty well every turn. He's got 3 Fate, which can be re-rolled because he's got a special Ring, Naya. Uh, he's got Glamdring, which is an elven made hand and a half sword, which is great for his Fight 5, which if you take him in a Hobbit army, he's going to be the highest Fight value straight up. And he's, he increases his strength by one when making strikes with it. Yeah, that's all cool. He's got heroic actions of resolve, which you don't really need because you've got that in your Hobbit army with other things potentially. Channeling, definitely very, very useful. Strike, very, very useful. So those two are the go-to with his might. He's got the cart and the horse, which are both very good options. Cart's particularly fun with the Hobbits. So you've got move eight, which is a little bit slower, but you've got three wounds, so you're not going to go down very easily. And you can start... At the start of every shoot phase, select one enemy model within six inches in the cart and roll a d6. On a four plus, they get a strength to hit. So you can start hitting things with fireworks, which is always good fun as well. It does mean he's on a massive base, which is actually not a bad thing in a Hobbit army sometimes. The horse is also very good, just the knockdown. And you've got the magical powers, blinding light, phenomenal in a Hobbit army. So basically making it so that you can shoot and they can't shoot particularly well. Terrifying aura is always good. Channeling that means that no one's going to get to him if they've got problems with terror. Immobilize. Great. Command, amazing. Move models around. Protection of the Valor. What's that one again, Tom? Protection of the Valor, I believe, is you can't be targeted by magic or something along those lines. It's one of the newer ones that I yeah. haven't seen come up too often. Oh, yeah. You, you, you do a model. That actually might be quite useful in the Hobbit army because there are there are models that people want to target. So that, that could be useful, but there's so many other good options that maybe you're not taking that one as your, your front line. Strength and will. There's lots of will tricks, so that might be worth doing, especially if you've got nothing else to do. That's the, the a great one for your free point of uh, will. Mm. And then, because you're basically just passing will around potentially. Collapse rocks, I love as a surprise, so I never talk about it. And then slowly, slowly sneak him into some difficult terrain somewhere around. And then collapse a whole bunch of rocks. So doing some damage to the opponent. And then Sorceress Blast is just good and reliable to be pushing things around and potentially hurting them. So he's expensive at 170 points and then more if you want the mount. But if any army can afford it, it's definitely the Hobbits. And you, yeah, it sounds like you've used him a bit, Tom. Do you agree with all that? So there's... One of two builds you can run with the Hobbits, and Gandalf is definitely kind of the the lead of the other one. And it's nice that he can lead troops. He becomes a hero of valor, so he steps down a tier when he joins the Hobbits, so he can lead 15. And uh, it's just so nice and thematic to have the cart. Like, it gives you an excuse to use that beautiful model, and it's got that cute rule with the fireworks, and that's always fun. And there are a lot of tricks. Like, I I tend to play quite techie armies. Like, I, I like little shenanigans with uh if this works and i can do this and if that works i can do that kind of thing so strengthening will and using these spells that you don't 
generally see uh, to kind of keep your army moving and make sure the machine is always kind of running. He, he's just a fun model, and it, it it's interesting that he becomes almost the strongest model in your army for fighting as well with that fight five and the the mount and all that kind of stuff. So he he's an interesting model to have around, and it he just fits so nicely in with a Hobbit army. Yeah, and he's not that different from the the price of those four Hobbits. So as a substitute, it's a really good option to give your army some some different playability options. So if you if you build it up and you build it with those four travelers, which most people do, just to be able to swap them out for a Gandalf and then use a lot more of the minor heroes and bring them to the front is is good fun as well. He he's just very useful. Wizards normally useful, and you're right, his combat is suddenly much more appealing because that fight value is so so impressive now in an army that's that's well gets up to fight four. We've got Lothar around, but still, just having fight five means you're matching it with other heroes. Those spells means you can be really aggressive you can always get lots of attacks so if you command someone towards yourself and then attack them hit them with a strike and then throw lots of hobbits into them you're pretty much going to take out most things so he's he's a really good fun option for the hobbits and nice and thematic and i love taking the cart just for the look of it i don't know if it's any better than the other stuff but it does hang around for a long time yeah yeah the cart it's just a great model and like if it ever was going to make sense in one army it's hobbits and the other thing as well is the cart gives him that massive base, which obviously has its negatives, but it also has uh, a huge footprint for something like Blinding Light as well, where in a kind of war of attrition where you're shooting and you've got ranged on every single model in your army, covering yeah. your army with Blinding Light and then just kind of sitting back and mowing people off the other side of the battlefield is, is a legit tactic, if uh, not a boring one, but it does work. It's a, It's the best way of telling your opponent... I'm going to go and do everything I can to win this game. You're going to have to come at me because I will suck all the fun out of the game. <laughs> I, I'm prepared to do this. That style of play. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to avoid the blinding light because I often find I don't need it and there's other cool stuff you can do with magic. But maybe yes. for a one turn, just to just to basically tell them that if you want to play the shooting game, I'll outshoot you. Then, yes. then maybe you do it, but I just, I yeah, so many other cool things you can do with him, and in a Hobbit army, because he's so survivable compared to everything else, I tend to be very, very aggressive with him, and I think that's kind of fun as well, because in other hot Gandalf armies I take, he's almost like avoiding combats, whereas in this one, he's front line, he's, he's fighting the good fight, and if he goes down and dies, well, too bad, he'll reform later on or something like that, or there'll be a, some plot armor on him. Yeah, he he almost feels like more like his Gandalf the White version in the in a Hobbit army. He becomes more of a combat like frontline character rather than a support. Yes, um, yes. So he, he he's just a fun character to have around and very different. Like it's nice to inject some magic into the game, and uh, it's nice to see him on the table in kind of different lists. Yeah, no, I I do like and look, he's probably one of the main reasons you don't take the Legendary Legion, which we'll talk about shortly but yeah if you're taking the gandalf version you don't you don't get the, the defenders of the shire legendary legion and and it's, it's a fun way of playing it gives you another option uh he also sometimes you'll take the dunedain so you want to talk through the dunedain tom yeah so we'll quickly go through the dunedain so basically if you take gandalf in your list you can unlock uh taking dunedain with you so the 25 points they're a man infantry hero and are an independent hero generally but in a hobbit list they bump up to a minor hero so they can take six hobbits along with them You've got move six, fight four, uh, three plus shoot, strength four, defense four, one attack, one wound, four courage, and then they've got one, 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 might, will, and fate. They have uh, sword and bow and heroic accuracy and can pay for a, a spear for one point. So they're, they're a decent little hero. They kind of 
in the same price range as most of the named uh, Hobbit heroes, and they just offer something a little bit different. Yeah, I agree. I wish that you could also take them with uh, Bandabrest Took without Gandalf as well. I think that would be really cool if you could do that as well. Um, but but they're fine. They're 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 good little Mike caddies. They they're good fight value as well. So I think they're quite handy in the Gandalf list as an alternative to the Hobbits. If you want to take them, they can take the spear, which is really good go to for one point because it gives you some more options. And once again, if you're using Gandalf as a hitter, you might want to throw a spear behind him if you run out of base space. Uh, they're good good courage, good strength, and yeah, they're 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 fun models. They don't have the two attacks that that they they do in the the super list for them, but I don't mind that as well. They're Another good shooting option. Another they fit really well in the the Hobbit army. Yeah, I think my main criticism of taking with Hobbits is there's just genuinely so many more interesting named heroes that you could be taking for a similar price and have different rules. And you know, if you're taking Hobbits, run Hobbits. Like the Dunedain have their place. Like the Strength Four is useful, but it's nice to see all kinds of different characters out there on the battlefield as well. I take them for the um, Greenfield's army. If I take take Gandalf, yes. Dunedain, Bandabras, and then Hobbits. I think they're a good thematic option for that one. But yeah, you're right. There's so many so many named hobbits now that, that you're probably going to go for a different age. So unless you're writing a scenario or doing a special theme force, they're okay, but they're also there's other okay options as well. So you don't need them. Uh, they, they're neither here nor there. Their courage value is helpful, but yeah. They're, they're, I, think, I think it's funny that they have the Dunedain in the list, but then in the Battle for Greenfield scenario, they have Rangers of the North. <laughs> they have the other one. I think, yeah, maybe that was from a time when they didn't have the Dunedain. I can't quite remember. I think the Rangers of the North profile came out before it. So I think it might be a, the old copy it was, paste. It would be interesting if you could take the Rangers of the North because they have access to horses. So that would be a different uh, kind of dynamic altogether. Um, but the Dunedain are fine. I just think there's other options available. The Duna, uh, Rangers of the North sorry, would be actually a really good choice because their horse option is quite expensive now with 40 points, but this is an army that, that you, you know, when you get to the point where if nothing else does what you want the army to do, you, you pay whatever it costs. And a Hobbit yeah. army for cavalry, yeah, you'd pay that. You you would absolutely would if, you, if you're designing your army around that because they're doing something that no one else is doing. Yeah, they, they fill a, a, like a niche that you just can't fill otherwise, basically, apart from Gandalf and um, Bora. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I might take the next one. So we've got uh, an old favourite, Bilbo Baggins profile. Now, this is the the original Bilbo Baggins profile with the old Ian Holmes uh, model, which is, which is a great model, classic one. It's been around since the, the start. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, 40 points, uh, so not too bad. Hero Fortitude, you've got Defensive 2, which is rubbish. You've got Fight 3, which is okay. Wounds 2, Courage 6, 1 Might, 3 Will, 3 Fate. If your force contains Frodo, Samwise, Pippin, or Merry, I think it is, yes, yes, you lose the army bonus, and there'll be impossible allies of any, every other list, regardless of what their alliance would be. So don't take him with those guys. Take him for a journey to Rivendell-type force if you want to. He's got a dagger. He's got heroic resolve. He can add the Mithril Coat if no one other model has it for 15. So bumping up his defense to, what is that, five? Five. Uh, yeah, yep, five. Uh, he can take Sting for five points, which is a pretty good option for strength three. And he can carry the ring, which is the option that you want to take if you have the option to do that. So if Frodo's not in the force, which quite frankly probably shouldn't be unless you're doing like a, a Frodo and Bilbo, some sort of theme based out with not the nine fingers Frodo, yeah, give him the ring. Absolutely. It's one of those corner case models where you, you pretty much design a list around him or you use him as a cheeky ally for, for some other forces. He doesn't tend to show up in the Shire force that often, 
but he he shows up more, I think, in in other forces. I've seen a lot of Rivendell players use him as a as a nice ally for for them. Or I think he maybe he's even in the Rivendell list as a native model. I'm not quite sure about that offhand, but I yeah, do, he so, he's part of the Rivendell list now. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that, that's probably the place for him. Ring is very useful, and the model is very useful, but it it's the the restrictions. Taking a Gandalf and Bilbo list is probably a good fun as well, so you can take him in that one, but I don't tend to use him a whole lot except in the scenario, which is the the Journey to Rivendell one. The Gandalf and Bilbo list is actually one of the ones I've got for you later. <laughs> oh, cool, enough. cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm... He, um, I, he, with the ring popping that on and traveling around with um, Gandalf, it suddenly makes Gandalf even scarier in a fight with that fight five. And, uh, I, I mean, Bilbo is my favorite character in any of the books so i i'm always delighted to get him on the table and the old model is still holds up as one of like the nicest sculpts i think in all of the middle earth range it's it's such a lovely sculpt and with the fight three he's fine but with the um elven blade of sting in the ring he he's he's just a useful little utility character and he's got courage six so he's barely ever going to be failing the what do you call it the temptation of the yeah whatever it is whatever yeah yeah, i can't remember the name and then with the extra like hobbit horns and stuff like that, you, you're barely ever going to fail. So you can keep him invisible and just wander around and be a nuisance with him. I've heard um, people take him in Rivendell list, especially just to deny. I think it's Golem the Ring, and and whatever the chain is to, to stop the the Goblin Town players going going overboard with him. Yeah, I can see. I can see. I think you you're swaying me on that. It's it's definitely the alternate list. So you have the essentially the Bywater list, and then you have the other Hobbit list, and he's definitely placed in the other Hobbit lists and, and a probably good option in that other Hobbit list. And do you want to go through our last good option in the other Hobbit list? In the other Hobbit list, yes, of course. Uh, where is he? We've Same got, page, uh, 21. The Brass Took, yes. Uh, we've got him, Hobbit Cavalry Hero, uh, Hero of Valor for 40 points. Uh, so movement four, uh, fight three, shoot three, strength three, defense four, two attacks, two wounds, courage five, two might, one will, one fate. Uh, if your force contains Brandabras Took and any other named Hobbit hero, uh, it will automatically lose its army bonus and it will automatically be impossible allies with every other army list. Uh, he comes with a club and horse, so he's already equipped the horse. You don't have to purchase it. Uh, he has Heroic Strike and Heroic Strength, which I believe, apart from Sam, is the only other Hobbit that has Heroic Strength. And he has the Resistant to Magic and Throw Stones. He's a fun little model. Yeah, I, look, he's one one of my favorites for a long, long time, just because the model's fantastic, and I like the the Greenfield scenario as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I don't think Sam has strength. I think Sam's got strike as well and, and resolve, so I think he might be the only strength. But I don't use strength very often. Uh, he's the interesting part is you can take other named Hobbit heroes with him. You just lose the army bonus, which we haven't talked about. That's just the one where you can move through woods, isn't it? Yeah, you get woodland creature. Yeah, so honestly, that's not the end of the world if you lose that. So if you really want to take a Band of Breast themed army and you want to take Justice Hobbits, you could definitely take things like Paladin and um, Lotho and some of the others and just call them generic Hobbits, even rename them if you wanted to, just to make it from another age. And yeah, you wouldn't get the army bonus, but that's probably a fair trade-off. I really like Band of Breast. I think he's a good, fun model. I've used him in competitive Hobbit armies in the past where I've basically taken him and, and some... Just, I think I took Paladin as a as a stand-in for other heroes, and the movement's fantastic. The knockdown's fantastic. He's a, he's a good fighter for a Hobbit, of course. Strength three, but he's got the strike if you need it. 
and he's he's dirt cheap. Forty points for a cavalry hero is is good. So I, I have a lot of fun with with Bandabras. Hero Valor means he's probably going to be a leader in a Hobbit army. If you take Gandalf, you can choose which one, which I think I know who I'll choose, quite frankly, in that one. But <laughs> he's a, a good option. Safe bet. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just interesting that he comes with the horse automatically, which means unless he gets dismounted, you might not get to use that lovely little foot model he's got. Yeah, which I'm fine with because I like the horse model as well. Yeah, the horse model's lovely too. <laughs> I, I actually do like this where they've got the heroes in their theme with their set war gear already because there's then there's no temptation to not take him with a horse. I, I think that's a, a good one. And they can play around with the points a little bit more as well. Instead of it's always their standard, it's whatever it is, 10 points for a horse. You just, just bake it into the profile and make it a whole thing appropriately costed. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. It's like if you take that horse away from him, he's suddenly a 30-point model with two attacks, two wounds, and whole bunch of might and stuff like that so he's very well costed i feel yeah no i've never been upset about his cost and he he's not he's not anything to write home about in terms of comparison to other armies but in a hobbit army he's just he just stands out so much and not just because he's he's got the impressive model he just just the ability to knock down he's he's just really aggressive and now that they took the charge charge bonuses away from the ponies he really does his own thing yeah, I, I feel like they missed an opportunity to give him like an interesting special rule because I know uh, he's kind of contemporary or kind of his opponent uh, in Golfing Ball has the kind of fleshy mass or whatever it's called, some yeah. unpleasant name. Like it, it just would have been nice to see um, Bull Roarer get some kind of uh, special rule as well. Like they, they would have had plenty to work with, but um, he's still a very, very good hero. I would have loved something like a, a lucky shot where if he rolls a natural six to wound, he counts as D3 wounds or something like that, just to just to highlight him knocking your head off with a with his club. Yeah, or like even something as simple as like hatred goblins or something like that. Like, oh, absolutely, yeah. Just, just throwing something like that in there, just something different to the rest of the army. It'd just be just a little bit more spice to add to the mix, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of that accurate club or something like that where if you kill yeah. a model, you can place a marker down a hole somewhere on the board and then invent golf. And if you get it down there, you automatically win the game. Hole in one. <laughs> That's a very Harry Potter-esque way of ending the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just instantly win. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you should do that. That's a good 40-point model. I like it. <laughs> okay, get so the rules writers in. I'm going to do the, the boring Hobbit Militia, standard profile, move four, one fight value, which is totally appropriate. So shoot three pluses, which is amazing. Strength two, defense three, attacks one, wounds one, courage three, four points, which has gone up a little bit since the past, but it's probably more appropriately costed. You get good war gear choices, dagger, axe, or hammer. You basically take what's on the model because you're going to take a lot of these. It's not worth converting them all up, but I, I think the axe is a standout one of those that people tend to, to gravitate towards. Dagger's quite useful, though. Uh, hammer can can have some uses, but not as much as the others, I don't think. Resistance to magic is very, very handy, and throw stones is their bread and butter. That that makes what them hobbits, and, and it's really good. Eight-inch range, strength one, the Hobbit Militia. Uh, Tom, do you do anything sneaky with the the hand weapons on them, or do you just go with what the model has? I usually go with what they have. Um, I try and make my, you know, cheese it up a little bit with my Battle and Brandy Bucks and make sure they all have axes. Yes, yes. Um, because that's just how you have to play with them, unfortunately, if you want to be successful. The one thing you may have noticed this as well is I always get asked, do they have two-handed weapons? Because most of them are yes. fighting with big two-handed hammers and stuff like that, and you'd have to say... No, it's just a single-handed. They're just little guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish they were may, maybe hand and a half weapons for them would be would not be out of the question. Maybe if you you take the dagger, you don't get it. But if you take an axe or a hammer, you get hand and a half. I don't know. 
It's, It'd be it, an interesting change. You might throw caution to the wind a bit and start um, actually using two-handed a little bit more. Yeah, well, they're the kind of guys that you actually probably wouldn't care because when you do it, you've probably got two, three, four attacks in there. And strength is their Achilles heel. And I almost would have preferred that than the way they get all the strength bonuses. Just to, to do extra wounds that way, maybe maybe would have been okay. But yeah, I think you're playing with their balance a little bit at that point. But you're right. I get asked that all the time. Like, why aren't you using them as two-handed weapons? Well, I can't. They're only can't. hand weapons. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a thing. <laughs> I'm not allowed yeah. to. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Okay, the Hobbit Archer, you can take that one. Hobbit Archer, classic model. For five points, you get a fight two, uh, three plus to shoot, so excellent. Uh, two strength, three defense, one attack, one wound, three courage. And they're equipped with a dagger and a short bow. So a short bow is an 18-inch strength two bow. I believe it used to be just the standard 24. Yeah, it? it used to be. This is a big change. Yeah, so they've lost a bit of uh, effective range. And uh, as an optional uh, uh, war gear, they can take a war horn for 30 points and... I would hazard that most Hobbit lists will take a Warhorn with them, and they yeah. have just the standard special rules of resistant magic and throw stones. Yeah, you tend to get the... Because you usually play the points level where you've got enough models, 30 points is it affects your whole army, so that's fantastic. You stack it with Mary's Horn, which is fantastic, and the model with the horn is just so cool. So I think yeah. you take it yeah, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite models. Oh, look, I really love the changes to these guys because they were probably a little bit too powerful when they were four points and had a regular bow. So with a short bow, it means you can be outranged with shooting. So if you get a shooting war, if someone's got long-range shooting, they can beat you in it. So that that's that's nice. I like the changes as a Hobbit player rather than as someone who plays against Hobbits. As a Hobbit player, the changes make me feel less guilty because they they, they were silly before when they when you had strength six militia and you had the hobbit archers that were shooting from across the board and and that sort of stuff so that's nice changes you've noticed i've played the alternating game perfectly because i get the sheriff as the last model so <laughs> very happy so with it. like you know what you're doing <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. this is this is they're playing the long game here so the sheriff is pretty much every hobbit player's favorite model and you pretty much take as many sheriffs as you have the models of them so it's basically how many you've bought because for the price of a feather you pay one point over a, a militia you give them a feather cap which costs you one point you upgrade your fight value by two for a feather cap and you get a hand and a half club so these guys have got the hand and a half weapons which of course you remember back to the the hero uh, whole foot who can make them into just no penalty for them fantastic they're still resistant to magic still throw stones but the fight three Fight three is great for a hobbit because it means that you only need one of them in the fight to get fight three and be fighting off against orcs and, and humans and this sort of stuff. But also with your combination you talk about before with Lotho, these guys are gold because you can get them up to fight four is silly. Silly. So that feather is just amazing. That fighting feather, worth getting. The models look great. They're really cool. I really like how they stand out. Just the it's it's something so simple. But it's so obvious. You can always see where the sheriff is. You never mistake them. The weapon choice and the hat means that you can always see them no matter what crazy colors you paint them. Yeah, it's a nice aspect of kind of uniformity in what is otherwise a pretty interesting and varied army. So you've got a lot of colors. But if you add in that kind of more professional fighting force, it, it, it really does stand out on the table. Yeah, I've seen people have given them like a uniform coat and hat, and that looks really cool to have them like in a special uniform. Mine have got all different colors, but all the feathers are white, so they stand out as well. It doesn't really matter how you do it, but I, I think how many sheriffs you take is pretty much how keen you are for winning games. So when you see these armies that are like two-thirds sheriffs, you know that they're, they're trying to go all in on maximizing the list, it feels like at times, when I've got, I don't know how much I own, 12 of them, I think. How many do you have? 
30 something. There you go. There's a difference. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like you've been reading my lists already. (laughs) (laughs) Do you agree? Like if you, if you can just take more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Generally the only militia I tend to take in my army now are Batlon Brandy Bucks. And that mainly from laziness of trying to make sure that I'm not mixing up the strength two militia with strength three. So I take all of my, militia is battling brandy bucks if i can and then i just fill the rest with sheriffs generally yeah so the way my hobbit um, army evolved i got my standard one that was for the old scenario so it was pretty small had had i think four sheriffs and some archers and some militia and they ended up acquiring another hobbit army from someone second hand and so i added all together i had to end up getting some more sheriffs because they had a similar structure as well of only four sheriffs so i've got like 12 sheriffs but i've got they like 24 archers and something like 30 or 40 militia. So my armies tend to be much more militia and, and archer heavy. But I guess if I had the sheriffs, I would take them because they they are silly good. Like they're, they're, uh, Probably from a balance point of view, they could afford to be even a point more just to make you think about whether you want to take them. Because at the moment, just mm. take them. Just take them. Yeah, and like it, we seem to have lost the strength six crazy militia, but now we've got potential for fight for burly sheriffs instead. So yeah, someone out there really liked hobbits, and I'm glad of that fact. <laughs> we know that the the latest interview Jay talked about how much he loves hobbits, and you you can see that I don't think he's trying to make them overpowered. I think the fact that they've they've gone up some points is trying to mitigate that a little bit. But they just because they have so many options and so many combinations and so many bases on the ground, just bases on the ground in, in this game really does help. So they're, they're a good, good option. They have their weaknesses, which we'll talk about in this tactics coming up soon. But if you like Hobbits, then you've got, you're spoiled for choice. Absolutely spoiled for choice. You've got three profiles to choose from with your basic infantry, and they all have their place. Yeah, and none of them are bad. So I know that I don't take as many sheriffs as you, but I never feel like I'm I'm at a disadvantage for it. So I can always play. There's, I, I maybe I probably lean into the throw stone strategies a little bit more than the combat stuff, but I I, I definitely win my fair share of games with them, and I I never really feel that I'm I'm really outgunned entirely, except when I play a Mulmuk in Maelstrom of Battle and it stomps over me all in the in the first time it comes on. Yeah, that's the tough scenario to have to play. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard one. We're playing one of those run to the middles with it, and I, I got my army on, and it came on just behind me immediately. And even though I had marched as fast as I can, it ran over three quarters of my army in, in one turn. Oh, good lord. Uh, that's a painful situation to be in, and I, <laughs> I feel very sorry for you. <laughs> it was a quick game. Yeah, that's also a bonus. A quick early lunch. Okay, so I think that's... Have I covered everything? Maybe we should just quickly go through the Legendary Legion at this point and just say what the, the difference is, is in that one. So Defenders of the Shire list limits you to Frodo, Sam, Mary, Peregrine, Paladin, Farmer Maggot, Lobelia, uh, Fatty Bulger, Farmer Tolman Cotton, Rosie Cotton, Will Whitfoot, Holville Bracegirdle, Robin Smallborough, Hamfast Gamgee, Folko Boffin, Boldo Tolpenny, and the Hobbit Militia, Archers and Sheriffs. So basically you get every Hobbit except for the ones that aren't part of that Bywater type theme i feel like you get almost more than you need at this point as well so your defenders of shire you're not really copying any real penalty for this if you're taking those hobbits you probably were anyway and you get some bonuses for them so the additional rules are that you must always include mary and pippin so that's the both of them and mary's always the leader so that's that's set in stone the hobbit militia and mary's warband must be upgraded to battling brandy bucks so i'm sure you feel bad about that tom and oh, yeah, very, very sad. About that. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and the Hobbit archers in Pippin's Warband must be upgraded to Tookish Hunters. So you can get around this if you just don't put those models in the Warbands as well. So I don't mind this. If you don't like those profiles, you don't have to take them. You can be clever, but why not? Why not? Special rules, though. You've got the standard Fear Fire Foes, so your Woodland Creature, which is pretty useful in a Hobbit army because it means that you don't mind fighting in the woods then because you can pretty much match everyone else's speed at that point. The woodland creature is a big thing because if you don't have it, suddenly a wood is the most difficult thing to cross in the world because you're only moving two inches. So oh, yeah. suddenly a tiny little thicket can be an arduous journey. So it, it might not be a, a big thing in every board, but making sure you have it, you can suddenly still move faster than most standard infantry. It's probably more useful for your objective catchers, catchers and those sort of guys because your Hobbit army often avoids the difficult terrain because you want a nice open area to encircle when you finally get into combat. So, But it, yeah, you, you never turn away a woodland creature or something like that. That's a good rule. So uh, Hobbit heroes can benefit from the Standfast and Mary, which is very useful, especially those occasional Hobbit heroes you get that aren't as reliable at Courage. So that's that's quite useful. Because you've got the horn, it's not the end of the world if you don't have that, but it's a nice bonus. Uh, you get more traps here, and this is this is probably why you take this one. So you get eight traps. At this point, you may be taking the additional eight traps, so going up to 16 traps, and you can cause all kinds of problems. So you're putting a wall of traps that, that either forces your opponent to go really slowly towards you or to just run through traps and have some guys knocked over and maybe hurt or, or just being frustrated. Extra bookkeeping, but at least at least once they're used, they, they throw them away mostly, except if they're a hole. Uh, and you've got the ambush special rule. So at the start of the game, before models are deployed, you select a single warband led by a hobbit hero that's not one of those four named ones, and that warband is ambushing, does not deploy on the board as normal. In the, instead, once both players have cleared their third movement phase, third movement phase, you've got to choose one of the following. Uh, move on to the board from any board edge by reinforcements, which could be tricky if you have to get off that board edge again. And then deploy in or within one inches of a wood-building rocky outcrop, which is really cool. Anything that hobbits can hide in, you can't come from a river because they don't like water. And then you basically, uh, I don't think you can move further that turn. So you just you just appear, which is so good. And you've got so many options for it. So I like I know the traps are good, but that ambush actually I think is probably the better special rule. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, that is generally what has won me games quite a lot with the hobbits. It's effectively the same rule as the goblin mercenaries for mm, um, yes. like Goblin Town and stuff like that. It really does cover one of the major weaknesses of the Hobbit force, which is mobility. So having uh, a warband kind of pop up in the backfield or even just off the board, it can really kind of throw a spanner into the works for your opponent. They have to think about where it's going to come up and you can really start um, playing with them a little bit. And it's it's just an interesting... uh, It it was a rule that came out that I wasn't expecting at all. Uh, for the hobbits but i'm very very glad it's there and it's just another interesting dynamic for them yeah i i kind of like the the choices you get as well about who deploys in the backfield because like i know that the the edge from reinforcements could be cool but i really like the idea of essentially um having labelia pop up in around a building or something like that behind enemy lines so when the game starts to get tight she can start running at the enemy from behind them and then not get the disadvantage to you. So I think she's a good choice. But there's also so many other good choices as well. Uh, you can really design your warbands that way. So I do like that special rule. I kind of wish they had it in the other Hobbit rules. And I kind of wish I had it in my Ruffin army, Ruffian army as well. It's just it's just a really fun way of deploying and, and keeping the game moving. Because Hobbit games aren't particularly movement heavy. So it's a good way to encourage it a bit. Yeah, it, it's just it, 
it also it makes you think about who is going to be that model who is going to ambush like certain characters lend themselves to it more than others but you kind of want to throw in someone who is a bit more kind of confident in their abilities by themselves so you don't want to start throwing in any of your support heroes or or you don't want to throw in a whole foot brace girdle and isolate him from the rest of your army or anything like that but like you can throw in a farmer maggot if it's not a scenario objective farmer maggot's not a bad shout because you can then deploy in your grip fang and wolf um with him out kind of behind some enemy forces and you can send the dogs out to go cause some carnage and stuff like that so it's an interesting kind of rule to have, and it de- generally does make you think differently about how you deploy your forces. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, Maggot or Lobelia are probably the go-to for those ones because of just two different ways. Farmer Maggot, it really does increase the speed of the dogs if you can set them up backfield, especially if you're playing one of those games like, um, what's the one where you have to, is it Reconnoiter, where you have to get through enemy lines? That would be... yeah. Reconnoiter, you can't deploy anywhere on the battlefield apart from the forge. Uh, that's stipulated in there. But you might yep. be able to in Breakthrough, which is the new scenario in the match yeah, play handle. Or, um, or the one where you have to get to the camp, I think, potentially. Oh, storm the camp? Yeah, you'd yeah. be able to. Yeah, You could probably just deploy in their camp, which would be hilarious. But uh, <laughs> yes. that would be an ambush and a half. I'm just here already. <laughs> yeah. At that point, you definitely take your big warband if you can, so the, the 12 models. Yeah. So, so that's where Farmer Maggot would be pretty useful as well, because you just throw throw a whole bunch of militia in his army and bulk up uh, in his warband and bulk them up. So, yeah, that, that's that's a really cool option. It's it's a, Some of the legendary legions, I don't know if they're absolutely necessary because you already play the army themed so most of the time, but it's it's, it's a good bonuses. I, I feel like there's probably a few too many Hobbit options in this one. I don't know if all those ones. It's essentially Battle of Bywater, so I don't know if yeah. all of them are there. I know you, the key one you lose is Lotho because he was dead at that point, so... Um, I can't see any others that you're really missing. Well, it was interesting that you said it limits you too and then went on a huge spiel of reeling off pretty much every hero yeah, that we've exactly. already covered. It, it doesn't really feel limiting. No, and no. It's interesting that this Legendary Legion was obviously written uh, to kind of counter the Ruffian Legendary Legion and it, it just feels, on a power level, significantly more competitive. Oh, it's incredibly more, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I've taken this um, Legendary Legion to a few tournaments now and have always had a really good time with it. And uh, you can actually surprise quite a few people with it as well, especially with that mobility and the traps especially. Yeah, it's it's got so much extra stuff in it as well. I, I'm just looking through some of the heroes and thinking that maybe ones like um, Rosie might not be needed in this Legendary Legion because that, that suddenly gives you a choice as well because I don't know how much fighting she did at Battle of Bywater. Um, just just maybe some other choices where the, the standard list is good as well. But no, it is what it is, and, and it's it's very powerful. And if you're taking the four travels, unless you're really, really keen for Lotho, which you might be actually because you've, you've convinced me that he's pretty good, then you're probably going to take this. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one to take. And like I'm all for kind of interesting legendary legions. It, it really does bump up the kind of thematic nature and everything like that. So it's a, uh, it's a fun one, and you've got plenty of options. And... Having Mary as the leader, kind of the enforced leader, I think is a good shout because you can kind of be a bit more reckless with Peregrine and his kind of hero killing ability, so you don't feel so bad about throwing him into a troll or a uh, a low level hero or something like that. I guess it does stop the the standard Hobbit where you you take five hundred points or so of Hobbits and then you add in like an Elf Warband just to up your fight value of spears. So it does does stop that, which might be okay. So. Maybe it's a good change. Maybe from a thematic point of view, it does its job. I'm not sure at all levels, but 
Yeah, look, it's not too bad. It's definitely more powerful than the ruffians, but I think that's more on the ruffians than the than the hobbit ones. Quite frankly, the hobbits themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think we can blame the hobbits for the the hopelessness of the ruffians. <laughs> Tom, unfortunately, as you're on the Green Dragon, you were acquired in Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe to do exactly the opposite of the title of this segment. So you need to tell us all about Hobbits because you've been using them quite a bit lately. So I'm going to interview you a little bit and you're going to go through the Hobbit tactics and then perhaps I'll chime in with with my experience as well if they're any different or if they're the same, I might mention that as well. So for Keep It Secret, first of all, Hobbits are unique in that they are the only army that has a base movement of four with very few things that can can increase the movement. So how do you play around this, Tom? Yeah, the movement is a real kind of sticking point for a lot of people with a Hobbit army. They look at the four inches and think it's a kind of a massive disadvantage. And in a way it is, obviously. This is a movement-based game and a lot of strategies revolve around movement. But I think with the uh, the new book that's come out, the Scaring the Shy book, it's kind of tackled that and uh, has given a lot of ways to get around it. So, for example, there's a lot of heroes now that have Heroic March, which is quite a useful way to uh, get around the mobility. And they've also put the uh, the ambush tactics in as well. So the in the Legendary Legion, the ability to deploy a warband kind of off the board and have them appear out of terrain later on in the game is, is very, very useful. So you kind of have to work around your weaknesses and you really have to make a decision early on with what you're going to do because you don't have that uh, mobility to be able to change directions rapidly or redeploy rapidly very similar to playing like an army of the dead kind of thing you have to have your plan in your head at the start and go for it basically yeah very true it's an interesting time for hobbits because in the last edition where they're probably a little bit more powerful than than they are, well, maybe not a little bit more powerful. They're very different, and their power was was manifested in a different way. But they they didn't have a problem with marching because every hero had a bit of might, and every hero could march. So there was that time when this this new edition came in where they took the march away. But in the Scary of the Shire, we've got it back. So there's the main hobbits that have the march are the the sheriff leaders. So they're they're good for keeping people moving. And you find that oftentimes you only need a couple marches a game. Even some games you don't need them. I find that with movement, I can use my shooting, which we'll talk about soon, to force my opponent not to move very much. And that means I get to move. So even if I'm moving slowly, my movement is suddenly better than theirs. So I can outrun people at times by by scaring them and moving them into to little bottlenecks with the shooting and, and moving around that way. And as you said before, which we'll cover a bit later on, the traps are a clever way of doing it as well. So you've got some advantages to, to, to move. And I find that sometimes it's just a matter of Okay, if you're going to enter a battlefield or you're going to deploy, deploy long and take up a lot of the battlefield because you can always condense your formation later on. But what you don't want to do is be all in one area and then your opponent just run around the side of you or be out of control where the battle's fought. So having a big wall of models means that even if it's a little bit slow, you can still make sure you cover all the areas. And if your opponent tries to concentrate force on one area, you've still got some models you can move around and sort them out. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very good suggestion. And that's what I find myself doing in a lot of uh, scenarios these days is kind of 
you have the models to be able to be in a number of places at once, which some armies don't have the luxury of. They kind of have to focus in one spot. But just with the amount of models that you can put down on the table, you can really uh, have some impressive board control. Yeah, very much so. So when when I'm doing that movement, you've got to plan ahead of where you need to be and where you need to fight combats. And you can so usually it's either right in the middle of the board if it's one of those take the middle type scenarios. So you're going to have to fight eventually. You've got two options there. You can either run to the middle and contest on the middle with your superior numbers, or you can let the opponent overrun the middle and then sort of run behind them almost. So so bait them forward, use your slow movement, use your shooting to make them come at you. Because one thing people would do is almost always run at hobbits because hobbits look really weak, and they are. They are. So they run at them. You can use that to your advantage when you're maneuvering. So you can draw them, keep going backwards a little bit, draw them forwards, draw them forwards until they can no longer support. And then either use your fast stuff to get to the middle or get to the objectives or to just encircle them with hobbits and then push a rear rank behind them. So you've got some maneuver options there. Things like uh, Reconnoiter can be really challenging. What do you do in that one, Tom? Yeah, Reconnoiter is the kind of bane of the Hobbit list, but you, ha- you have got some tricks. Usually I take Farmer Maggot just because I think he's one of the, the better Hobbit heroes to have in your list, and he obviously comes with Grip, Fang, and Wolf. And there you've got three models with eight-inch movement who are very low profile and you can get across the board quite quickly. So if you can get them off in a kind of expedient way... It does open up a kind of interesting dynamic in the fact that your opponent probably wasn't expecting you to get anything off so soon. So <laughs> it's uh, it's just about keeping moving, and you've got enough models to tie up their main force and sneak a few around. You know. Yeah, I will try to. I'll use Farmer Maggot's might to get them on as soon as possible. So if I fail the first reinforcement roll, I'll probably spend the might to get them on because even if you don't go all the way to the edge, because they're so hard to see and they're so easy to hide. If you spread them out with no hero, it means you, the, your opponent has to put models towards them, and oftentimes those models are slower, so they eventually will will get you eventually get around them. But you could also send one of those Hobbit heroes on pony. So Pippin's particularly good for this, or Mary, or Sam, one of the ones that can fight combat. Frodo's not so good at this, but send them as a, a dog escort, and then suddenly you've got a force that even if a, a few models come to stop you, you can often fight your way through them and get a model off. Yeah, and as as you said, the hobbits on um, ponies are an excellent choice to kind of bodyguard the dogs as well, because I think Merry and Pippin both have march as well. Yeah, you can definitely use their their march. I tend to find that their might is really at a premium, but if that's going to win you the scenario, absolutely use it. So that that's very true. I would yeah try to throw the sheriff's one away sometimes first, but yeah, you, you, could, you could because you're moving so fast with them. You could potentially do that. Just watch out. Sometimes a canny opponent will try to trick you into doing that, and then they'll throw their whole force at Grip, Wolf, and Fang and those two Hobbit heroes. And if they take those out, you've lost a lot of your strike power and a lot of your speed as well. So just be wary of that. It's not always the best idea to send them out on their own. Guarding in Reconnoiter, stopping your opponent getting off the board, I find is not too bad. Because you've got so many models, you can often just delay them by throwing bodies in their way. And you've got enough shooting weapons that if something gets through, you've got at least a chance to shoot it down before it gets off the board. Yeah, totally. It the hobbits kind of basically play as a defensive force a lot of the time. Uh, maybe not kind of through high defense or anything like that, but basically through attrition. Like they can hold out a surprisingly long amount of time before they start uh, fracturing and coming off the board. So if you can use your numerical advantage to basically put a stop to any of the opponent breaking through or anything like that, absolutely go for it. And it's a kind of army that the, if they break, it's not the end of the world because their courage is so good. They've got 
all these, we've got war horns around, potentially even two of them. I think they're the only army I know that consistently will take two horns. And so you've got all this courage bonus around. So you're often not running away. You've got so many heroes that if one or two of your heroes passes their courage tests, you often get a whole swarm of models staying together. And when you break, you've often still got 20 models or more on the board, which is sometimes it's a whole force for another army. So you don't mind that, and you will kill things. Even in combat, you'll kill things. And if you set up combat really well, you'll kill things really well. And we'll talk about that very soon. So with shooting, you've got short bows, which are pretty handy, and they're good good range weapons. Obviously, you have to be close enough to do some damage with them, and you'll have a lot of them, because there's really no reason not to take as many archers as you can. Is that what you do, Tom? Uh, I do tend to max out on archers. Uh, the three plus to shoot is fantastic. I'm not quite sure where they got that uh, <laughs> shoot value from. It seems excessively good, uh, especially for like an untrained force of uh, kind of militia and stuff like that. But the shooting weapons are a real tool for you. It does make up for the lack of movement and it does encourage people to come to you, especially for the fact that not only do you have quite decent archers, every model has a throwing weapon of some description. Uh, in the throwing stones so you can throw out a surprising amount of range damage uh, i personally don't have a huge amount of success with the stones because i like to keep my hobbits moving but i know that a few people do kind of really rate the stones and you every once in a while get a pretty clutch stone kill and that feels really nice so you've got a lot of range potential and especially if you're bringing like gandalf in the force as well with a uh, blinding light you can uh, win a shooting contest against pretty much anybody. Oh, absolutely. You could you could win that. I think you win a shooting competition against most things. The only one that you really don't is the Strength 3 Long Range Bowfire. So the ones in particular are the Merkwood Rangers and the Dale models with, with usually Geryon leading them. I find those guys will just mow down hobbits in waves. So really watch out for those ones. At that point, you either want a Gandalf around or you want to get in their face as soon as possible. Don't get into a shooting war with those guys because you'll just be taking models off off in, in droves. But against most other things, you can you can definitely shoot them out. What's your priority targets with the, the short bows? Usually banners, things like that. Um, spears are another really good one to take out as well, uh, which I mean is standard for most armies. But because you have no way of supporting yourselves in a fight, uh, making sure that you can kind of cut down as much of the support on the other side is a really good way of doing it. And uh, it, usual target priority of kind of cavalry and everything like that as well. So just trying to cut down on the things that can really hurt your army. Yeah, I tend to, unlike a lot of armies, normally armies I'm very particular about what I what I shoot at. So I want to target, say, heroes, get them off their horses. I want to target potentially models that I don't want near me, so just to scare them off. But for hobbits, I often just go all in on, let's try and do as much kills as possible shooting to force my opponent to get aggressive. So I'll often just go for target anything that's that's an even number of defense as low as possible. So there's any defense four on the board, I just throw as many dice as I can at that. So if your opponent's taking models off every turn, they get really stressed and they start doing some silly things. And you find that when the hobbits have a huge number advantage in combat, then they tend to win as many combats as they they lose or even more so that's a good way of doing that i also make i'm one of the people who really rates the stones because every single model has it which means at some point in the game you could be throwing 60 60 dice in a shooting phase at once and your opponent knows that so i make sure that i'm i keep them maneuvering i set up lots of supporting shots so no matter where my opponent ends up they're not going to engage my whole force and i'll always have some throwing weapon shots at them 
and I try to make sure I get one turn of throwing 20 plus dice that throw stones. And what the, the ideal time to do that is when they're just out of charge range. So if you can maneuver and predict ahead of time so that you hit them when they're about seven inches away, oftentimes your opponent will freak out at that point. So they'll take off three or four models, maybe if I'm really lucky. One or two is enough. It doesn't really matter what they take off. But just throwing so many dice means that they panic because do they want another turn of that? Do they want to move forward and be an inch away from me? Or do they want to back off? And sometimes they back off, which is gold for me because I can reset and I can maneuver things around and set up again. So I, I really do rate the throw stones. I think if you get a really good turn of throw stones of Hobbits, you're going a long way towards winning the game. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely like a different dynamic than most other lists as well because I don't think anyone else has throw, uh, like throwing weapons on such a scale apart from maybe courses of umbar and i think the throw stones really tie in nicely to the traps which we'll talk about later as well they kind of especially in the way i play it tends to have a more intimidation factor rather than anything on kind of from my perspective so like just the threat of being able to unleash such a volley especially with like a heroic accuracy or something like that tied in it uh, it can really mess with people as you said anything that's defense five or lower you've got a good chance of taking out with the throw stones Anything over that, you're pretty much just going to scratch it. You're not going to do a whole lot of damage to it. So don't get too obsessed with the kill numbers. It's more about just constantly putting pressure on the opponent. And sometimes you go into a game and because you've got like double the models that they've got, and then you've killed four models to their zero, that's enough to just freak people out and realize that I've got to do something drastic or else the game's lost. When in reality, it probably doesn't make a huge difference. Those four models probably wouldn't have made a difference either way so they, they need to actually stay calm but they don't they, they'll freak out and i'm the same i'll freak out when i lose four models to nothing and try something silly and it's a real intimidation uh, device that the hobbit player can use because that's what you want to do as a hobbit player because in the end what you've got is a lot of bluff because your guys aren't very strong your heroes aren't very strong your hobbits are incredibly weak but you've got numbers and you've got the ability to scare people that if they enter your lines, they'll get blasted with rocks and with bows. And then when they finally get there, out come your heroes and they, they end up winning the combats for you. Yeah, you may as well utilize every kind of trick you've got. And uh, stones are like an iconic one for the hobbits. So absolutely try and get it in as much as you can. But uh, I, I need a little bit more practice with it myself. But, you know, there's always next time. <laughs> It's probably the hardest part of the Hobbit army to master because it's so easy to, to make a mistake where you set guys up where your opponent can just engage you. Because you're a good army, you can't throw stones into combat. So you really have to plan ahead. And if you bait models into combat, you've got to design it so part of their army goes to support but doesn't enter that combat. And then you've got a nice throwing throwing stone um, lane as well. So oftentimes it comes in that turn where a couple key guys get into combat and then... I've got enough guys, I've got 10 guys either side that manage to get their stones off while there's enough key models supporting that combat that I'm not going to lose too much if my opponent does a heroic combat or something like that. Yeah, totally. It it, it just comes down to timing. And uh, I think there's a number of ways you can kind of implement it. And as I said before, I think with the traps, that's probably the most straightforward. And uh, we'll cover that in the trap section. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So in combat, hobbits are probably the worst of the... Well, they're not the worst of the worst, but they're pretty bad because what you've got is a lot of models that have one attack and no spear support options. Your banner options are somewhat few and far between, but there are some key models you can use to help out with that. And you've got a lower fight value across the board here. So, Tom, how do you get around this? Well, you, you kind of play to your main advantage, which is numbers. You can, it, you can really swarm. Like, the way... 
like my main armies that I've played in this system have been, funnily enough, armies that don't really have spear support. So I used to play Urukai Scouts as well, and Hobbits to me play in a very similar kind of way. You you really have to get wraparounds and try and get as many models into favorable kind of positions that you can and outnumber and you have got decent fight value through sheriffs, so I try and involve a sheriff in every fight with my militia. And uh, because I tend to use Battle and Brandy Bucks as well, who've got an interesting array of weapons, you can special strike and use things like piercing strike to get them up to, you know, plus one strength and all that kind of stuff. And you can actually surprise people with just how many dice you can throw and how much killing potential you actually have. Yeah, I find that you want to have, ideally, a Hobbit combat has two or three models compared to their one model, and it has a mixture of models. So you might have a sheriff in there, you might have a, a brandy buck or a militia in there, you might have a, a an archer in there, you might have a hero in there. You have a mixture of guys, because it's not that much value to having three sheriffs in a combat over having a militia with a with an axe and a sheriff in there, because the fight value will come from that one sheriff. Yes, you can get the two-handed weapons, but maybe you need that somewhere else. The hero, very useful, but you want to make sure that you get as many models in. And that means that, once again, that formation of spreading your line out as, as long as possible. So whenever the enemy engages you, there's always going to be a flank on one side of their army, at least, maybe on two sides. And then that's where you just throw models in, as many models as possible. It doesn't actually matter which Hobbit model it is. Just put them into combat because they're all expendable and you can all go into combat. The Banner Hobbits, there's two of them, isn't there? There's the Frodo and there's uh, Will Whitfoot. Which ones mm-hmm. do you take? Uh, ordinarily, because I play the Legendary Legion, I take Frodo. I think he's kind of expensive for his points value, but uh, a really huge banner range and quite a survival model itself. And because it's not tied to his will, it's just a kind of passive ability that can keep going. I find he really helps with the uh, battles of attrition that you tend to have with Hobbits, where you're kind of fighting over a very long game and slowly whittling down their numbers just through kind of sheer overwhelming horde, you know? Yeah, I find that if you one of your tactics is combat, which it should be really. If you're playing the optimal game, you want a bit of everything. You definitely want to be able to win some combats. I think one of those banner guys at least is a must because you, you're going in with one attack each. It's effectively going to well, effectively effectively going to double the attacks of that that one attack guy. So the one attack guy is going to roll badly. You're going to re-roll it. If it's a good roll, you're not going to re-roll it. So it doesn't matter about having an extra attack because you're going to take the highest. It doesn't help you in terms of wounding, but it definitely helps you winning fights. And it can be frustrating for an opponent to come in and, and lose the odd combats to Hobbits that they expect to win, even if it's a one-on-one or they have some numbers advantages. And that banner really helps. Banner effect really helps it out. So I definitely recommend Frodo. I know he's very much a pacifist, but he really holds the army together. And if you're playing it... If you're playing it to win and you're playing it for optimizing, you're going to have at least one of these guys, maybe two of them, unless you're going for one of those very special builds that's not based around the named hobbits. Yeah, if you can take Frodo, take Frodo. I, I used to turn my nose up at him quite a little bit when I first started the Hobbit list, but he, he is just an amazing force modifier. And the hobbits play kind of interestingly in the fact that normally I love throwing heroes into combat and stuff like that. It's very much the nature of the game, but... I tend to shy away a little bit more with my Hobbit heroes in combat. Uh, I tend to find that they have more to give the army list from a supporting angle, so like through their kind of buffs and various kind of aura abilities and stuff like that. So I tend to find them too important to throw into a combat just to add in one extra attack, or they don't tend to have better fight value either. So like the sheriffs tend to have a better fight value than most of the Hobbit heroes in general. 
So they tend to be like maybe one or two lines back from my front line, uh, just making sure that they're covering as much as they can with their abilities. Yeah, definitely. They're you can get more use out of them to hold on to their heroic stats for other things or or late game I find they're often quite good because even if they've got a point of might, suddenly that's more more obvious when there's less combats around, less people around and, and you've got to use them for courage tests as well. So th- you've got to be careful about when you put your heroes in. Things like Mary and Pippin are definitely designed for combat. Sam loves combat, especially if you've got Rosie around. So those ones will probably fight some combats. But even then, you don't have to commit into all the combats because they do go down really quickly. Most of them have got a maximum of two wounds at a very low defense. So if they lose a combat, oftentimes they'll die straight away. Yeah, absolutely. And because like even the best Hobbit fighters only have a fight value of three they tend to be tying uh with kind of generic troops from most factions so you kind of have to play that risk reward game Uh, i find that a good combination is either mary or pippin and sam with the heroic combat because you can strike up with one and get the free heroic combat off with sam and you've basically bought a lot more mobility then and you're using your resources a lot smarter you're getting that strike and movement so it's kind of a two for one deal yeah, very true. I know that a lot of the people in our area are big fans of the, the double strike. So they'll put two striking heroes in the same combat if it's against, say, like a troll or something that's got a high fight value, just for the extra chance of getting that fight value. Because once you get that high fight value, you're going to win well and truly more often than not. It's, it's a very, very high percentage chance of winning. But if you don't get that or you get a tie, it lowers it right down. So sometimes it's worth even overspending the might. And then if they do one good thing in the game, that's fine. They're only They're only cheap. So do that one impressive thing, get it off, use the heroic combat if you can, go kill another thing very quickly, and then they can just be support for the rest of the game if you've run out of might. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, like they are cheap, and that's tend to what like you kind of forget with Hobbit heroes. Like if you're playing a standard army, you expect your leader to go out there and do a whole bunch of damage and make a really big impact on the game. But when your hero is a when your leader, sorry, is a fifty point model on a pony, like if they manage to take out a few things and kind of maybe put a few wounds on someone like that's a good game for them so like be realistic with your expectations of the heroes it's the army that does most of the killing uh your heroes are kind of there to support the army and provide kind of and provide different bonuses and kind of cover areas where they fall down be aware as well of ways you can take down heroes. So there's a few key models that either uh, take away the abilities of opponent's heroes or increase your own so the obvious first one gandalf for for huge points and his magic powers means that you can you can reduce the fight value of other heroes or just stop them from striking themselves in order to make it a lot easier for you to take them down. So he's a good option there. There's also a ring hidden in this list as well with Bilbo, which is always really good. I know in the latest FAQ it means that you can't use it to block a whole force because if they can't charge the ring, they'll charge something else. But it is so effective at taking down big heroes because of the, the ability to half their fight value. Yeah, the ring is an amazing piece of kit, especially in this faction with kind of general low fight value. Being able to bring people down to your level is always nice, even if it is in a very specific area. But yeah, the ring is very, very exciting to use. And I'm kind of, I've got a list coming up that uh, might uh, use that. Oh, very, very cool. The other one, of course, we mentioned in the Know Thine Enemy. This is one that I don't use a whole lot in the, the Hobbit army for, for theme purposes because he, of course, is Lotho's Sapgill Baggins, who may or may not have been eaten by Worm. He definitely got killed, but we don't know. We don't know. There's a bit of a throwaway line, and how literally you take it, I guess, depends on your your opinion whether 
worm managed to, to get a good feed out of him. But he can up your fight value to a very impressive for Hobbits. Fight four for most of your heroes and your sheriffs, which is really, really useful because fight four is above average. Only just, but it's just above average. And that's, even if you're at the average level, that's huge because you're probably throwing a lot of dice. You've probably got a lot of combats. And to be able to take away your opponent's chief advantage, which is going to be fight value, is is really effective. Yeah, I'm not sure what in like what mad world hobbits can get to fight for, but it's there's something very satisfying about telling your opponent that you've got fight for uh, burly sheriffs, and just having fight for in a horde army is it, it makes a huge difference. If you're winning over orcs in pretty much every fight, then. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a theory about that. There's definitely been a movement towards horde armies not just having a numbers advantage, that not being enough. So you've got things like the the armies of Lake Town, you've got Hobbits, you've got these armies where they, they've put their heroes, instead of being frontline heroes, they've decided to increase the ability of the army. So the more you overlap on top of the army, the more powerful these basic cheap guys get. Uh, and it can be can be really dynamic with the way the game goes because this is a game where even the smallest model can potentially win its combats. It can do well. But when you're throwing all the these buffs on it, if you're improving it, you're getting banner rerolls, you're getting increases to fight value, increases to your wound value, you're suddenly turning into a good fighter. And it can be a bit of a strange experience when an elite or a Kai comes in and it's it's the same fighting ability as a, as a Hobbit. It's a strange, strange dynamic. And it's one that makes these armies with lots of numbers very forgiving because you've got lots of numbers, but also very effective because you've got the ability to match it with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of my favorite things about the Hobbit list is to make them function, you really need to play those synergies and stuff like that like very well. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. You need to pay attention to your positioning. So it's a very rewarding army for a player who concentrates on what they're actually doing and kind of thinks about where they're putting their models and everything like that. Because if you if you put your buffs in the wrong area, you can collapse a flank very, very quickly. Yes. They're not one that, that does it quickly, but like in quickly in terms of one turn. But once once you get the combat, you do take them out. And once you get those traps, models start disappearing and it can really throw your opponent off. So so don't expect to do the one charge and then take everything out, but do expect to, to collapse them, kill a few models, and then once a few models die, the holes start opening up and the traps become so effective. Now, a different kind of trap, of course, is very specific to this army. So the Hobbit army has four different types of traps, which all look the same when they get deployed. There's only two ways so you can get traps. There's the from the Legendary Legion that you get allocated, I think it's eight traps. Yep. And you can get another eight traps, is it, with... Uh, is it Baldo? Baldo Tullpenny, yeah. Yep. So you can get up to 16 traps. And these these have a very interesting effect, unlike most things in the game. Do you want to go through them, Tom? Yeah. So basically, there's four different kinds of traps that are available to the Hobbits, and you get uh, two of each in each eight. So there are snare traps, uh, tripwire traps, pitfall traps, and dummy traps. So... They all have a fairly similar uh, kind of mechanic to them. You roll a dice, or you kind of have someone enter into their control zone, an enemy. Uh, you flip it over, and you resolve the kind of mechanic of that trap. So, for example, the snare trap. Uh, you roll a dice, so on a two-up, that model is knocked prone, and uh, they take a strength one hit. So, like, it's not a hugely powerful impact, but it does cause things to knock over. And where I found that has the most impact is on cavalry as it knocks them flying. 
Mm, yes. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and the, a lot of them have a very similar effect. So the tripwire, again, uh, it hits people for strength two. The pitfall trap is a little different in the fact that people get stuck in there and have to try and climb out. So it's kind of like a paralyzed light. And then there's the dummy trap, which is just there to kind of provide a bit of a psychological angle and mess with your opponent a little bit. Yeah, you get the dummy traps, which which are fine because they do stop movement from model as well. So I find the job of the traps is either, in reality, it's mostly to slow the enemy down because I find my opponents will often avoid traps. They'll, they'll, they'll be a little bit cautious. So when they do that, they walk around them. You can actually walk around them reasonably comfortable except in some strange circumstances because you can't deploy them within three inches of another trap, which is... Gives you it gives you a three inch gap. Now, once you get within one inch, you trigger them. So, apart from be that that perfectly placed three inches away trap where you touch one inch when you get through it, you can often avoid them because you've only got eight of them. So you've got to be really careful with the deployment of them. But if your opponent runs around slow, that's great. You've got more time to maneuver. Your hobbits don't trigger them, which is fantastic. So you can move around and and dance around and go through and stay within an inch and try to draw them forward. And, uh, yeah, so they, they are effective in that way. They very rarely do any damage. They do sometimes. But it's more just to disrupt and slow down the enemy. The pits are really cool. They get stuck in a pit and you get to attack them. That's always fun. So I like that one. They don't do a whole lot against big models. But to watch out for monsters, they, they can tend to tend to walk right through them. Yeah, monsters are the trap's bane. But I still think one of their biggest of, um, kind of abilities is on cavalry itself. I've had quite a number of successful kind of cav dismounts and various nasty things like chariots and stuff like that. They're quite a hard counter to. So they're, they're an interesting piece of kit to have. And they're just so different to anything else that's available in this game. It's it's a really unique ability for the the shy to have and a very thematic one as well. Like the, the bounders are known for their traps and using them against the, the ruffians. So it's really cool that they've come up with this mechanic. And a, a particular way that I use them is I set them up in a a number of kind of lines almost, like laying a minefield, mm. and have them kind of staggered. So what it does is it, it funnels, as you said, you can get past them if you walk carefully, but it funnels the enemy forces into various channels that they kind of get stuck in if they don't want to risk touching a trap. And you can really control the movement of the center of the board, for example, especially if you have 16 traps. That's a huge amount of board space that you take up with these it's a very powerful way to play the game before you've even started because you, you set up the traps after deployment and uh, you can kind of play some mind games there. You can secretly look at what traps you're putting down and, you know, make a lot of frowny faces and put them there and giggle maniacally as you lay down, face down traps somewhere and try and lure them in. And it, it's just a fun way of playing the game before it's even had the first dice roll, you know? Very true. It's good for that. I tend to, when I deploy, I have my hand full with my pit pit traps. I make sure I know where they are. So I've got to be careful about the deployment. So they might even be somewhere in the middle. I usually, when I'm deploying them, I have my pile of my traps. I have the others randomly put out because I want to deploy them quickly and, and make my opponent think I'm not putting a lot of thought into them. But my pit traps, the key for those is to go where the bottlenecks are because they're the one trap that hangs around and can really cause trouble. So they often go in the most most vital spots often guarding objectives, often in places I know there's going to be a battle. And then the other traps, I'll tend to just put them randomly around. I'm not too worried about them because they're there for mind games as much as anything. So pits, I think for me, are gold because they're not immediately removed. You can't just get a model to to tempt, to 
to just like flick a trap and then then turn it off. So the pits are, pits are really good. Having a hole in the ground is particularly good. If a model gets stuck in there for a long time, it can be annoying. But the rest of them, mostly it's just for mind games. So they don't do a whole lot. And a canny opponent, I often find, if they're, if they're not worried about traps, will just trigger them all as soon as possible. Just just head in and just cop the damage. And maybe they'll lose a guy. Maybe a guy will be knocked down and slowed down for a turn. But they just, just knock them over as soon as possible and get rid of them. Yeah, there are also those players who get really excited when they see them on the table because it's such a unique thing and you don't see them very often. So they just tend to charge forward and get really excited when they see their guys falling over and falling down holes and stuff like that. It's quite a comical thing for some people. So all power to them. If they want to feed their army into my traps, I'm more than happy for them to. <laughs> You're right. There is some that they just go and trigger the traps just to see what it is. So they don't have to go there, but they want to see what it is and they want to guess what's left and, and play that game, which is also fun as well. So I, I don't mind that. They are, if, as long as they bring enjoyment, I much prefer them to the, the flowers that the gaffer brings in because those flowers tend to get stomped on immediately. They, they don't tend to do a whole lot for instead except for for bookkeeping stuff whereas the traps tend to tend to be interesting because you've got enough of them that you can you can use them for your plan oftentimes they end up making rings around objectives so you could basically force people if they want to go hard at objectives they have to go through some traps they can be good for for certain funneling but yeah they're, they're a nice touch they're not game winning by any means but they're they are definitely fun and I, I i'll give you that they're fun to make the markers as well so they've got a little guide about making traps which is old information and that works perfectly it's, it's a good way of making traps they're definitely definitely fun yeah it, it's nice that they're giving you the angle for like a creative way of doing them as well like they've obviously got the suggested ways and how they think they should look but as long as you keep them consistent and very easily identifiable as each individual type and making sure that when they're flipped over there's kind of no iconography or anything on there that would indicate like what they are so just keep them nice and plain but uh it's nice that they give that hobby angle and aren't just trying to sell extra (laughs) like trap markers or anything like that but it's interesting you mentioned um the flowers because i actually think the flowers work really well in tandem with the traps uh because you do get Mm. those re-rolls to wound with uh throwing stone or re-rolls to hit with throwing stones so i think if you kind of put those flowers uh, intermingled around traps it actually becomes a bit of a uh a no man's land almost that's true as well and because you can put those within three inches of the traps that's a good point so if you if you plan that people are going to be slowed down in this area and you've got some flowers there then yeah yeah definitely set up to have a go with some stones at them yeah good point now playing against the shy now i don't want i know you don't want to talk about this tom because like like all our guests when you play an army you don't want to give away how to beat it but what's what's the thing that annoys you the most when you're playing hobbits and you see someone across the board performing a certain tactic or using a certain army what puts you off oh it's the first thing that kind of strikes me is what scenario we're playing obviously hobbits can be very disadvantaged in specific scenarios so anything that's mobility based such as storm the camp or reconnoiter or some of the newest scenarios that are in the match player handbook that can be your first kind of challenge but Honestly, I think with the Shire, you've kind of got, you have to be realistic with your expectations of what your heroes can achieve. So if they've got a big, crazy, powerful, absolute monstrous hero on the other side, and uh, you know that that thing can just tear through your army very, very quickly, it can feel kind of intimidating to know that you basically have to pour either all of your resources into taking out that hero or try and ignore it for as long as humanly possible and just play the objective. Um, 
it, it's it's definitely a challenge in that regard because you don't have any big killers basically. Mm. Yeah, very true. Those, those heroes, I especially hate playing those ones that have what's the the one Blood and Glory because they they just they their eyes open when they see hobbits because there's so many heroes on the board and they just re- regenerate. So fighting Gilgalad or the the Eastling heroes with hobbits, oh, nasty, nasty. Yeah, anything that can kind of get into your lines and start taking off two or three hobbits a turn, like you may have numerical advantage, but that can uh, very quickly drain if they're making their way through your force very quickly. Even then, though, those heroes are often only in one place, so you can mitigate the damage a little bit. What I really find challenging is uh, things like Rohan and other cavalry armies, especially ones that have throwing weapons, but cavalry armies, because it's it's very, very difficult to set up your stones against them, and because they hit so hard, if you if you are in a bad spot when they enter combat, they can potentially take off a whole wall of hobbits immediately. So you've got to be very careful if you're set up against cavalry. Traps can be very important against cavalry, of course. Even if it traps one cavalry, that's amazing. But I find that if you can get those cavalry models off their horse as soon as possible, it's going to help because they just run through hobbits. Yeah, I haven't had the, uh, the kind of displeasure of playing a Rivendell Knight list with the Shire yet, but I can imagine that's a pretty extreme counter uh strength three bows that mobility excellent heroes all that kind of stuff you don't even have to worry about the wrath of bruin because they're never going to get near you they're just going to kite you the entire game and basically take you off the board well the, to play against rivenout i know but you almost have to play like you, you goblin town so you set up so that there's nowhere they can run through you you basically spread across the entire board and just run forward so try and make the board as small as possible like that's the standard tactic against a lot of cavalry armies is to shrink the board down and eventually you want to get so close that you're you're matching them for heroic moves and eventually your heroic moves will get into combat. Because if you get into combat with the Rivendell Knights, they go down really quickly because you've got so many attacks with the Hobbits and they, they've only got the one attack. So you, if you can catch them, great. The only way you can catch them is just by shrinking that board. So this is where your marches come in really handy and just, just make your line and pushing right across the board and hope you don't get machine gunned down too quickly. Yeah, well, that's that's the hope. Uh, and as you said, you just got to be aggressive. So get across that board and try and uh, try and tag people up. But I don't think there's any army that has particularly kind of scared me too much with the Shire. I feel like once you get used to playing the Shire and knowing where you're putting all of your buffs and stuff like that, you can kind of take all comers. I mean, there's probably a few legendary legions that would be very powerful against it, but uh, in New Zealand especially, we we don't tend to see too many of those kind of like like uber competitive lists, so um I'd be pretty fortunate in that regard. As long as you don't get the chariot list, that would be that would be scary of the hobbits. Well I actually I, I played Josiah and his chariots and that was that was an interesting game. Um because the chariots can't be everywhere at once and obviously because the chariots are cavalry keyword as well, they can be dismounted by traps. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually managed to get a few dismounts with traps uh, on chariots just from uh, board positioning and stuff like that. So it, it was an amazing game. It was one of the best games I've played Middle-Earth SBGs. So it, it's not a foregone conclusion, but it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, definitely. When I play against Hobbits, I think it's one you either need to make a call about what you well, you need to make a call about what your objectives are. So you look at the game, where how do you want this game to end? 
and and make make a call on that. So if it's an objective based game, you've got to make sure you time it so you're on the objectives at the end and they're not. Now the thing that you got is time. Like most of the games have an end condition where once a force is broken, it takes a lot to break a Hobbit army, which means it gets you time to move into position. So you can spend time maneuvering in a way that's that's somewhat defensive. You can sort of try to scare them off the objectives a little bit. Sometimes threaten. I love things like um, their fell sight wags for threatening hobbits. They're they're just absolutely brutal on hobbits. But no matter what you do, just try to make sure that you don't go into fights that you don't want to. Because if you do, you quickly lose your models. You can't afford to throw models away cheaply. You have to get into combat. And sometimes it's just the hero that forces their way into combat because they'll survive against most things. Going in, even if they have to shield or something like that against lots of hobbits, get them into combat and then try to try to take down part of the hobbit force and not the others. So if you can take down part of it and then before the game ends, basically set up again so you're in a position to win the game, you can you can definitely pull off the win with them. It's not like this is an unbeatable army, but with a good player, hobbits can be very, very strong. Yeah, and there's ways around it as well. Like you kind of have to know your target priority. They they play very differently to most standard armies, so you're not looking out for banners, you're not looking out for mounts and stuff like that because they don't really matter too much to the Hobbit army. So one thing that I've always struggled with is if I'm second to an objective or have an objective taken off me. So seize the prize is quite a difficult one. Uh, I had a game recently uh, with Hobbits against Gothmog's Legion mm-hmm. where I. Took the prize, managed to hold on to it for a short period, but then Gothmog basically killed the carrier and jumped on the prize. And once a Defense 7 model gets on it with a number of attacks and high fight value, you basically can't get it off him again. And I spent the entire game trying to get that prize back off Gothmog. I don't think he moved an inch once he picked it up. He basically just held on to it and just kept standing there, and I just kept bouncing off. So if you play the objective smartly against Hobbits and kind of get your tough tankier heroes or tough tankier troops onto the objective they can be hard to budge sometimes yeah definitely definitely you've got to you've got to be very smart about how you play if you go in without a plan the hobbit army would definitely beat you because it is probably a little bit more forgiving than your army but if you've got a plan or you've got really high defense you should be okay against hobbit army if in doubt and you don't know what the hobbits do kill the heroes like that's a pretty safe bet in most armies, but things like Lobelia is a real threat, a threat in the end game. Killing her is great. Lotho is great to get rid of. If you can shoot out a hero, do it. If you've got a sniper around or, or some archers, definitely take shots at the heroes. Who cares about their numbers? Try to take down the heroes. If you get one of the, the, uh, the travelers, one of those four named heroes, it will make a difference. Every one of them is good. So taking out one of them is very, very handy. So take out heroes if you can. Take them out with your heroes. You're not too worried about one-on-one, their hero versus your hero. So that's a good matchup for you. And don't be afraid to use shielding at times. So if there's lots of hobbits around, set up a thin wall. Don't worry about your spears. Set up a battle line and shield on some of the fights because you want to make sure that your heroes are doing a lot of work because your heroes will be better than the hobbit heroes. So if your heroes are fighting and the hobbit heroes are fighting, You've probably got an advantage, and then you can just just survive with the rest of your army until the tide starts to turn. Yeah, neutralize heroes, and you can target basically any of them. They all have abilities that really do amplify the list around them, so kind of nullifying them one by one really does start cutting down on the bonuses that the Hobbit army gets. Very much so. So I think that's a that's a good amount of information for Keep It Secret. I, I like that we've talked a bit about it because Hobbits do play differently to other armies and they, they are very different because you have a lot of models. Just out of curiosity, Tom, what kind of model count do you usually run? So if you've got, say, a, 
uh, what's the standard points game you play? Six hundred? Yeah, about six hundred to seven hundred in New Zealand. So, what kind of models? Number of models would you have for hobbits? Ooh, I usually have somewhere in the range of sixty-five to seventy-five in that kind of model range, and that's with a number of warbands. So maybe seven or eight warbands. I'm not too scared of going multiple small warbands with hobbits uh, because I think the heroes are the more interesting and more powerful parts of the list. So I try and maximize on my heroes as well. But uh, you can maximize on heroes and still get quite a significant amount of board control as well. Yeah, I'm very similar. So if I'm playing, say, a real massive game of like 800 points, I want at least, well, around about that 80 model mark. So if it's 500, like 50 models would be amazing. If I'm at 660 models, absolutely. That's a good good way to aim for Hobbits. You can't always get there. But if you're approaching that, you're probably doing okay. If you're playing a lot less, you probably need to be having having something that's going to make up for that. So you probably are buying something that's very expensive, but you need to make sure you get value out of that. So that that might be for a more experienced player, but definitely have some numbers. Hobbits, you can't afford to go real low numbers, once again, unless you're playing a really sneaky army, which we'll probably cover in the Mustering an Army. Yes, absolutely. Scenario Spotlight. Battle of Greenfields. The Shire has always been a place of peace and pleasantness. The hobbits that reside there care little about what goes on outside their own borders, and there are few who even know of their existence. Though the hobbits are unaware of it, their borders are guarded by the Dunedain who keep an ever-watchful eye over them, as there are some who would seek to claim it for their own should they discover it. In the year 1147 of the Shire calendar, a band of orcs from the nearby mountains sought to claim the land of the halflings. At their head was Goldfimble, an orc chieftain of limited skill and martial prowess, but one driven by ambition to improve his status. Under Goldfimble's orders, a pack of orcs and wag riders descended on the Shire, attacking villages on the edges of the North Farthing as they made their way through the land. Yet even though they were unaccustomed to war, the hobbits of the Shire would not yield their home unfought. Bandabras Took, a hobbit of remarkable stature, rallied the hobbit forces at Greenfields, and following a rousing speech where the promise of victory and a good meal afterwards was made, Bandabras led his forces into battle, one that will go down in Shire legend as one of the greatest battles of their short history. Radio, so we've got the Battle of Greenfields, and really exciting piece of history in uh, the Shire. Now we get to play through this uh, latest version of it. You've played the scenario, haven't you? I have played the scenario and I have really enjoyed the scenario. Yeah, I, I haven't yet. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's a um, kind of interesting setup. It's a two by four board. So it's uh, played lengthways. Uh, we've got a kind of large forest uh, wooded area on one side of the board and some like hobbit holes on the other side. The hobbits deploy on one side of the board, which makes sense. And then we've got the evil side, who are deploying in two kind of sections, bisected by a, another good deployment. And that'll be explained why in the participants. So on the good side, we've got uh, Bandabras Took, three ranges of the north, eight hobbit militia, four hobbit archers, and four hobbit sheriffs. And on the evil side, we've got Golfumbul, orc chieftain on Wag, four Wag riders with shield, four Wag riders with shield and throwing spears, and four Wag riders with orc bow. So the interesting deployment comes from the fact that the 
Rangers of the North have to deploy within the wooded area and have to stay there as well. That's kind of cool. Mm, yeah, it's 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 so annoying because the Rangers, you really want them to run out and potentially call a heroic combat in that little triangle to, to run forward and help out. But they've got to stay hidden from the Hobbits. They don't want the Hobbits to know they're there, but they still need to, to support. And the problem as well with the Rangers is, yes, they look really powerful, but they don't have the extra two atta- the extra attack on foot. So they're, they're just one on attack on foot. And if they're unlucky, a wire grider can definitely definitely make a mess of them. They're not super powerful by any stretch of the imagination, but they're definitely a really useful uh, tool in the toolkit for the uh, the good side in this one. But uh, I, I appreciate the fact that they've kind of gone to the length of making a historical kind of decision for the Dunedain not wanting to reveal themselves. So they do have to kind of play to that stealthy aspect. I think that's a really cool move. Uh, otherwise, you'd just have them running out and trying to shield the hobbits with them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do like it in scenarios where they give you something that's kind of simple to represent how they would historically fight. Sometimes they, they get it wrong, and sometimes the tactics for winning is to play like, against what the theme would be, and that's probably the most frustrating scenarios for me where, where the best way to win is, say, in a, a glorious charge, you pull backwards. So I like that one. I like that it, they, they have to make it as much damage as they can. Ideally, they want to hurt some wild riders if they can. They can't target golfing bull in one of the special rules, but they can definitely hurt the others. So they're pretty useful, and you've got to keep them safe as well. You don't want them to die because because of the objectives. Yeah, totally. And like, it's a good source of might as well, which like both sides are kind of sorely lacking. Like Brandebrus and um, golfing bull aren't exactly the mightiest of heroes. So having a couple of Dunedain or Rangers in the North, sorry, kind of wandering around in the forest calling the occasional heroic uh, combat or something like that is it's very useful to have so they've kind of got to get their their worth in as early as they can and try and cause as much damage as they can early on and then uh, I think their potential value probably decreases once those wags get out of the forest oh, more than decreases you, you basically just encourage wag riders to get into combat which they do so the, the objectives for this game we mentioned that just a little bit it's a it's just reduced to 25% of the starting numbers. So you don't actually have to do the, the kill of the heroes, which is what it looks like when you first see this. Because, of course, the Battle of Greenfields is that famous battle where Vanderbrest went and heroically met Goldfimble, who was a, a bit of an uppity wag, uh, orc chieftain, probably not the best orc chieftain in the world, but he was he was opportunistic and he wanted to have the Shire for himself. But Banderbrass, the only hobbit ever to be able to ride a horse, managed to invent the game of golf by taking off Golfy Bull's head. I'm not sure how he knew his name. Maybe they had a chat before in some sort of movie type scene, but it was a, it was a good invention of golf, of course, because that's very popular in in our world. So clearly, it came from this world. But it's it's a nice clash between two very unique heroes. Yeah, and it's nice to see kind of evenly matched heroes as well like that they haven't made either side too powerful and they do feel like titans on the battlefield in this kind of scale as well the horse for bandabras and like the wag for golf and ball really make a difference it's 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 a really interesting little scenario and uh, i think it's a really good introduction to the larger scale hobbit battles you know like it's it's much larger than kind of a lot of the other ones it's probably got the most participants you see in this book but it's um I think you can play this quite a few times and get a lot of replayability out of it. It's got definitely the, the scariest evil side because these wild riders, normally you look at wild riders and think, yeah, I can deal with them. They're not too bad. But again, for against hobbits, they're absolutely terrifying. And the normal tactic for hobbits when you come up against something like wild riders is to let the sheriff do all the work. But you've only got four of them. So you have to be really clever about where you place them and make sure that as many combats are supporting and you know the wild riders are going after those sheriffs as much as they can. 
the game, the scenario looks pretty similar to what it used to be. This was an old one, but Golfing Bull has since got some blubber rules. So basically when he takes wounds, he's potentially, he's because he's so large, of course, that means it can prevent wounds. As we all know in real life, when you're particularly large, like if you get hurt, the the, the fact you've got saves you, which is always handy. So that that's useful. And it may, means that last time I played this, we played a four-player game and we've, we've a couple of new players. So two experienced players, two new players talking through it. And it was very good because everything was pretty simple. But we had this battle where Goldfimble ended up off his wag, Banderbreast charged in, got ready to attack him, did his last wound. Goldfimble's huge girth managed to save the wound, and then the next turn, Goldfimble started to wear down Banderbreast. So he took out his horse, then they were one on one on the fo- on foot, and eventually Goldfimble managed to take down Banderbreast and win the game. He won the game because after one of those heroes dies, the special rules say that everyone has to take a courage test. And potentially they run away. So if Banderbrass is slain, uh, the hobbits have to take a courage test, like like if they were broken essentially at the start of each turn. And with Goldfinger dies, the orc wargrides have to do that as well. So that's that's a nice way of speeding up the game once one of those heroes has died. Yeah, totally. It's again, it's like it's more of those fluffy rules that make this a kind of really interesting scenario. It's it's nice to see uh, historical battles in here, not to kind of ones we see in the movies and read about in the books too often so um it, it's a, it's a really cool scenario and i honestly think having a look at the kind of setup and all that kind of thing on the board it's i think it's one of those scenarios that could be very dependent on your board setup like i know people tend to uh hobby their well when they build their hobbit holes and stuff like that they tend to put a lot of flourish into them and like fences and hedges and stuff like that so there's quite a lot of scope for Hobbit players to be kind of sneaky and hide behind fences and throw stones and all that kind of stuff. So I think the terrain will really kind of have a massive impact on this uh, scenario as well. Yeah, very true. Because some Hobbit holes are designed almost like little mini castles with the fences. So I've made really sure that my Hobbit holes don't have that this time. I could always put fences in the front if I wanted to, but I learned from the last edition that you don't, if you put fences in front of all the Hobbit holes, it ends up being defended obstacles and sieges. Now that doesn't do a whole lot against certain armies, but against something like Cav, yeah, absolutely does. And it means it's really hard to, to take them down. So you've got to be careful about that. The other thing to be careful is because it's on a two by four board, and this will come up in the other scenarios as well. The hobbit holes, the size you make the hobbit hole makes a huge difference. So if you've got a massive hobbit hole, then potentially it's slowing down and bottlenecking quite a bit of the board. Whereas if you've got uh, hobbit holes with much smaller footprints, you've got a lot more potential for maneuverability, but they're, they're not as in the way. So I've gone for like small footprints, but quite high hobbit holes. So that they their own effort, you have to actually climb up the sides to get up the sides. And most people don't want to do that, but you can still walk around them, even though you've got slow movement for the hobbits. Yeah, I've gone very much the same for the Hobbit Holes I've created. They've got pretty open fronts. Um, I didn't want to, mainly because the wall rules and stuff like that are very slow and clunky. When you play Hobbits, it slows everything down for an already slow army. So I've gone the same as you with the kind of taller Hobbit Holes that might look a bit odd compared to what we're used to. But I think for scenario play and match play and stuff like that, it just makes a lot more sense to have that. Yeah, I was talking to, to David about this a little bit. And there was a lot of Hobbit Holes that they, because not all of them could afford to to like make a hole in the side of a hill. They made some that are almost houses, but then decorated them so they look like hills. And that's what mine are almost like because the walls are quite quite steep and it's all around it. I imagine that they're they're designed as a small budget hobbit house and then they've gone and put all the foliage on top to make it look like the more wealthy hobbit holes like Bag End. Yeah, it's more like a hobbit estate rather than like Hobbiton itself. It's the yeah. outskirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little a little one bedroom hobbit apartment, yes. 
Yeah, like a little yeah studios studio hobbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's good fun. So so look after that one. I I really like that one from a from a display point of view as well. Sometimes the ruffians people don't relate to them as much because they they just look like normal humans. So I think this one's actually really good for display games because it's big enough that people can see what's going on, and the forces are obviously different, so people can tell from looking at it, even if they don't know Lord of the Rings, which sides which. Yeah, totally. And like, I know you're not a huge fan of the golfing bull model, but like. Brandabas is an amazing sculpt. I really love that model. So it's nice to see him getting his kind of uh, glory in the sun, you know. And Golfenbull, for all of his faults, is a fun model to put down on the table. Yeah, I went to town on mine. I gave him a, a wild chieftain as a mount because I thought I'll just embrace the ugliness of it. So it's not my favorite model, but I know that a lot of people like it because it is a disturbing looking orc and he's, <laughs> the proportions are, are quite different from the other orcs around. So I just thought, yeah, I'll just embrace that. I'll keep the ugly face going, paint it so it's, the features are as, as like extreme as possible to so increase the highlights and put him on the biggest wag I possibly could. So he's very top heavy, but I'm pretty happy with it actually. And he's He's one of those models that's uh, so ugly that that I kind of like him. Yeah, he's charming in his for all his faults, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of them. But <laughs> yes, there are quite a few. <laughs> the, the funny thing I found is the proportions between the foot and the the mountain model are quite different. Normally, they get them almost the same, but like even the the diameters of the head and the the horns on the helmet and all kinds of things aren't consistent. It's clearly done by hand and and probably in two different sittings because the yeah proportions are. <laughs> different oh well it, it's it's yeah as you said it's handmade so yeah. I, there's no way i could do any better <laughs> no well maybe one day but not not for now maybe. yeah maybe not right now <laughs> hmm. yeah so we've got some more scenarios coming up next skirmish in brie since the day frodo and his companions left for brie to head for rivendell the village has had more than its fair share of strange folk wandering about asking questions about the shire and those that live there Increasing numbers of rough-looking men have frequented the inns, many of whom looked as though they could cause trouble at a moment's notice. In truth, these were the spies of Saruman. The wizard had long since noted Gandalf's interest in the Shire, and with news that the Ring of Power had been found, had decided to learn all he could about hobbits. Some of these men were simply spies, asking subtle questions, making observation, and bringing their findings to Saruman. But as time went on, more ruthless men began to ask far more prying questions, and on occasion they would prize what they could out of those they questioned. Having been publicly embarrassed by the travellers when they were last in Bree, and by Samwise Gamgee in particular, Bill Fernie immediately joined with Saruman when he was approached by him, and was more than happy to follow the wizard's orders and beat information and compliance out of the folk, both big and little, that resided in Bree. Following his defeat at Isengard, Saruman, now going under the name of Sharky, began to mobilise those he could to follow him in order to seize control of the Shire. The ruffians in Bree and Bill Fernie in particular saw this as an excellent opportunity to cause havoc, and as they left Bree to begin their bullying and take over the Shire, they started a small skirmish outside the inn of the Prancing Pony, which would claim the lives of both villagers and hobbits alike. So the skirmish in Bree is the first of our Scaring the Shire campaign, which has turned into a 16 or so scenarios. It's quite a bit of scenarios. It's on one of my favorite size boards. It's a two-by-two two board, so it's nice and compact with the action. It's quite dense of terrain. You've got lots of buildings in this one. You've got good deployment zone right outside the Prancing Pony, which is in the middle of the board, and then the ruffians will come on a bit later on. You've got 
the participants are the Bree villagers. So you've got eight Bree villagers, which have their own special profile. They're fight one, they're strength three, defense three, attacks one, wounds one, courage two. They can, they're armed with a dagger, but cannot special strike. So these guys are even worse than ruffians, which is impressive, an impressive ability to, to be. Uh, they have also four Hobbit militia, which are probably just as bad, but they have the throw stones, which is handy, and potentially special strikes. And they're against Bill Fernie, four ruffians, uh, two another two ruffians with whip and three ruffians with bow. The way they're listed in these scenarios was confusing for a lot of people because they've got the the semicolon separating them. It's not four ruffians, two of which have whip. It's four ruffians and two ruffians with whip and three ruffians with bow. So quite a bit of evil models, and they're basically running through the village and trying to do as much damage as possible. So the objectives are: the game lasts to the end of the turn uh, if the evil player reduces the good force to twenty five percent, or the good player kills Bill Fernie. Any other results to draw? I always like that subtext. It's a good way to to sort out the game. Bill Fernie's got a special rule as well that he must cause at least two casualties before the evil player can win. And if the good player is reduced to 25% and Bill Fernie has not caused at least two casualties, then the game is a draw, which is very embarrassing for Bill Fernie. But I can imagine that no one would have trouble with Bill Fernie getting the kills, would they? Um, yeah, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, look, I... I have no excuses for what happened in Bree. Uh, it was a lad's night out, and Bill just wasn't performing, you know? He certainly wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I found this re- So you guys played through that and got a draw in your um, Fail Charge Games campaign, am I right? That's correct, yes. Yep. yep. So we, we played through this a few times, and this one, the, the Ruffians are pretty much heavy favorites, we found, because they've got... The whips are handy, because you can shoot on the move. The bows are really handy, so you've got more shooting weapons, so you can outmaneuver, you can time it, and also you've got lots of buildings, which means that the, the Hobbit throw stones, they tend to set up a throw stones, and then we found that the Ruffians just disappeared just outside of throw stones range, or use the Bree villages as cover to get into combat. Uh, we had Bill Fernie not having much trouble at all, so basically the game was Bill Fernie and a bunch of Ruffians would manipulate it so he got a kill, then they'll manipulate it so he got another kill, and then just everyone in, all in, and let's see what happens. And it, usually at that point, the Bree Villagers didn't hold up particularly well. But it, because it's such a small scenario, it can be really swingy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it it almost feels like a kind of fight on a school, like, playground kind of thing. Like, everyone has to stand around until Bill has finished his business, and then you can start going in. Mm. Yeah, so this is a, a pretty quick scenario. It's a good introduction. Unfortunately, compared to some of the others, you have to get different terrain. There's a lot more. It's in Bree, whereas all the other ones are in the Shire. So if you've got some Bree buildings or or even ones that are similar, you're going to use them in this scenario, but it's going to look a little bit different to the others. You also have to come up with some Bree villages in some ways. What did you use for the Bree villages, Tom? Um, I believe I used some uh, Perry miniatures. Uh, I think they were like Russian peasants or something like that. And obviously the Perry's sculpted a lot of the Lord of the Rings range. So they actually fit quite nicely in with the uh, general aesthetic. I think they also, the Russian peasants work really well for Lake Town as well, I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why I had them in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar sort of clothes. And I, I think that's the, the Lake Town costume is pretty similar from, from some of the Russian peasants as well. So that's a good idea. I've got some... Uh, I can't even remember what they are, but they're they're historic ones as well. But they're um like medieval, like a, a mob or something like that, unruly mob, uh, which okay. I'm also using as ruffians. But they they don't have the same ruffian equipment, so they do stand out enough to be able to use them in this one as well. I mean, generally anyone with a pitchfork, and you're probably golden, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, you just need some peasants. So in the picture, they've got the, the Lake Town militia. The only problem is that none of them have the shield, but honestly, in a scenario, who cares? Just, just put down whatever you've got. You need eight models that aren't ruffians. Yeah, just something that um, you can easily distinguish. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to the ruffians arrive. The ruffians arrive. Following their dealings in the village of Bree, which left its people too scared to speak out, the ruffians made haste to the boundaries of the Shire, rounding up any like-minded folk that could help them seize control and implement Sharky's rules. As their numbers grew, so did their confidence. How could such small and insignificant folk stand against them? As they reached the Shire, the ruffians were greeted by a single hobbit, one who had made dealings with Sharky himself. Lothar Sackville Baggins had agreed with the wizard to let his ruffians into the Shire in return for wealth and standing. Yet as Lothar guided his new allies along the East Road, it became obvious that their passing would not go as unnoticed as he had planned. Word had reached Holfoot Bracegirdle of a band of rough-looking men heading towards Hobbiton, and so he rounded them up all twelve of the Shire's sheriff to investigate the claims. As Lothar and the ruffians neared the Brandywine Bridge, the sheriffs confronted them, and as Holfoot demanded to know what their business was, he was answered by shouts and howls as the ruffians raced towards him and his sheriffs. And Tom, this is yeah. another one that you've gone through uh, in the in the channel, and I, I've watched that, and I was getting getting very frustrated with it for the first part, but then then I think you guys agreed with what I was saying as a criticism as well. So I'll let you talk me through it, and then we'll discuss what happens in this one. Yeah, so this is a classic kind of wargaming trope, the bridge scenario. It's a uh, another two by two board. Kind of, I'm with you. I love the two by two setups. Uh, nice and small, nice and compact. You can really pack it in with some uh, kind of interesting terrain but it's got the uh, brandywine river uh flowing through the center which is a six inch river uh, across uh it can't be crossed by the hobbits but the ruffians can make it across and in the center of the board along a pathway you have the brandywine bridge and i imagine your frustration stems from the fact that in the fcg video <laughs> we had a very small bridge uh which made a difficult scenario already uh kind of just much more difficult to deal with yeah, no, that was definitely the criticism I had because it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, you look at the picture of the the board in the the image, and it looks it looks about the same same size that you had the the two models across. Uh, the board says in the the layout, it says you have to fit three or four man sized models side by side, and in the picture, in the the thing, it looks like they've just got a bit of uh, Lake Town terrain and put it with some some looks looks like a barrier at the side, the old ruins and a walls kit i think it is that they they had so it's a little bit confusing about how big it was i did exactly the same thing i played it with the the two models wide because i already had a bridge which looked really nice and and i mm. put it down and then we found that it was so easy for the hobbits to bottleneck the bridge that the ruffians had to go through the river which if anyone knows the brandy wine you don't cross the brandy wine by swimming through the brandy wine you you go over the bridge so we had uh, our first playthrough, many, many drowned ruffians, and then the ones that survived yes. got um, got hit by stones pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it 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 was particularly nasty for the ruffians I was controlling as well. We lost a few to the river uh, pretty much straight away. Clearly, uh, swimming school isn't uh, big in Bree, but uh, I think a larger bridge would make it a much more interesting scenario. But I think regardless of how big you make the bridge, it's still going to end up being a crazy bottleneck so you're still going to have to swim some ruffians across to try and break up that line of hobbits at one side yeah p potentially we we've actually found that you go as far as you can on the bridge and then jump in the water and hope it's only one turn of swimming so you don't have to get the start from one end so you just push in and then sort of 
crowd over. We should talk about the participants as well, because this is very uh, Hobbit heavy. Yeah, absolutely. So on the good side, we've got Holfoot Bracegirdle, uh, who's the sheriff leader, and Robin Smallborough, who are obviously two of the newer uh, heroes. We've got eight Hobbit sheriffs and four Hobbit militia. Then on the evil side, we've got Bill Fernie, uh, Lotho Sackville Baggins, six ruffians, two ruffians with whip, and four ruffians with bow. Yeah, so the, this one, just on numbers alone, it's probably in favour with the, the good side. Most of the time, you'd you'd back those guys, especially because those Hobbit sheriffs and the Hobbit sheriff leaders are really, really good at taking down ruffians. They've got the good fight value. They've got the weapons that, that with the... Is it um, Holfoot that does the, the two-handed weapon, makes it so it doesn't count as a penalty? I think it might be. Yeah, so Holfoot... Um... Basically, within three inches, all Hobbit sheriffs ignore the two-handed penalty for their weapons, and that obviously includes himself and Robin Smallborough as well. So they can start doing quite a lot of damage with those um, staves. Yeah, you're effectively fighting at the same level as the ruffians at that point, although you've got the better fight value. So it's really tough for the ruffians here. That ruffians have to rely on Bill Fernie to do some of the work, which he's he's not the most reliable ruffian in the world. Uh, Lotho Sackville Baggins is pretty useful in that he can help you with the, the bottleneck. But what I find with this one is that you want to go try and get those two whips to do some work as they, they go in. And, and we ended up having a line of four hobbits versus four ruffians. And you just hope that you can break a couple of them down. And if you can even get those two hobbits paralyzed by putting them in chains, bring them towards yourself and then run around them with the other ruffians to try and uh, keep attacking because they tend to get in the way and the hobbits tend to keep reviving them. I don't know if that happened with you guys, but they um we found that if you don't go and once you once you put them in chains, if you don't go and move them away towards your own lines, then the hobbits just keep reviving, keep reviving. Yeah, they keep unlocking those little shackles. I probably didn't use the the kind of shackling as much as I should have uh, during the scenario. It's definitely something I kind of need to pay attention to a little bit more with them. But Holfoot and Robin can do a surprising amount of damage. Uh, they're definitely much more combat savvy than Bill and Lotho. Yes, yeah, they, they certainly are. And it's the throw stones as well. This one's, I feel like if you get an if you get a win with the the ruffians, you've probably got a little bit lucky and you've probably played it pretty well as well. I definitely think the wide bridge is a good way to go. And I think if you win the first scenario, you might have a little bit better chance if you're a ruffian player as well. So there are, there are ways to get through. It's definitely not impossible, but it's a tough one for the ruffians. Yeah, definitely. So it, it I think I'd have to play it a few times just to see uh, what would be the best tactic for the ruffians to use on it. But uh, that bottleneck especially with the narrow bridge, it's not doing them any favours. Yeah, I, I, my, my best tactic here is to, to attack, 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 and then try and trash talk the Hobbit player as much as possible into rolling bad dice. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what I do in general <laughs> anyway. So. Yeah, uh, the Hobbits can't swim across the bridge, but that's that's pretty much irrelevant. They wouldn't want to. It's The bridge is death for everyone. It's it's a desperate move to go across the bridge because it's, it's deep water, I believe. Uh, or does it say... Just Hobbit models cannot swim at all. Okay, so doesn't say, we we treat it as as deep water because, well, it's the Brandywine River. Yeah. But I, I guess you could house rule that as well if you wanted to. It might make it slightly easier for the ruffians. But then again, I don't think you really want that because then they probably avoid the bridge altogether. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you want some incentive to make them actually go and try and scrap in the center, but it, it's it's a tough scenario. Oh yeah, it's really tough, and a lot of these scenarios are 
are weighted one way or the other. I think that we've got so many scenarios and Jay's mentioned in one of his videos that he did recently that he wrote this book in two weeks. So I think he can be slightly forgiven for having the scenarios not play tested as much as uh, maybe, maybe we would like, but because they're so small, I'm sure they played through them a couple of times and said, yep, that feels right. Yeah, absolutely. I would really love to see kind of the statistics of what, uh, what they got in the, uh, like the testing center of who won consistently mm. and stuff like that. It would be really interesting to read that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think some of them, it's probably just a gut feeling as much as anything. You, you play through it once, you go, yeah, that feels right, and away you go. And uh, I feel like sometimes you get some some swingy results and not realize, but it also depends on how we set up the terrain as well. And, and I'm sure that the people doing some of these layout pitches and some of these the maps are not the same people who are doing the writing. So it's probably got some inconsistencies throughout the scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And like I think there's obviously the narrative element as well as like, historically it does skew in one general direction so they're probably trying to get it to play that way um but it, it it's a really fun scenario to play and like it it is such a wargaming trope the bridge mm. scenario so it's nice to see it represented here yeah and then we move on to our next one which is an absolute classic maggots farm maggots farm Sharky's puppet Lotho has assumed control over the Shire, and the wizard is slowly amassing his forces of ruffians within its boundaries. However, at present, the wizard does not have the number he needs to fully take over, and more ruffians must sneak in for his plan to work. Most of his men will travel along the Greenway or the Great East Road. It has been known for a group of ruffians to attempt to reach Hobbiton by traversing across Farmer Maggot's field, only to feel the wrath of the farmer and his hounds. The hops of the Shire know well enough not to trespass in Maggot's crop. Many of them have felt the sting of his stick upon their legs or a nip from Grip, Fang or Wolf when they have been caught scrumping at the odd mushroom or two. These experiences have since been shared by numerous ruffians and few dare to traverse Maggot's fields for they know full well what would befall them and that if they leave him well enough alone he will leave them much the same way. One particular stormy night a group of ruffians had strayed into Maggot's crop by accident only realising their whereabouts far too late to do anything about it. Maggot has his hounds wandering the field in search of troublemakers and will gladly chase off the ruffians should he discover them. He is a stern hobbit and knows when people are up to no good and is not inclined to let them pass unpunished whether they claim to have business in Hobbiton or not. Yes, Maggot's farm. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing this scenario. Have you played this one recently? I have played it... Oh. Maybe not recently. I actually got a custom board that's exactly the size of this Maggot's Farm with all the farm built in. So it's only used for Maggot's Farm, nothing else. And it's got, it's, it, it was one of my first displays. We used to, at our club, do like open days. And I did a Scaring the Shire, original Scaring the Shire open day. So I had the um, Battle of Bywater and Maggot's Farm. And it, it was. It was a really popular game then. It was a little bit strange because the way Terra used to rule, uh, used to work was that you could end up using the the dog's terror to make you move faster as a ruffian player if you attack them on the right side so uh, that was a bit of a strange one which is definitely not the case anymore so can you talk us through this one as it currently is yeah absolutely so maggots farm is a very uh small participant game so on the good side we've got farmer maggot with grip fang and wolf and on the evil side we've got two ruffians one ruffian with whip and three ruffians with bows. So we've got a grand total of what, like 10 models there, I think. Yeah, so which is... It's not, a, it's not a huge battle, that's for sure. That's an increase, though. It used to be only nine models. 
Oh, really? Who who extra is an extra ruffian? Yeah, extra ruffian, and uh, I think it's pretty much the same that you don't start farming maggot on the board, but that's that's the same. It's, it used to be one less ruffian. Yeah, no, it, it's an interesting setup as well. Uh, so it's a four by two board. A significant portion of the board itself is set up as a forest, and then uh, towards kind of the uh, western edge is set up as farmer maggots farm. So a lot of fields, a lot of fences, a lot of kind of brambles and thickets and stuff like that, just to try and make. Uh, the ruffian's time a bit more difficult getting across. And mm. uh, we've also got a scarecrow uh, in Farmer Maggot's fields as well, which is where the grip fang and wolf deploy. When we used to play it, we found that using all those hedges and little, little fenced-off areas, the the most fun way to play it as a scenario is have them as jump tests and defendable uh, like walls. But mm. there's a definite debate because depending on how high you model them, people might say that you can't use them as defendable objects or, or whatever. How do you go with those those hedges and uh, the, the the barriers between the farm uh, farms? Sorry, not the farms, the, the paddocks. Uh, when we played it, we had uh, kind of like little prefabbed farms just on bases and stuff like that. And they've got pretty low walls on them that hobbits can see over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sh- uh, the ruffians, sorry, can definitely see over them. So I don't think we got to a situation where the ruffians made it far enough to be able to defend <laughs> on a wall or anything like that. And the kind of the thought of a dog defending over a wall is an interesting concept, but maybe they're sticking their head through and snapping at the other side. But uh, I-, I would just add something extra to the scenario. You know, it- it's not a bad idea to have jump tests and all that kind of thing. And it definitely introduces a set of rules that, I always see frequently getting wrong at tournaments and stuff like that. People not really understanding them. So if you're going to introduce them, it's nice to have it on a small scale and mm. uh, get used to them. Yeah, because the dogs move as centuries, I actually really like it because what you can do is make a real choice about about which uh, which paddock they go into, which field they go into. So so the jump test potentially slows them right down, but it also means the ruffians have to choose where they go and do they all want to. Go- like gather together or do they want to split up? So the, I feel I found there's a lot of choice like that. If it was just one that you could walk through, I feel like it wouldn't, there wouldn't be as much thought into where you were heading them. It would basically be just run through and hope, but the, the dogs are vicious, aren't they? They can definitely take down ruffians pretty easily. Yeah. The speed they have and the strength and the, uh, just the general fighting. Cause they outfight ruffians in the scenario, obviously, cause they don't have the Hobbit keyword. So they're not getting the plus one fight. So if you can get them into combat, the dogs can really do some damage, but they obviously can't take damage very well either. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a really interesting scenario because it's one of those ones where the ruffian player has to get their forces across the table. They have a very limited time to be able to do that in, basically through bodies. So they need to get uh, four or more ruffians off the western board edge. And when you're starting with, what, like six ruffians, you've only got a kind of casualty margin of two so you have to be very careful with what you're losing yeah that's particularly harsh for for the victory conditions so it's a tough one used to be a little bit easier but still still really tough you've really got to make sure you gang up on on those dogs so at some point you may just decide to to go after one dog and and try and get rid of it in one turn and then hope that that when the next ones come you can get a shot off before they arrive farmer maggot if he gets into combat with a ruffian you're in a lot of trouble because he's he's pretty tough once the alarm's been raised there's a five plus that he shows up so he eventually shows up and he'll basically block off some of the area and most of the time he gets avoided but he's he's quite an intimidating fellow yeah, it's interesting that it's on a five up as well. Like, if you roll like me, you'd probably never have Farmer Maggot turn up ever. He's probably on a vacation somewhere. But he he can cause a lot of damage if he gets into combat. Like, he's got that two handed weapon, so he is at a disadvantage. But he's got a, a lot of might to kind of bump that up. And 
he yeah if he gets into combat with the ruffian that's my it's good night for the ruffians <laughs> yeah the, the main reason why it's it's difficult for the ruffians is that stormy knight special rule if they didn't have this rule where basically they can only ever hit on a six with shooting attacks so you, you keep moving with the shooting of course and then they the dogs cause it get the terrorist special rule Normally, they wouldn't be that much of a problem, but because your courage is not particularly good for ruffians, it's difficult to gang up and charge. So oftentimes, you end up uh, shooting into combat, potentially, if you can't charge, or you've got to make a choice about how you you go about this. But even then, it's so hard to do something with the shooting. So it really is probably against the the ruffians in this one. But if they do take out a dog early, they tend tend to be in a much better position. And just with that shooting into combat, that's a dangerous game in this one, because Again, with that casualty margin of two, if you're taking out your own guys, you should, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, that used to be a tactic in the old one where every, all the ruffians have whips, but now they specify that you only get one, I think, is it? So that makes it even tougher. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing more embarrassing than killing a ruffian with a whip. Oh, it's just part of being an evil player. You've just got to accept that you're going to kill your own guys with shooting. Yeah, that's true. And I guess if you sign up for like being an evil minion, it's bad things <laughs> just happen to you. I'm pretty sure that they they wouldn't report back that they got killed with a whip. They would have said the dog got them or something like that. It wouldn't be raised to the HR department. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. There's probably not a lot of complaints, and, and the paperwork would probably be pretty lax, I imagine. Oh, I should be all over it, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, so should we move on to the, the old mill, the next one along? Yeah, absolutely. The old mill. The old mill stood on the north banks of Hobbiton for many years, being a source of work and food for generations. The mill was owned by Sandyman the miller, and was run by his son, Ted Sandyman. The Sandyman family had never been the most popular family in Hobbiton. They had a reputation for gossip and talking ill behind the backs of their fellows, but none in the Shire ever wanted anything truly bad to befall them. However, the arrival of the chief and his ruffians and the passing of old Sandyman changed all that. Ted Sandyman seemed to agree with the going-ons of Lotho and his ruffians, often having long-drawn-out conversations that would halt as soon as other hobbits drew near. To those that look on, it seemed that Ted was firmly on the side of Master Lotho, and many hobbits feared what plans the two of them had for Hobbiton. It wasn't long before their fears were realised. Ted Sandyman sold his father's mill to Lotho for a rather generous pile of gold, and soon rumours of plans for knocking down the old mill and constructing some other building started to surface. Outraged by Ted's plan to demolish a part of Hobbiton and with his father's legacy, a group of angry workers locked the doors to the mill and now stand against Ted and the ruffians as they come to begin work to knock down the mill. So the old mill, once again, two by two board with generic ruffian surroundings all through. And one of the walls is the edge of the old mill. So there's basically a a door to the old mill that the good player deploys outside of. They've only got 12 Hobbit militia. And on the evil side, you've got Ted Sandyman, who looks a lot like a Hobbit. Eight ruffians and then four ruffians with whips. So the ruffians definitely have the numbers advantage here. But the good player deploys in a stationary position and has to defend the wall, essentially. So the evil player wins if they break down or open the doors to the old mill. The good player wins if they can reduce the evil player to 25% of their starting number. So the good player just has to kill lots of them. The doors, though, uh, you have to attack them in the fight phase by a model that's not involved in a fight. And that's the tricky part. So you've got to sneak someone past the hobbits. And the doors have a defensive seven and two wounds, which is also tricky, but they count as traps, so that's that's okay. Uh, and Ted Sandyman 
if he's in base contact with the doors of the mill at the end of any phase and hasn't been involved in a fight, he can just unlock them. So that's really handy. Also, uh, the Hobbit militia add one when rolling to wound Ted Sandyman in the fight phase. So he basically tries to infiltrate through and, and get to that wall. But that basically happens when lots of guys die. So this one, we played it a few times. Have you played this one, Tom? Uh, not yet. This is the next one that we're um, we're playing, so I'm really looking forward to it. But so I'm keen to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, I think you have to be really clever with the, the ruffians to avoid those throw stones because the, the few times we've played it, the, the hobbits have managed to kill three, four ruffians with the throw stones, and then we're able to just grind down to, to, to sort that out. So I think the terrain, be very careful with what you do. It says... The, the rest of the board should be littered with small selections of hedges, carts, crates, and other things you might find lying around Hobbiton. I would make it so you get a path where if the ruffians are, are careful, they can get in the ways all the way to the old mill. So just be careful about that one because if they get clear shots, the, the hobbits just destroy them with the with the stones. There's no turn limit on this one. It was a bit of fun, but it was uh, one that I, I played it with Kylie and Kylie didn't enjoy it a whole lot because she was playing the hobbits and, and doing quite well with them but then having very little choice about what she did because there wasn't any heroes on that side. And and likewise, when she played evil, it really, Ted Sandy meant nothing to write home about. So there wasn't a lot of choice for her. It was pretty much a scripted scenario, which I quite enjoyed, but it wasn't her cup of tea. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, it's not many scenarios you play where you just don't have any might whatsoever to influence the game. And it, there's nothing really, there's no incentive for the Hobbits to move at all. Like, they can just stand there and just throw as many stones as they need to to stop the ruffians so it's i I do like your idea of placing some interesting terrain to kind of uh make some different pathways and stuff like that for the ruffians to actually try and make it a little bit closer without getting just stoned to death immediately Mm. and and forcing the hobbits to even just come forward and set up some angles so if you had some sort of diagonal type terrain where they could get clear shots if they moved away from the door that would probably be be useful as well because you end up getting just a bunch of hobbits setting up just at the door and they have to the ruffians have to fight their way through them and it can be tough to do uh, obviously the only the only risk for the hobbits is getting trapped against the door so you don't want to do that just because because one side does all the movement the other side is totally stationary it's very much a story scenario rather than a, a tactical genius type scenario it almost feels a little bit like a napoleonic gun line <laughs> you're just charging it <laughs> with a knife kind of thing so you kind of—I imagine—you'd have to be fairly creative with what you do as the ruffians to get in there, and obviously protecting Ted Sandyman and stuff like that would be a good opportunity to kind of get through that door. But there's a lot of militia to get through. You basically want to hit them on the side, so you, you protect as much as you can from the throw stones and and hit them on the side, and then have a, a couple ruffians that are hiding on the other side as well to force them to to guard that side as well. So you can. If you hit the flanks of them, essentially, you're probably only fighting maybe three ruffians against two two militia. If they start bringing more, then you bring more numbers in. And once you're in combat, you're okay because you are better fight value than these hobbits. And then you, you've got the you've got the whips, which are really handy. Hobbits do not like whips, so if you get it close and you manage to survive the throw stones turn, which the hobbits should get one if they're they're clever about it. If you survive that, then you you've got you're in a good position actually. But it, it's one that one, it's a nice and quick scenario, and it's good for the story point of view. But it's it's one that's probably not as complex as some of the others. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way of putting it. it. It's not a complex scenario. It's a very straight up. You know what you need to do to win, and uh, it's basically going to come down to that one turn of throwing stones. And if the hobbits fluff, then you've got a good chance. But if they uh, if they do what hobbits do best and nail a few bad guys in the head, then it's pretty much downhill from there. Yeah, it, it's a 
probably a good one if, if you're doing it to, to show a first player just the very, very basics of the game. It's probably not a bad idea because it's, it is just the very basics. It's, it's moving, shooting, and combat. You've got one hero, but you're basically trying to use his, his might to, to keep him alive, essentially, so he can get to the door. Yeah, it has kind of that tutorial feel, but um, I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, I think you. I think you'll enjoy it. I think as long as you go into it knowing that you're not going to have thousands of choices, you're not going to be able to outsmart your opponent by doing something totally wacky. You just you're going to basically roll up the hobbits. They're going to get ready. They're going to have their rocks ready to go, and the ruffians are going to sneak through as much as they can, then eventually get into combat, and then hopefully they can break through and get to the door. Fingers crossed, I could do with a win. (laughs) You're definitely good, definitely good. But the next one, the next one's interesting. Well, it's tough, but it's interesting. So we got the mayor's arrest. The Mayor's Arrest Even though Lotho had taken up residence in Bag End, the hobbit hole he and his family had always wanted, and referred to himself as the boss, there were few who took him all that seriously in the early days. To most hobbits, it was Will Whitfoot, the old flower dumpling himself that was in charge in Hobbiton. He had been elected mayor after all, and even with the ruffian's presence, he still held that post proudly. Lotho found the lack of respect given to him by the other hobbits insulting, so began setting about to undermine the mayor. Over the weeks and months since the ruffian's arrival, Lotho and his ruffians had begun to bully those hobbits that spoke out against him or the mysterious chief, scaring and belittling them until many were too afraid to speak their mind. Even in the midst of all this unpleasantness, Will Whitfield went about his mayoral duties, reassuring those in Hobbiton that everything would be fine and to keep their spirits up. Seeing that Will's popularity was only growing, Lotho began to implement more severe strategies. Torment turned to beatings and soon many hobbits were too afraid to go outside. Eventually this was all too much for old Will Whitfoot. Unable to stay his tongue any longer, Will marched up the path to Bag End to give the so-called boss a piece of his mind. He simply couldn't stand idly by and watch those who had been elected to protect suffer under boss's rule anymore. However, Whitfoot's outburst upon the doorstep of Bag End had been exactly what Lotho Sackville Baggins had been hoping for. He now had more than enough reason to arrest the mayor and assume control over Hobbiton for himself and the chief. This one I really like because once again you've got a 2 by 2 board that's dense with hobbit holes and hobbit holes look amazing. Now most people's hobbit holes probably wouldn't actually fit on a 2 by 2 board like this. I've designed mine that I've tried to get the smallest footprint possible using those the four-jawed ones. So one of the hobbit holes I even cut off a whole bunch of the the wall and made it even smaller because you've got to keep them really small and in this scenario you need people to be able to walk around the hobbit holes so watch out for your deployment of terrain don't have them block you up the whole way don't have those gigantic hobbit holes that take up the whole board and people can't pass them you've got uh will whitfoot the mayor of hobbiton as your hero who's got a little banner effect but not much else to write home about and 12 hobbit militia which are the worst of the worst hobbits, but they're okay, they're hobbits. And evil, you've got Sid Briarthorn, the ruffian chief, and this is one scary ruffian. Six ruffians, two ruffians with whip, and four ruffians with bow. So you've got the powerful ruffian side against a pretty rubbishy hobbit side. The hobbits start in the middle. The evil player, this is the key part. They're split up into three groups, and Sid Briarthorn's in one. And the, the good player has to get Will with foot to escape the board edge through Sid Briarthorn. So that's a, a breakthrough scenario against the biggest biggest hero in the game, which is it's a ruffian hero, but he's a scary ruffian hero. The ruffians have to capture Will Whitfoot so they can bind him, put him in chains, and then treat him like a heavy ob- object. So they can try and try and do that. They have to carry him off the board edge as well. So he gets close to the board edge. They pick him up, take him off the board edge, 
all good. And he can't move first turn either. So you're basically setting up a little defense for him. I love the deployment in this scenario. It's got such a thematic kind of ambush that's going on from the various angles. And it, it's an, it's nice to see that for the good to uh, win this scenario, they actually have to actively go into the kind of the mouth of danger itself kind of thing directly towards the guy that they want to avoid the most. It, it's a really... It's a really cool deployment, and I'm um, I'm really looking forward to playing this one. I would the picture if you've got it there. There's one Hobbit hole that's next to Sid Brythorn. I would push that a little bit forward so Sid can pass through the back of that as well, because we found the times that the good player won this scenario, which didn't happen a whole lot. But when they won, they forced the evil player to overcommit to one side, and then managed to use some Hobbits to to create some bottlenecks and and run the rest of the Hobbits at the other ruffian forces. And lots of rough, lots of hobbits going at a small number of ruffians is in favour of the hobbits. But these hobbits are, are fighters. They'll go in that, yes, they have to throw stones, and yes, they'll probably throw stones the first turn because Will Whitfoot can't move. But after that, you want to go pick on one of the forces of, of the ruffians, so either one of the two side ones or the one with Sid Brythorn and hope that you've got enough hobbit militia just to, to keep him busy until Will Whitfoot gets through. So it's it's one that I actually really like this one. It's one of the ones that I'll probably keep playing and, and show off because there is lots of choices. There's lots of movement for, for a hobbit scenario and both sides are doing the movement. It's not just one side camping. It's both sides have to move, have to have to maneuver. The ruffians are really tough, but they're all split up and the hobbits are, are quite weak, but they have to throw stones at the start and they have a group and they have a fighting force. So this is a really good one, I think. You have a good time with this one. Yeah, and it's nice to see scenarios that have quite distinct objectives for both sides as well, where it's not just each side must reduce each other to an X amount kind of thing. Like the good side has a very obvious thing it has to achieve by getting Will Whitfoot off the table, and then like the ruffians have a very different objective as well. It, it, it's nice to see that kind of similar objective, but different enough that you can kind of play around that, and you probably get a lot of replayability out of this as well. Yeah, we found that it was good fun that way. Stick with it if you're the Hobbit players, because I feel like it's probably uh, the evil players a little bit easier to start with. The good player has to be a little bit clever and force them to overcommit at some point. But it, it's definitely a good fun one. And I do like the game ending is just when Woolfoot edges, like leaves the board. So that's everyone's objective. He has to either leave the board as in chains or leave the board by escaping. So some of the scenarios we had, we had almost no casualties because the hobbits managed to, to outmaneuver, found a gap, used the hobbits to, to block off the few ruffians and ran off. And they weren't interested in killing the ruffians at all. They just stayed there and, and took up space, whereas other times the ruffians killed every single hobbit and then just, just arrested Will Woodfoot at the end. <laughs> just dragged him off, yeah. You kind of have to run defense a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like playing Blood Bowl and trying to hold off the uh, attackers while your one guy with the ball runs off. So it's just depending on if it's under his own steam or not. And no turn limit as well means that you can you can do tricky things. Like you don't have to go forward with Will Woodfoot either. You can pull back and try to go behind a hobbit hole and outmaneuver them and, and faint one way. And I really like that there's no turn limit. I think that, that really does help the maneuverability in this one. Yeah, and it feels like a natural escalation of the last scenario as well. Like it's got kind of similar uh, forces uh, to the previous scenario, but just with more interesting heroes. And I believe Sid's a banner as well, isn't he, to ruffians? Uh, yeah, I think he is, yes. Yeah, so you have got the banners on either side, so that's uh, that's interesting that both sides get a banner effect, but obviously the Hobbit one is on a very limited time uh, with using Will's will, basically. <laughs> yeah, the Hobbits don't particularly want to fight combats unless it's dynamic. They don't want a prolonged game. 
They want to make sure yeah. that they're running away and and if they're fighting, assuming they're going to die slowly rather than than get taken out straight away. Yeah, it, it looks like a really fun scenario, and like as you said, the mobility is a um is a key for this one. So it's nice that we've had scenarios up to this point that have kind of been fairly restrictive in movement, but this one obviously offers a lot more freedom in that regard. The death of Lotho. Through his dealing with Sharky, Lotho had gained a significant amount of wealth and standing within the Shire. This newfound wealth had started to change him, and not for the better. He became cruel to and sneered at his fellow hobbits and lorded his fortune over them. A hobbit could be forgiven for believing that it was Lotho who called the shots in the Shire, that it was his plan to close the inns, knock down the old buildings and build newer, grimmer ones in their place, or even throw fellow hobbits into the lockholes. However, behind the scenes, it was old Sharky that was pulling the strings, influencing Lotho to do his bidding and implement his regime whilst he readied himself to assume command. It wasn't too long before the greedy hobbit had outlived his usefulness regarding Sharky's plans. The ruffians were not fond of taking orders from Lotho, and his pompous and arrogant attitude was beginning to grate on the wizard. It was high time they had him removed. One evening, when Lotho was with his like-minded hobbits, Sharky sent a band of ruffians to cause a nearby ruckus, and in the confusion he instructed his slimy servant Grima Wormtongue to make sure that he saw to the troublesome Lotho for good. The next one, and this will be the final one we talk about in this scenario spotlight, the death of Lotho is a similar idea. So you've got a very similar setup with the board. Uh, in the picture, it's one less hobbit hole, but you can put as many as you want as well. Pathway leading towards Baggin from the Green Dragon, which is, of course, very popular in our area. Uh, this time you've got Lotho, Sackville, Baggins, but only eight militia. And then on the evil side, you've got Worm, six ruffians, and three ruffians with whip. Now, this one, you have to... The game lasts until Lotho, Sackville, Baggins has left the board or is slain. And the good player wins if Lotho can escape the board edge by, via any board edge. The evil player wins if Worm can slay Lotho. Any other result is a draw. Now, this one's a bit interesting in that Worm, Worm's got that special rule where if he's on his own, he gets superpowered. Unfortunately, yep. there's lots of ruffians, uh, lots of hobbits around, so it doesn't happen a whole lot in this scenario. Um, hobbit militias must always charge a ruffian, so that's something interesting. Worm gets stalk unseen um, with bits of terrain, but because it's so close, it's not really a big part of the game. And he doesn't deploy as normal. You put down four markers and move him around, so we don't know which one he is. And then one of them ends up charging Lotho. So you end up having a one-on-one with Lotho and Worm, but oftentimes it's not enough. And if you don't get that kill, the hobbits tend to take him out. We've actually played through this one quite a lot and end up adding extra ruffians as well because the ruffians start around the side, at least six inches away from any good model. Because Lotho can leave any board edge, so he doesn't have to leave south or north or anything like that. So you need a circle of ruffians, and we found that that the ruffians, with the board size we used, it would probably change if you had denser terrain, but we needed more ruffians because that, that worm and worm as a counter, essentially, which, which you want to pick your timing, but only nine ruffians wasn't really enough to stop the breakthrough of the, the nine hobbits. Yeah, it's a lot of board to cover with um, nine ruffians and worm and... The reason I'm looking forward to playing this scenario is I think the counter for Worm is a really interesting uh, idea that they've implemented. Like you, you can kind of play some mind games and all this kind of stuff, and it it, it looks like a really fun scenario to play with the um, the various tokens and kind of which one is it going to be? You know, it's something you don't really see in too many scenarios. So 
it's pretty cool. I really like it. <laughs> it's one that I think we've played it more than any of the other ones because it's it's really quick and we'll both try to find ways. I think David and I were playing it through for a whole evening, trying to find ways to actually get the assassination across. And it felt strange because Lotho dies in this one. He's supposed to supposed to get killed and possibly even eaten by worm. But then it doesn't happen as much well, it didn't happen for us pretty much any time until we changed the the evil side a little bit, which we've got heaps of ruffians because we're playing through the scenario, so it wasn't that hard. But that was the only way we could do it because just the number of militia and the, the the aggressive number of militia meant that if you lost a ruffian, you suddenly couldn't even break through to get to Lotho. And then Lotho's he's not bad fighter for for a hobbit. He's not he's not too bad. He's got that rule where he can bribe, I believe. So that that's helpful as well. So we can basically keep it to just worm. And yeah, it's 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 a challenging assassination. I think the idea was that that all the hobbits would die and then Lotho and just a couple of them would try to break through, but the hobbits and the ruffians are pretty similarly matched in all honesty. Yeah, and like you you're throwing very limited dice, so I mean all it takes is one dice to go the wrong way and suddenly you're losing ruffians and it's just becoming more tricky. I'm I'm just thinking like, would there be any value in trying to use the uh ruffian shackles on Lotho to kind of keep him pinned while Worm does his business, you know? Oh, absolutely, if you can get to him, though, because the 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 Hobbits, yes, they have to charge if they're able to, but first turn, they're going to have priority. So they're set up in a formation where they're going to throw stones, essentially, because uh, you can, at least six inches away from an opponent, usually means you can't charge first turn. And if you, if you, if you can, if you're exactly six inches away, there's no reason the Hobbit player can't just, just pull a couple Hobbits back. So we had this, this formation where... There was a, one hobbit on each of the, f- the four extremes, or even three extremes, if you want to play a little bit cheekier, and making sure that none of the ruffians can deploy in charge range first turn, because those hobbits will then compress the formation slightly. Then you get lots of throw stones the first turn. Whichever hobbit, whichever ruffian you kill with the throw stones, you just run at those ones, and they, they don't usually have enough. So they end up floating backwards and trying to set up a defense again. And it's really tough because all you have to do is engage a few of the ruffians and then Lotho and friends can often get through without even uh, fighting the combat because Lotho doesn't have to charge. The militia do, but Lotho doesn't. Yeah, so he's just going to stand in the center, which is kind of very appropriate for his kind of character as well, you know, like he's quite willing to sacrifice everybody else. So it's nice and thematic and it'll be a good one to, uh, to play a few times, I think, and just see, you know, it'll... It's always enjoyable to try and put Lotho through the ringer, so it'll uh, it'll be a good one. Uh, once again, I think it'll be a real good one to watch. I would recommend playing it. It only takes 20 minutes or something like that. It's not very long. Play it a, a one or two times beforehand to see if you need more ruffians because your your experience may differ to mine, but what you don't want is to just be an easy run through with the Hobbits, just, just barging through and killing all the ruffians. You want it to be at least at least some tension, of course. You know that. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make for good content if he just wanders off the board in his own time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to have that fight, and it needs to be stressful. And, and it's often like if he wins, and it's and it, it looks like he had a chance of losing, it's fine. But it's where those ones where Worm doesn't even get in because you've got that little ring around him, and he's got to still fit his base through. And when he does, you just have another Hobbit there or or whatever. It's yeah, it's hard for, for Worm to, to take him down without being super-powered. And to be super-powered, he's got to drag him away from all the the militia, which basically means you have to kill them, which is pretty well impossible to do. I can't think of a situation where Worm would be able to. I mean, you could try and come up with something creative. like with Yeah, you'd have to get rid of all of the militia and kind of make sure no one's watching. And I guess he, Worm just has a lot of performance anxiety. 
I get the idea. You try and bait the, the militia away with the combats, but the problem is you don't have enough ruffians to do that and still have a fighting force. So that, yeah. that takes in all your ruffians. And then Lotho will just follow one and probably join in the combat as well. So if it's against one ruffian and you end up with two militia in there, Lotho will happily join that combat, make it a three-on-one, and then the chance of you for winning that one is really high. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I'm looking forward to playing it, though. Yeah, look, it's one that's worth persevering with it. And we just found, we just added one or two extra ruffians, I think it was. It might have even been just one was enough for it for our board. But it's definitely worth persevering with. And it's it doesn't take long. All these scenarios so far have been about 20, 30 minutes tops. So you can play through them multiple times. Yeah, and you can get, you can get through a couple of them in a night and change sides and try and see what uh, you do in that scenario and see what... Uh how it feels to play on the other side as well. Yeah. So I think we'll save the rest of these scenarios for, for the Ruffian episode. So that's enough for the moment. I've enjoyed this this longer scenario spotlight. So thanks for that, Tom. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll get you on for the Ruffian ones. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I'm always happy to. Yeah, yeah. If you, get, if you get some more played through. Well, we've got to get some more played through as well. Okay, so that's the end of Scenario Spotlight. Mustering an up. And now we're moving on to mustering an army of hobbits and what an army it is. Now, for hobbits, because you've got so many options, but everything's such good value, we've tried to be a little bit tricky with our points level. So I'm going to start off, Tom, and I've got a 300-point army, which is actually a points level that I really enjoy playing, especially if we've got just a night where you've got a couple friends over. Well, it hasn't happened a lot lately, but it used to be where we would come in and we'll play two or three games in the evening at 300 points on some small boards. So hobbits really shine at this level. So for my pure Shire 300 point list, so pure Shire 300 points, I'm getting the woodland creature. I'm loving it. I've gone for something a little bit different. I've gone for farmer maggot as my leader. So he comes with grip wolf, wolf and fang in that order in my mind. And he's also got a max out warband. So I've given him eight hobbit archers and then one Hobbit Archer with Warhorn. So it takes his Warband up to 12 models. So it's a full Warband. I'm not getting a Legendary Legion bonus here, but I am able to move him through woods, which is very, very handy. And he's a, he's a good leader. He's He's got good courage. He can support in a fight when he needs to. He can add a bit of punch. So I don't mind him. And I've got my dogs, which are just incredibly useful. My second Warband, I've gone for some Sheriffs, of course. Of course. Everyone goes for Sheriffs. I've gone for a whole foot Brace Girdle, who's the Sheriff Leader, and with him is six Hobbit Sheriffs. So he's got a nice big band of Hobbit Sheriffs, six in his Warband. And then Warband 3, I've gone for his friend Robin Smallborough, who also has six Sheriffs. So we've got these two Sheriff Patrols. I'm not sure exactly how many Sheriffs were in the Hob- uh, the Shire. I think... There was someone arguing that there was 12 in there, but there's also arguments about them recruiting extra as well. So that might be the standing force. And then during times such as the occupation with the ruffians, there was more. I'm not sure about that, but I've got 14 in total. Two of them are heroes, six of them are sheriffs, which I think looks really cool. And then I've got one more warband as well, because of course at 300 points, why not put four warbands in? I've got Lotho Sackville Baggins, you convinced me in the in the know that I knew you talked him up so much. I could not resist. So I've gone for Lotho Sackville Baggins just before he gets uh, taken on by 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 poor um, 
who was it? Was it Bill? No, it was a worm. Before, before Worm gets to him with 10 Hobbit Militia. So I theme this very much around that early stage with the, the scouring of the Shire. So Farmer Maggot's on the outskirts. You've got Holdfoot Brace Girdle and Robin Smallborough leading sheriff patrols, so potentially enforcing the Shire law. But you've also got Lotho as well. So these, these ones could be potentially fighting on either side, really. It's that early stage of the skirmish. I'm really happy with the choice of heroes. and I'm, I'm actually really liking it from a from a, a game effectiveness as well. I think I've got a good balance. What do you think, Tom? I think you've got a good amount of numbers. I really like the heroes that you've chosen. I think Holfoot and Robin really do provide a lot, especially with their marches. It kind of makes up for your lack of mobility. You've got Grip, Wolf, and Fang for some uh, extra speed and kind of objective control. Farmer Maggot, as you mentioned, is a really good hero. Uh, his two-handed weapon is fine because he's got a couple of might as well. Nice and strong. And Lotho is just an excellent kind of force modifier for this list, pushing up the uh, Death Star almost of your 14 Hobbit Sheriffs who suddenly are now fight for and uh, Burley. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, quite a, it's quite a decent little center. The only kind of thing I was thinking is the, the Warhorn is an interesting choice. Like I, it makes sense from a thematic point of view, but 30 points in a 300 point list is, well, it's like 10% of your... Uh, army, so there's a lot of model potential there. I know you've gone for a very particular theme, but for me, I would drop the Warhorn and bring in Will Whitfoot mm-hmm. and cut Lotho's Warband to five militia and put the other five militia with uh, Will, because then you've got the same little Death Star in the center of the 14 uh, Burly Fight for Sheriffs with a banner reroll now as well. I 100% agree with you in terms of gameplay and in terms of effectiveness. I I had that in my original list. I had it actually instead of Lotho, but I just couldn't really justify at that point with the theme uh, Will Whitfoot being so adventurous. So that, in the end, got to me. But I think you're right. If you were going to play it as a competitive list, and, and why not, I think probably Will Whitfoot is a better purchase than the Warhorn. I think the Warhorn's a really good purchase, but Will Whitfoot did. The ability for those sheriffs, especially, to have a reroll happening on those key turns of combat will probably make a difference because you're going to fight combat with this army. Yes, you can shoot some things down, but you're going to be fighting some combats and you've got a design for combat. This is as combat-based a Hobbit army as you're going to get at this sort of level, isn't it? Because you've got Lotho going and buffing Holfoot, Robin, and the sheriffs who are all pretty decent fighters as well as Farmer Maggot. Yeah, it's it's... It's almost like an elite Hobbit list, what you've built here. It's kind of like you've taken uh, a real specialist force and uh, putting it on the table. And I think at 300 points, this would be quite a hard army to beat, to be honest. Mm, I think it could definitely hold its own. So, And I, I, I don't know, maybe it is overpowered, but I, I like the combination of heroes. I don't think... I think it's pretty optimal, but I don't think it's... Re- ridiculously either. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I haven't gone for the, the Travelers. I haven't gone for the Legendary Legion. I probably could have snuck in Pippin and Mary and made it a, a Legendary Legion, but I'm I'm pretty happy with it. And I, I think those I think those Hobbit Shearers are fantastic. I think they're very flexible and they're very good at this point. You, you Yes, Lotho. You, you, we've talked about Lotho. He is, he's insane if you're getting Fight 4 around. And then you've got enough archers that, that if someone wants to run away from me, I can threaten them at long range. Yeah, you've definitely got enough ranged in there to incentivize the opponent to come to you and don't forget that your sheriffs have still got throw stones so no can, i won't forget that yeah you can um, you can really cause some damage before you uh, your battle lines meet and then you've got 38 models to wrap around and cause some traps and you know traps win games 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, you get the Hobbit-specific traps here, but these guys will trap. And and look, it might end up being unfair. What I don't want to play against is really elite armies. So say like uh, defense seven dwarf armies that that are quite compact because they might be able to take me down because they're not too worried. Even if I get fight four, they can still win a fair share of fights. They've probably got a hero that's better than anything in my list. They're not too worried about the speed because they're actually faster than me at this point. So that's the one I don't want to play. But any, any standard army, like if it's an orc horde, I'm, I'm happy to take them on with this army. Yeah, you have got a lot of clubs as well. So you could go on a bash rampage if you wanted to. <laughs> or stun, <laughs> rather, sorry. So you could you could get tricky with some of your special strikes as well against those kind of armies. But uh, I think this would be a really fun one to run. And um, I'm actually kind of keen to put this on the table, to be honest. Oh, good, good. I think it's a good way to start. And I think... One of the disadvantages of Hobbit armies is, from a, from a list building point of view, is that once you get to a certain level, you just take everything you own. So this is fun that you had to make some choices. Yeah, absolutely. And like as you said, the four heroes you've got here are really fantastic. And it's it, the fact that you're using three of the new heroes is kind of telling to how much the Scouring of the Shire is actually provided to this list. Yeah, so, true. Um, it's nice to see some of those new heroes out on the table. Hmm. And I think Farmer Maggot's going to be a very interesting leader as well. Now, he could go for, for whole foot, but what, I'm, what my thought is that Farmer Maggot's got a bit more survivability and he can almost lead from the back if he needs to. So let Wholefoot and Robin go do some attacking and, and if they if they end up getting injured and out of action, so be it. Yeah, I think the issue with putting Wholefoot as the leader is he is so important for that buff that he provides. So putting all of your eggs in one basket and making him your leader and the kind of major buff caddy, it makes him priority target. Just, oh, everyone wants to get rid of him. So at least spreading it around a little bit makes it so um, you're not just focusing in one specific area. What I do love about this army, though, is at this level, I've got my my dogs as objective grabbers or, or movement models, and they're going to be running around at Courage 6 in this game because of the, the Warhorn and Farmer Maggot. So that that's just insane. And at this level, the, that's so reliable. Yeah, Courage 6 on anything is very, very good. And you've got a number of heroes here with good courage and a number of will available to them uh, to call the standfast as well. So I think you're in a pretty good position. I think I'm in a very good position. What's your what's your first army, Tom? So my first list is actually one I ran recently at the uh, Ambush at Avon Hen tournament down in Christchurch a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yes, we can actually play tournaments here in New Zealand. I did pretty well with this one. I podiumed, I came second, uh, had some really amazing games with it. I think the only game I lost with it was against that aforementioned uh, Gothmog's Legion list, where it was a really hilarious game where I ended up killing maybe like 38 or so Moran and Orcs to five Hobbits dead. So it was pretty uh, one-sided, uh, but still managed to lose it because Gothmog just wouldn't get off the bloody objective. But uh, we'll go through the list, and you can see it's pretty optimized as far as the Legendary Legion goes. So is the Defenders of the Shire Legendary Legion? In Warband 1, I've got Meriadoc, Captain of the Shire, with Pony and Shield, and 15 Bratlin Brandy Bucks, so he's got a full Warband. Uh, making good use of his Hero of Valor status. And you know all of those Brandy Bucks have got axes. Mm. Uh, Warband 2, we've got uh, Peregrine, Captain of the Shire with Pony and Shield, and 12 Turkish Hunters. Warband 3, we've got Frodo of the of the Nine Fingers with Pony and 5 Hobbit Sheriffs. Warband 4, we've got uh, Samwise the Brave with Pony, Rosie Cotton, and 5 Hobbit Sheriffs. Warband 5, we've got Paladin Took with 5 Turkish Hunters. Warband 6, we've got Farmer Maggot with uh, Grip, Fang, and Wolf, and 8 Hobbit Sheriffs. 
Warband 7, we've got Holfoot Brace Girdle, Sheriff Leader with 5 Hobbit Sheriffs. And Warband 8, we've got Baldo Tulpenny with 5 Hobbit Sheriffs. Coming out to 72 models at 700 points. Mm, yeah, it looks pretty well well optimized, I imagine, because it's, it's a tournament. I've noticed you've gone very simple with your warriors. So you've got, as your militia, it looks like they're all brandy bucks, aren't they? Is that right? Yeah, and I tend to find that militia only really perform for me when they do have that extra strength. Um, I find the Batland brandy bucks to be really good value for what they actually provide. And they're, they're kind of the main killing force of the faction itself. Um, so I tend to find that I protect them until I can unleash them. And usually try and team them up with uh, one of my many, many hobbits, uh, hobbit sheriffs to give mm. them that extra fight value. So between the two of them, they kind of even out as you know a standard warrior for another faction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you've got some, some hitting power with those. I've noticed that all your archers are Turkish hunters as well. So that that's I guess it's easy to play in a tournament to keep that simple. You either want them to be really obvious in terms of color scheme, or just keep it simple. So I, I I do like that. I wouldn't play it like that personally. I like to mix them up, but that usually does take a bit more time. So that's that's a pretty good one. And then you've got a lot of sheriffs as well. So it seems like they're the the go to model. Yeah, I, I really rate the sheriffs, and especially with the um the the burly buff that you can get or the ignoring the two-handed weapon buff that they're very very useful and they can hold up a surprising amount with that fight three uh it was a good versus evil tournament so i knew i wasn't going to be facing too much higher fight value so i thought kind of getting that fight three across the board would kind of keep me in it for a little bit longer and that was very much the case uh my hobbits didn't really have to come up against anything that was too mean uh so managed to use that overwhelming numbers so i think i've got more sheriffs here than were ever in service in the shire but uh (laughs) As far as a competitive list goes, it's nice to have the four travelers on the board at once. They're really cool models, and uh, they all play off each other really well as well. Yeah. So the main thing is you don't have a Lotho because you can't take him the Legendary Legion, but you've got Boldo, so having like 16 traps is, is really investing on the traps, so that's pretty handy. Holfoot's definitely the better of the two sheriffs. You've only got the one sheriff leader, so that that's a good point. We talked about Maggot quite a bit. He's really good. Paladin's a, a good option. Why'd you go for Paladin? I took Paladin basically to try and get a couple more Tukish Hunters in, and I really like his uh, standfast ability and his uh, heroic accuracy. Mm. Going forward, I think he is the weakest link in the list. I think I would probably swap him out for Lobelia uh, going forward. I think she offers a lot more versatility, especially in a good versus evil tournament. Yeah, uh, I think that's really where she kind of shines. So in future, I think that would probably be... My choice, but um, going strictly off what I took recently, Paladin did his job and kind of did fine, but uh, that would be the first one to change for me. Mm, yeah, that's fair enough. And you can probably swap them around because the points aren't that too bad and you could drop a Hobbit here or there. So, yeah, clearly it worked for you to to come second with it. And it's a lot of models. You're obviously going to have to play pretty fast with it because you've got so many models on the board and you've got so many things that you're doing. But I, I like that you streamlined it a little bit where you've, you've gone big on things like the traps, but you've gone small on variety of models so that so people don't have to keep asking you, is that a Brandy Buck or is that a Militia? Is that a Tukish Hunter or is that a an archer and and that sort of questions yeah i I tend to paint my uh hobbit armies quite flamboyantly as well so they're all really bright colors and stuff like that so having to differentiate between various uniforms and all that kind of thing would just become a bit of a nightmare so for speed of play uh it is important for me to have kind of really easily identifiable units and uh i'm quite a fast player as well so not 
slowing down and being able to keep moving and stuff like that's really important for me at a, at a tournament especially yeah you want to be decisive and nice and quick as well because there's nothing worse than playing a game and, and timing out and then leaving like a bit of taste in both you and your opponent's mouth because if you, if you just finished the game one of you would have won and, and you're probably both thinking you could at that point and and you just want to play the game so yeah that, that's a good call there Okay, well, I like that list. There's not a lot that I could suggest changing other than what you've mentioned is Lobelia, maybe a Warhorn somewhere, but I think I think Warhorn's just a luxury as well that you don't particularly need. So you've got some, you've got some good options. You've got plenty of courage options there. I like Rosie sitting in the, the little warband with Sam. That's nice and handy. Gives you another option there. And the Travelers, you've got, you've got your banner effect of Frodo. It's a good list. Yeah, it, it definitely can work, that one. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to move on to my next one, which is, of course, once again, my favorite theme of the Shire, the Greenfields. You can see the passion when we're talking about the scenario of it. I just love the Greenfield story. So for <laughs> 400 points, I've gone for 400. I've gone for a uh, an alliance with the only green alliance that the Shire has, which is the Rangers. So let's go for the, the Hobbit side of it first. So I've gone for Bandabras, who's not actually my leader, but he's he's going to be in the army. So I've got Bandabras Took, I've got four Hobbit Militia, five Hobbit Archers, and six Sheriffs. Now these models, uh, I've taken the variety just because I want a variety. These are my only Hobbits, so I figure I'll go for, for something simple, but I'll get a mixture of them all. So I could have done something like dropped all the Militia and made sure it was just Archers and Sheriffs, but I didn't think that suited right with me. I wanted to represent the Hobbits properly. So 16 Hobbits is, is a good number of Hobbits. And one's on a horse, so he's he's like a super hobbit. So in addition, at my 400 points, I've gone for a ranger leader. Now, we've gone for the Arathorn profile, but Arathorn was not around at Greenfields, so he's got a name change at this point. It's going to be one of those count as, but you've got very little option in the range of the north list because I needed a big hero. So I've gone for Arasuil who is a, the ranger leader around at the time of the Greenfields, and he's got quite a big group of rangers of the north. I've gone for rangers of the north this time in the same way that they chose in the scenario. I could have easily gone for Dunedain as well, but I guess there's a bit of ambiguity about what they are. These are the ones that I believe they're just geared for war. So the main difference is they've got armor over the Dunedain, so they're ready to fight Greenfields. They've got word that this orc invasion is coming, and they're, they're ready. So I've gone for three of the rangers of the north, with with nothing, and four of the range of the north with spear. No cavalry range of the north because I think they're trying to to hide. I don't want them to to sit there and and be really obvious around the hobbits. And I wanted Bandabras to stand out by being the only cavalry model. So I could probably afford to put one on a horse, but I didn't want to in this army. It gives me heaps of might, so there's plenty of might there. It gives me two attacks on all these models on foot, which is really nice as well. And then it gives me a good amount of spears that if I have to compress my lines, which is not ideal. But if I have to compress my lines, I've got some spear support and I can actually take on a bit of a wall as well, believe it or not. So if those rangers like, get, get into a very small formation of a, a 2 by 4 block, they can make a bit of a shield wall. If the hobbits are, are getting attacked, I can drop a ranger of the north with spear for the fight 4 behind them, which is very useful as well. So I'm looking forward to using this army. I haven't used it yet, but for 400 points, 24 models, it's a good mixture, rangers and hobbits. Yeah, I love this list, Jeremy. I definitely want to get this one out onto the table. I'm going to have to go buy myself an Arathorn model, I think. <laughs> the only thing I can think of with this one, and I know I told you in the other lists that you should drop your Warhorn, but I think a Warhorn in this one would be quite good. I think maybe perhaps dropping a Ranger of the North and getting a Warhorn in, only because you've got a bunch of heroes there that won't be affected by each other's standfast. So getting that extra courage on the table might help in the situation if you get broken. 
you are right. Yes, I would. If I was making this bigger, absolutely, I would. I don't know about adding another warband for the hobbits. Bannerbrass has got a rule, doesn't he, where he can't have extra named hobbits or else he loses the army bonus. So that's going to be a tough one. So you're right. A horn is probably a good option. Dropping it for a ranger, yeah, you could definitely do that. Or a ranger and some some combination of models. Yeah, that'll be a good one. If I was playing it at 450 or 500, absolutely, you'd put that in there and just increase the number of rangers as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Warhand, Warhand would be super good. Yes, yes, just to give all those rangers. The range of North Courage is pretty good already, but... Uh, it is, but, but it can know, always be better. <laughs> and, and it's more if you're taking on, like, a terror army and you just do not want to fail a charge or fail a, a break courage test at the wrong time. So that that is definitely a good option. Yeah, a harbinger in there can cause a bit of nightmare as well. And I think they're pretty much a direct cost. I think a Ranger of the North is about thirty points and so is a horn, so it you wouldn't have to do too much rejigging of your lists. It's um a pretty clean one. But it, it's also nice that it's a, a green alliance, which means your rangers are getting the two attacks as well. So they're a very decent combat force by themselves, and you've got plenty of might on the table, you've got all kinds of shenanigans you can pull with your heroic combats and stuff like that. And Throwing in a hobbit with uh, a ranger kind of bodyguard, you can you can do a lot of damage with it. I I love this list. Yeah, I think it's got a, it's got a lot of fun, and it's got that real idea of the the rangers coming to save the hobbits. Because even though they are the fighting force and they're the bulk of the points, they're they're not the bulk of the models. So the mo- you've got that real balance where the hobbits need to be protected, but they're very effective when they've got a ranger nearby or a combat where you've got a ranger of the north and two hobbits in is is a pretty brutal combat. It's one that's got some serious power. Yeah, absolutely. You, you really do cover the the issues with both lists in the fact that rangers don't have numbers. Uh, you make that up for with the hobbits, and the hobbits don't really have killing power or anything like that, and you make that up with the rangers. So it's a really cool list, and like getting Bandabras and uh, Arasuil on the table, it's uh, it's a cool little list. And 400 points, 24 models, I think it's a... Yeah, it, it, it's a very decent list to be able to kind of take on anything, I think. Mm. Main thing is getting people to play these small army uh, army games, which I, I think are well worth playing. So hopefully that we'll get them in there because I'm not sure expanding this eventually will just basically turn into a ranger army with some hobbits in it. So it's a tricky one. You might end up as a different formation where the, the rangers end up in the hobbit list and you get a Gandalf in there or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And like I, I'm with you. I actually much prefer smaller points battles. <laughs> They're kind of where I really have the most fun in this. So um, looking at these two lists that you've come up with, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't really wait to get them on the table and try them out. <laughs> yeah, no, they should be, should be good fun. And yeah, hopefully get the horn in the right list. Okay, so what's, yes. your, <laughs> what's your next list, Tom? Your final list, I think. Okay, it is. so my next list is an interesting one. Uh, got a lot of internal synergies and little secrets and stuff like that so it's one you kind of have to keep up with so in warband one we've got gandalf the gray with cart and he is the leader of this army we've got five hobbit militia five hobbit archers one hobbit archer with warhorn and three hobbit sheriffs in warband two we've got bilbo baggins with mithril coat sting and the ring four hobbit militia four hobbit archers and four hobbit sheriffs in Warband 3, we have uh, Robin Smallborough, Hobbit Sheriff, with four Hobbit Militia and four Hobbit Sheriffs. Warband 4, we've got Farmer Maggot with Grip, Fang, and Wolf, uh, two Hobbit Militia, three Hobbit Archers, four Hobbit Sheriffs. Warband 5, we've got Will Whitfoot, Mayor of Hobbiton, with two Hobbit Archers and two Hobbit Sheriffs. Warband 6, we've got Holfoot Bracegirdle, Sheriff Leader, with two Hobbit Archers and two Hobbit Sheriffs. And Warband 7, 
Lotho Sackville Baggins, two Hobbit Archers, and two Hobbit Sheriffs for a total number of 65 models at 700 points. And uh, this list has got a lot of tricks. Mm, yeah, it does, it does have a bit. The order you put the heroes in is bizarre as well. You've got sheriffs all over the place and, and different orders, so it's, it's almost a stream of consciousness type list. Okay, tell us some of the tricks. Okay, so... This is the other kind of build that I think you can really go for with Hobbits is a Gandalf the Grey-centric army, and he is the major draw card for this army. He's a huge point sink. He's incredibly powerful. He's just a very, very useful force modifier to have. So Gandalf on cart, he's got all of the tools that he normally would as Gandalf. He's got all these magic. He's got quite decent combat, uh, especially compared to the rest of your list. But he, he really becomes very very vital to the list with all of the internal synergy so if, if he hangs around with bilbo with the ring on suddenly he can basically outfight anyone really he's got heroic strike uh and quite a decent fight value to begin with and obviously with bilbo kind of decreasing the fight value of whoever he's fighting you can do some damage there you've got bilbo just with the ring in, as well he's got uh, a horn in the list so he's going to be passing his uh will of evil role quite like most often and uh being able to control that you've got all of the standard kind of uh more competitive things such as holfort brace girdle with his uh buff you've got lotho in there to get the fight up you've got farmer maggot for his mobility and he's just general combat and you've got two sources of march in robin and holfort and the banner for will so every hero has got a purpose in here and they all kind of come together to form a list of more, what's the sum of its parts, really? Yeah, what I can see straight away is that the Lotho and Bilbo ability is pretty handy. Getting Bilbo up to fight four will mean the ring would sort out a lot of things. And you've also got Gandalf there to do potential transfixes as well. You've got Gandalf to, to up Lotho's will if you want to have some more turns of his special ability. So that's pretty handy, although Gandalf can do some pretty handy things as well. So I don't think big heroes worry you too much, but you've got... Yeah, you've got the, the banner effect with Will. You can also up the, the Will value of because he spends it, doesn't he? Yeah, he spends the Will to um, activate his banner effect. So as you mentioned, Gandalf is useful for more than just combat. He can actually replenish the uh, kind of very limited resources that you start the game with, which is very powerful. And Gandalf's not an easy thing to take off the board. He's got a number of wounds. He's got a number of fate and re-rolls them. So... He's a decent leader. He's definitely the most survivable leader access uh, that the Hobbits have access to. So he um, he can stick around for quite a long time. And in the cart as well, it's nice and thematic. It's the list that makes the most sense for the cart to be in. And you get to fire off some fireworks in the shooting phase and all that kind of stuff. So it's a fun little list. But uh, if you if you play it properly, I think you've got a lot of potential to cause some uh, cause some upsets with it. I think so. You've got you've got plenty of models. So it's it's at that around about one model per ten points. So close enough. You, so you've got heaps of shooting. Gandalf adds to the shooting as well. So he does. He's no slouch there. I I think it's it looks fun to play. It's my turn to. I want to steal this list as well. And I <laughs> I, I like it that you've got Gandalf. You don't have to. You, you, you've got him with the named heroes as well. It gives you some flexibility. So Bilbo's there. From a theme point of view, it's probably probably not quite adding up. But I I just. This is one of the criticisms of the Hobbit list is you don't get the unnamed Hobbit hero. So I feel like these guys could well be unnamed heroes. They've all got your type. Like Will Whitfoot could just be Mayor of Hobbiton. And like there's, there's, there's every chance that there's another mayor. Farmer Maggot could be a farmer from Hobbiton. And Robin Smallbow, 
Robert Smallborough, like a Hobbit um, sheriff, there's going to be sheriff leaders throughout as well. So I don't mind this, especially if you put your own little story to it. Well, my justification for this is uh, maybe things kick earlier at Bilbo's uh, 111th birthday party, you know? Like, they Ooh, may have yeah. all been in attendance, so uh, everyone in the Shire was there, so... Oh, that's very know. true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and no one's got their bonuses for the War of the Ring. Oh, yeah, because he's got his Mithril coat still. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, big party. Yeah, so this is the, the 111th birthday party in battle form. Yes, <laughs> it's when things kick off at the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really kick off. Those fireworks went too far. Oh, fantastic. That's a good list as well. Okay, I've got one more, Tom. Do you mind if I, I just uh, just be indulgent and, and choose something that's probably a little bit strange, but I think it's going to be fun? Hit me. Okay, so this one here, I've gone for 800 points. I've gone for an alliance. I'll get to what it allies with very shortly, and I'll get to the theme very shortly. So it's only got 37 models, so I'm going to have some big point sinks very soon. So my first warband, I've got Mary, Captain of the Shire with Pony and Shield, of course, with 12 Hobbit Militia. Not Brandy Bucks, just Militia. Oh, no, they have to be Brandy Bucks, do they? Uh... Yes, uh, only in the Legendary Legion. Okay, so this is in the Legendary Legion, so they're just Militia. I've got Peregrine, who's uh, on a Pony with Shield. He's got three Militia and nine Archers. No, no upgrade again. I've, I'm really trying to save the points here. I've got Warband 3 has Sam on Pony with Rose Cotton and six Sheriffs. So a small warband, but he's got Rosie in there as well to help out with the heroics. So that's my Hobbit contingent. It's not a huge amount of Hobbits at the moment. So I've got uh, the three heroes, well, four if you've got Rosie, but three heroes leading a total of 31 models. So 34 models there, which means in my 31, 37 models, I've got three to go. Now, this is a yellow alliance. So I don't get the the move through woods, which is unfortunate because I've allied with Fangorn. So my theme with this army is a fourth age army. Frodo's gone over the sea and they are on a mission. They have rekindled their alliance with the Ents, Mary and Pippin. So that's why they're, they're front and center. And they are looking for Entwives. So they're, they're hunting for Entwives. So I've got my alliance of Treebeard, Quickbeam. And then I've got Beachbone as well. So these are the new heroes from the War in Rohan. Beachbone, I'm going to assume it's like the movie version where as soon as he gets put on fire, he ducks his branches into the fire and, and extinguishes it. So he's still alive. He's still ready to go. And they're, they're going to they're gonna find their wives. Well, they're actually not. But don't tell them that. That's a bit bit sad. Oh, what a wholesome list. I, I really like this. <laughs> I think of all the lists you kind of, kind of got to provide, Fangorn and the Shire was not one I would have picked. And... I kind of like this a lot. It's really cute. I think it's nice to have some of the smallest models on the table with some of the biggest. And believe it or not, I think it's going to be be a quite a formidable force to play against. 800 points, yeah, you, you're fragile because you've got 37 models. But the Ents basically will ha- happily go forward and be Ents. They'll fight most of the combats. And the Hobbits will just be opportunistic and pick on anything that, that gets beside them or reduce models that are attacking them and... Because they're monsters, they can continue to move around and attack what they want to attack. You've also got the throw stones of the Ents and the throw stones of the Hobbits. So you've got a really formidable shooting force again because the, the Ents are throwing, what, strength 10 rocks around? That's huge. That's going to make a difference. And with the, all the Hobbit ones, to additionally, it's going to be a, a potentially a scary force as well. And I just love getting um, the new heroes in as well, Quickbeam and Beachburn. I can't wait to get them on the table. I've seen them played against me, and I want to play them. So, many, so much might as well. Lots of might on those Ents. They really do cover quite a lot of the weaknesses of the, uh, the Hobbits as well, so... It's an interesting list. I'd really love to see this on the table. Like, I can't picture how it would work, but I think it just will because I think Ents are just 
very powerful by themselves and having the extra numbers on the table as well from the hobbits is it, it's it's a really cool army so have you, be- got, have you got everything for this uh i've just got to i've got to use my name dan so yes i i do have everything for this one so i can definitely play this i've got some converted ends which i could definitely sub in as quick beam and beach bone for the moment i think one of them i did make is quick beam initially as well because i used to design some old scenarios regarding that because i always liked the idea of a fast end so so yes i could definitely give this a try the way it works it's it's this we've done a few armies that are designed like this where you have a bunch of real fragile models with some really powerful monster size models uh, so you've got like the those three trolls with say goblin town is a good example of this uh kylie's run one that's like this tree beard a couple ends with um the Wozes. And basically what happens is the, the light, weak models stay a step or two behind the big, strong models. The big, strong models go in and they try to find a nice bottleneck, which is pretty easy to do considering how big their bases are. And they want to fight around that area. And they can use their, their movement that anything that runs through them will get swallowed up by, by the hobbits pretty quickly because the hobbits can hold their own, especially if it's only a couple models getting through. So you don't mind even just a couple pathways for the Ents to come through. And then they will go in and cause all kinds of problems. And meanwhile, the Hobbits can either push to the side or they can run to support the Ents and, and keep pushing forward. Or they can go off and do their own thing. And, and a force of 34 models is is good enough. You can Hobbit army can hold its own. So it, it kind of works really well. It takes some, some getting used to. But if you manage to, to sort it out, it can be really, really hard to, to get rid of. Because you can usually get rid of one monster pretty comfortably. But three is tough. Really tough. And they, they hold their own. Yeah, and three heroic ones at that as well. Like they're not just standard ants; they're they're tougher and faster, and they have a lot of shenanigans going on for them. And just looking at the list now as well, I was thinking with Sam being able to call your free heroic combats as well. It really helps the ants kind of hold on to their might and uh, get more mobility from that, and get like slingshot around the board a lot more. So it's it's. It's a really cool list. I'm really keen to hear how this one goes. Yeah, the the idea of Sam is, yes, he's on a pony, but that's just to get him where he wants to go because he ideally wants to be on foot in a heroic combat with an Ent. So it doesn't matter which one, but if he teams up with an Ent, that's that's great because it's just extra, extra attacks for the Ent, extra things to do, and then they can go around and, and keep going. And that, that mechanic can work forever because of Rosie. So it, it's got some potential. It can definitely be picked apart pretty quickly. If you manage to get to the Hobbits and just wipe them out, then the Ents will run out of time to do things. But it's it's intimidating to play against because it will take some models out on the way in, and it's intimidating to fight because when you finally get to it, three Ents are going to show up and, and start fighting you. Yeah, and I believe Treebeard would have to be the leader on this one as well, wouldn't he? Because he's Hero of Legend. Yes, he's got the highest one, so he has to be the leader. Yeah, so you've also got a hero that's quite reliable, quite defensive, and generally won't take too many wounds. So you can be a bit more reckless with um, Merry and Pippin and their strikes and various heroic abilities. So it, it's a cool list. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed putting that together. I thought a lot, and I was I started making one with eagles, and then in the end, I just. I thought, no, 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 let's let's try and use some models that I haven't used in a list before. So Quick Beam and, and Beach Bone, I was going to put those in initially, but I still have to, because it's a yellow alliance, I still have to include Treebeard because they're only Fortitude heroes. So I didn't have much options there, but it worked well. Yeah, the other list I was looking at was uh, combining the Fellowship with the Shire um, and using Bill the Pony, who technically affects Hobbit models, so he can be a banner for all Hobbits. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea. Yeah, another banner in there. So, yeah, Bill's fantastic. And it's almost a shame he's not 
able to get in the list otherwise. Like I get the alliance is probably a good way of doing it. Uh, but yeah, that that's definitely a good option. The fellowship has got some good models and they they benefit from the Shire as well. Yeah, and you get that kind of similar engine through Frodo and Sam and protecting uh Frodo with that long shanks rule. So you do get the kind of similar uh, rules that you can get through the standard Shire list. Um, you just kind of have to play around with it a little bit more. Yeah, very true, very true. Yeah, I, There's so many options for it now with the, with the alliances. I, I guess so, some of them are really good options. I, there's, I, I noticed that Fangor and allies have everything pretty much, but Shire's got a good amount of allies. It's limited in that the yellow allies, you have to have some of your big heroes, which is okay, but it does... It does get rid of some of the other options you've got. The other one, of course, is the Arnold list, but the Hobbit's already in the Arnold list. So uh, the Fornos was definitely one of the key Hobbit fights, but I decided not to include that this time. I'll save that for another episode, perhaps. Yep. Yeah, that's probably a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that takes us to the end, Tom. So thank you very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this one. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. And as anyone who knows me knows, I'm always happy to talk about Hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I've been I've been having a lot of fun finding people to, to come on these Army Review episodes because it's a really good opportunity to find someone that's passionate about something. So I think you've definitely done a good job with that. And it's been great to, to finally have a chat with you. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Okay, well, that all that leads is a bit of a closing. So, in this army in particular, traps win games and also traps win games. Yes, traps. Just get traps. More traps. <laughs> Absolutely. Activate the trap card. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe, we're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast, or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.